I'm not really your typical girl. I've no real-life friends. I'm shy and very quiet altogether. You're a typical loner. So my only source of actually communicating is through social media. Pretty lame, right? Anyway, this incident of mine happened two years ago. I was only 16. I was using this dating app called Meet Me. I was very skeptical of it since I've had some bad experiences in the past, but I decided why not. I can make some friends for once that live closer. Or so I thought. As I was using the app, talking to a few people here and there, a name came up. Adam. He was a very nice-looking guy, my type. He had long blonde and brown hair with hazel eyes, piercings, and tattoos. He was cute, but I was talking to a girl I'd been into for a while. He lived a few hours away, and he shot me up with a, Hey, you seem chill. What's up? So I felt obligated to reply. So I said, Hey there, nothing much. And from there on, we talked almost every day for a few weeks on kick. But Adam began to act very strange, though. He would tell me things that weren't true, and I caught him in a lie a couple of times. Not to mention he would never video chat me. He always had an excuse for it, as if he was hiding something. I just thought maybe he was shy like me, perhaps. But when we had phone calls, his voice was completely different than how he looked. Now, I'm not one to judge, but there was no way his voice matched his pictures. He had a deep voice and a country accent, while he looked and dressed more alternative. I finally decided to ask him why he would never video chat with me, and why there was always an excuse. Instead of answering my questions, though, he became furious and just told me to F off. So, after that, I didn't talk to him, and by this time, I was fed up with the guy anyways. A week or two later, I had heard nothing from Adam, and I was talking to Alice, another girl I was into. I was at Walmart that day, buying a few things, when Adam suddenly messaged me on kick, saying, You look a lot nicer in person. I really like the goth you got going on. To that, I was confused, and said, What? He said that he saw me walk past him in Walmart, and he wanted to say hi, but he was scared since we hadn't talked in a while. But I know I would have remembered if I saw him, and I thought he lived a few hours away from here. I brushed it off and just ignored him from there. Now, at this time, I was living in a run-down ghetto trailer park, which no one knew where I lived unless I had told them specifically. I was walking through my door that same day. My parents were arguing over something very stupid, Ten minutes later, I got a message from Adam saying, Are you okay? Your parents are arguing again. And to that, I was very spooked. I had chills up my spine, because I knew now that he had been watching me. How, I don't know. I was too scared to do anything but block him, so I did that, and I closed all the curtains and locked the doors. Stupidly, I didn't tell anyone because they would think I'm going crazy, or I was lying, or that I had done something stupid to myself. So I just didn't tell anyone for a few days, and I stayed put inside my house. 
I just didn't want to risk going out. Since it was the summer, I wasn't too worried because I didn't have school yet. I didn't hear from Adam for a day or two, but he still had messaged me on Facebook. But they were all terrible messages. He was cussing me out because I had been ignoring him, not talking to him. He explained in some detail that he was going to rip off my head and have it shoved on a pole. There was more gruesome stuff like that, more stuff he told me he was going to do, but I'd rather not say, I'm sure you get the drift. So I simply replied to him, leave me alone, and I blocked him on there. But that still didn't stop him. He constantly texted me, profusely saying all these things about me, telling me that he knew where I lived, knew what school I went to, my exact school schedule, the principal's name, my brother and sister's names. He threatened not only me, but my family. He had also told me he knew who Alice was, and he told me that he was going to hurt her for taking my attention away from him. This guy, he was a real psychopath. He said that Alice didn't really want me, or something along those lines, and at that point I was so scared. I finally told my mother. Her eyes were so wide. She was upset that I didn't tell her for so long, and she was just as terrified as me. We were going to call the police, but they really didn't do anything. I guess because Adam never actually hurt anyone. What is a threat on my life and my family's lives not good enough? So we decided to move a few months later. I had my number changed, and once school started back up, we had warned the school of someone possibly lurking around, stalking me. Thankfully, ever since, I haven't heard from Adam, but I finally discovered that he was a fake. He was using pictures of a guy named Jay, and Adam's real name was Thomas. He was like a more psychotic and aggressive version of a catfish. When I found out who he really was and what he looked like, I stayed alert and alarmed for the next few months. Not once did I drop my guard, because if he was going to threaten me, then there was no telling what he really would do. All in all, this should be a warning to anyone who decides to talk to someone online. Always know who you're talking to, and always be aware of your surroundings. Being a mother is different. I never got to experience the joys or pains of childbirth. You see, my significant other and I, we're a lesbian couple, and my wife and I decided to adopt a child. Now, when our daughter was eight years old, she was always in need of attention. She wanted one of us to play with her or watch some TV with her. As for me, I decided to give in maybe a little too much because, well, she's just too adorable. My wife, though, Lexi, had to run out to her job because of someone not turning up. Her hours were abysmal. She was always all over the place, and it usually ran until midnight or even one in the morning. It seemed like she was never home. So I started to look for a babysitter, which is uncalled for, but work also had me coming in at off hours. Eventually, I found someone, a person who went by the name of Elisa. She was young. She looked to be in her early 20s. I gave her a call and she headed over the next day. I left for work around 5 in the afternoon 
while Elisa looked after my daughter. While driving to work, I noticed something extremely odd. I felt really uneasy leaving the house. Of course, when you're a mother, it's normal to feel that way. But this feeling was different. It was gut-wrenching. A dire feeling that something was off, something wasn't right. I turned back and slowly drove back to my house. The window blinds were open, and I could see Alyssa playing with my daughter. The TV was on, and they seemed to be having a blast. Maybe I was being paranoid or overly worried. But then I saw something that really set me uneven. Lindsay, my daughter, had stood up, and she hugged Alyssa. Then she sat back down while Alyssa went somewhere else in the room. I'm assuming she went into the kitchen. Still feeling uneven, I continued to my work, but that day I decided to leave early. It must have been eight at night when I finally started heading back, and I suddenly see this light in the sky. I brushed it off as an airplane or something like that, but it seemed like it was right near my house. Only growing more and more worried by the second, I pull in my driveway quickly, and Lindsay is sitting in the window, just staring at me with this smile. I rush inside, and Elissa is gone. Quickly and in a panic, I ask Lindsay how long her babysitter has been gone, and her response, it gave me chills even to this day. She left a few minutes ago, Mom. She left with the light in the sky. Right after that, I quickly rush back outside, but the light in the sky was no longer there. I started to panic, and I dialed the police. About a week had passed by. It was a Thursday night, and we were watching a television show. Lexi, as per usual, was out, and Lindsay was sitting beside me. Suddenly, she got up off the couch and walked over to the front door. Then, for some reason, she began to point at it. Now, I thought this was cute at first, so I laughed and I asked her what she was doing. In response, and I still get terrified just typing this out, her exact response was, The gray man wants to come in. He's at the door. Alyssa is with him too. I froze for a moment. Once I got back to myself, I quickly scooped up Lindsay and I went upstairs and locked the door. I told her to tell me everything of what she did with Elissa that day she came over, but all she said was that they played with some dolls and watched some television, that after some snacks she left. Once more I dialed the police, but this is when things get far more terrifying. After I dialed the number, on the other end of the phone was nothing but static and an unusual noise. I can't describe it even if I tried but the sound made me feel sick. I hung up the phone, and then I took Lindsay into the closet. I was so terrified for the both of us, but I couldn't explain why. After about 10 minutes, Lindsay opens up the closet and walks to the bedroom window. She can't reach it because she's too short, but she just kept pointing up at the window, jumping up and down in happiness and excitement. Quickly again, I snatched her up, and I pulled her back into the closet with me. But then she explained to me in her tiny little voice, The gray man wants to come in. He can see you, Mommy. He just wants to play. I started feeling utterly sick at my stomach, to the point where I wanted to puke. 
I blocked the closet door where no one could open it, and we slept there the entire night. And I made sure I didn't fall asleep until after Lindsay did, and I kept her there tight in my arms. The next morning, I woke up to find the closet doors had been opened wide. I looked beside me, and Lindsay was gone. I started freaking out, screaming, No! 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 And I ran downstairs, only to find that she was with Lexi having breakfast. Lexi asked why I was freaking out, and I just shook my head. Then she smiled and laughed, saying that she came home to find us sleeping in the closet. As I asked her if anything was in front of the closet, she replied with no. And better yet, she said the closet doors were already open when I got home. My heart seemed to stop. I looked to Lindsay and asked her if she had opened it while I was sleeping, and she replied with the most horrifying response. No, Mommy, don't you remember? The gray man opened the doors with his mind, and he took us into his ship. We flew around and came back. I grabbed my phone, and I told Lexi that I needed some time alone. I stayed at my parents' house for a few days. All the while, Lexi was worrying that it was because of her job that she was never home. But that wasn't the case. Whoever this gray man was, he wasn't human, and I just couldn't be at home for a while. What scares me is that Lindsay remembers so much of that night, yet I don't. I've kept this in my journal for years. Lindsay's 19 now, and she still remembers it like it was yesterday. To whoever reads this, make sure your home isn't built near the woods or a forest, because whoever these gray men are, they seem to love those areas the most. The reason I'm sharing this story with you is because my grandfather, Refugio Vera, encountered and fought something in the mountains of Guanajuato, Mexico. I feel it is my duty, my responsibility, to pass on this story and information. It's a story that my old man told his kids and his grandkids, something that I'll pass on to my children as well. He wasn't a drunk or a crazy man or anything like that. But on the contrary, he was a respected, hard-working, well-known man in the community. He worked from sunup to sundown. That is why when he told my family and his friends and me what he saw, nobody, not a single person, had a single sense of doubt that he was lying. They knew that my grandfather would not be making this stuff up. He and my grandmother lived in the mountains of Guanajuato by themselves. They were very poor. They lived only on the land and the animals that they had. If my grandfather wasn't farming, he was hunting and gathering for food and fruit and vegetables. Now, in his prime, my grandfather was a six-foot-tall man. He was skinny, though, and didn't weigh much, but he was still intimidating enough. He almost always had on a cowboy hat, and he was always on his horse with a machete by his side. He had a 30-30 rifle and a 45 caliber handgun tucked on his waist, and with him almost always was his companion, a German shepherd named Commandante, which means commander, alongside him. Commandante was a very loyal and brave dog. 
He bore the scars of past fights when he fended off coyote and other animals from the farm. When you live in the middle of nowhere, living only for yourself, you need dogs and guns like this. There are packs of wild, hungry coyotes. There are mountain lions and bobcats, and apparently other things. My grandfather's ranch was a lonely house up in the mountains, miles and hours from the nearest road to civilization. He only had one neighbor named Antonio Benilla. Antonio lived about five miles down the road on the mountain from him. Besides that, they were all alone. Next, I will share the exact words of my grandfather, the way he shared it to me, the story of his encounter. It must have been a Wednesday or Thursday. Everything was normal that day, nothing out of the ordinary. At the moment, my grandfather was putting away the cows and horses in his homemade stable that was made out of wooden rocks. To lock it, he laid a long dead log across the door. Other than that, the horses and cows were in the pasture all day long. By the time he was done with all of his normal chores, it was dark out. He was getting ready for bed when he suddenly heard Commandante and two of his other dogs began to bark and growl. He didn't care much. He said at the time he thought they were just barking at the coyotes. It wasn't until later that night that my grandmother woke him up and told him that the horse was going crazy and that the dogs were fighting with something. She said they sounded threatened. They thought that it may have been a mountain lion trying to come onto the property. But all of a sudden, the dog stopped making any noise, not a single bark or growl. My grandfather listened for a little bit, thinking that maybe the dogs fended off whatever it was. Then out of nowhere again, the horse began making awful noises, like something was murdering it. Without another thought, my grandfather jumped out of bed, grabbing his 45 caliber handgun, and he rushed outside. It must have been four in the morning now. He walked around the house to the stable, and he said he froze in fear and terror when he saw what was trying to kill the horse. He was petrified and filled with disbelief from what he was witnessing. When the horse in pain cried louder, it brought my grandfather back to reality. Without warning, he fired and he hit the thing. It must have been only 15 yards away from him. He aimed again for the body, hitting it again at least three more times. In all, he fired eight bullets. The other five he shot randomly as the creature ran away. He said as soon as he hit it the first time, the creature, whatever it was, released the horse's neck from its mouth, and the claws came off of the horse's shoulders. As best as he can describe it, he said it was bigger than a dog, way bigger, easily four and a half feet tall, on all fours. It was thin, but you could see it was very powerful, the way it fought the horse and controlled it with ease. The creature's head itself was bigger than the horse's, with a long mouth, not too many teeth, but the few that it did have were long and big. He said the teeth were cone-shaped. The back legs were bigger and stronger than the front ones, but the front ones had longer claws. Its skin appeared to be gray under the moon. It made a weird noise. My grandfather says he can't describe it. It was almost like a cry with a painful howl, like when a dog is being choked by the throat. As it darted through the trees, stumbling and breaking branches, he never heard the sound of it crossing the stream that ran alongside the house. He said the only explanation for that 
was either the thing cleared the 35-foot-wide stream without splashing or touching the water, or it was still on this side. He thought for sure that the thing had killed the dogs. When he turned to go inside all shaken up from what had just happened, thankfully the dogs came out of the pig den. They had been hiding from it, like they knew they couldn't win that fight. He had never seen them act like that. The dogs knew that the only way to survive was to hide. My grandfather said one of the dogs had been severely hurt in the back leg. It had flesh hanging down its side and the bottom of its stomach. He went and got my grandmother and told her to help him out with the dogs, that they were injured. The next morning, only two dogs remained. The one with the injuries sadly did not make it, and the horse died two days later. He went in that night thinking it was the devil he had encountered, but he realized he was wrong. He told me that if I had shot the devil, he wouldn't have run away. He wouldn't have cried in pain. He said instead that that was something else that night, something he never could have imagined he would see or exist. He says he doesn't blame the dogs for hiding. Either way, they were more brave than him, he said, fighting it up close. They still bear the scars of that night, and my grandfather only has the memory of what he saw and shot. He says he's lucky that he managed to scare it off instead of pissing it off. He didn't know what he would do if it came charging at him. When he told me this story, he smirked at me and said, I wish I had grabbed my 30-30 instead that night and aimed for that big head of his. But things happen for a reason, mijo, he told me. He explains that maybe one day he'll see it again, and that time he will aim for the head and not with a handgun, not a chance. For the next four days after that experience, he and his neighbors searched for tracks, trying to find the creature or to find it dead somewhere, but they always came out empty-handed. The only thing they saw or found was a dead deer that was recently killed. He said the horses were acting strange and they felt that they were being watched. Now, I may not have seen the creature myself, but I will always believe what my grandfather says. When he told me this story, the look in his eyes told me all of this, that he wasn't lying. I didn't see joy in him retelling this story. All I saw was concern and fear. Even before the other two dogs passed on, I saw those scars, those scars that proved something crazy and supernatural happened that night. Not to mention my grandmother always backs him up as well. One day his neighbor Antonio told him he had heard somebody talking about a man who claimed he encountered something similar. It goes that he was on horseback, making his way into town when his dog stopped, and his tail went up like he was on alert or on guard. He continued for a few minutes, when all of a sudden, he spotted something running towards him from behind. He immediately whacked the horse on the side and booked it at full speed down the mountainside. He said he got lightheaded and passed out on the way at some point due to his panic. He wasn't embarrassed to say he went number two from what he saw, and Antonio's dog never came out of those woods. I have no clue what my grandfather shot and what that man saw, but I know that there's something on those lonely mountains where people don't tend to go. I'll leave it up to you to tell me what you think it is. Thank you for listening. I live in Utah, and my family has always been pretty outdoorsy. 
When I was younger, my older brother and I would often go on hunting trips with my dad, my uncle, and our cousin who was my age. This was years ago, and back then my mother would often stay home on these trips while she took care of my baby brother. This story, however, is about a certain situation we experienced on a camping trip near Flaming Gorge and Three Corners. We would often stay at a campground called the Beaver Dam Campground, which sat near the historic John Jarvie Ranch, right near the Green River. This camping trip was going to serve as a scouting opportunity for my dad and uncle's upcoming elk hunt. During these scouting trips, it wasn't uncommon for us to be riding ATVs for 8 to even 12 hours a day. At the time, my brother, cousin, and I were all small enough that we could ride on our dad's ATVs with them. My brother would sit on the back seat while I would sit up front, somewhat on my dad's lap. Back to the topic at hand, these ATV rides would take us to the middle of nowhere on a regular basis. We ended up getting quite high into the mountains on a specific ride. We had been riding for hours at the time, and we were nearing the end of the day. My dad and uncle just wanted to go a little further on the trail we were on. After that, they planned on heading back to camp. The trail was beginning to get quite narrow and appeared very unused, as if we were the only ones who had been on it in years. The trail bent around the curve of the mountain and weaved into a thick portion of the tall pine trees that surrounded us. The area just ahead was not visible due to some large brush. We continued forward, and the brush opened up into a small clearing, surrounded by very tall trees. And that's where we discovered something far more than horrifying. In the center of the clearing were the remains of a small smoldering campfire, and about eight to ten feet away from the fire were two makeshift shelters. These shelters were constructed of branches and old debris, such as ruined tent nylon, a tarp, and some rusted sheet metal. Although that was odd enough to see, the absolute worst part of this situation was what was surrounding us. In literally every direction, high up in nearly every tree around us, were the remains of dozens of dead animals, mostly skinned, some dry, some rotting and smelling, and others fresh. Along with the skin, there were quartered pieces of animals strung from the trees as well, such as legs and their heads. Most of these dead animals consisted of deer, However, there was also a couple of elk and even a cougar. The stench of everything we were seeing, it was enough to nearly cause all five of us to vomit. Each of us were completely terrified, and the forest around us, it was unnaturally quiet, like there were no animals or insects there, or maybe no animals left. We probably spent a total of 10 to 15 seconds at that spot, but it felt like an hour. Without saying a word, my dad and uncle got us the heck out of there. I don't remember ever seeing my dad or uncle get so creeped out in my life, as they are both known for being quite tough and fearless, but I could very clearly see the expressions on their faces. Their eyes were wide, the blood seemed to drain from their cheeks, and these men, these men who usually had all the answers, ready to lead at a moment's notice, they were silent and dumbfounded. 
We hauled it back to camp without speaking a single word for the entirety of the ride back. It took us roughly two hours as we went directly there. We did not bother making a detour. I think we were all done with being in the woods that day. Once we got back to camp, my dad and uncle had myself, my brother, and cousin go sit inside of the truck. Through rolled-up windows, I watched them as they sat next to each other, talking for some great length of time. That expression they had on their faces before, at that crazy spot with the skins and the trees, it remained on their faces as they discussed something in secret. We could never hear what they were saying no matter how hard we tried, but needless to say, we never headed back to that area. In fact, we called it quits early and left the next morning. After almost four years of hard trying, I finally learned to love running last spring. Due to years of on and off exercise, I went relatively quickly from occasional five-kilometer jogs to daily evening runs, runs that would turn into half-marathons over months. I'm a person who enjoys peace and solitude, and I usually go for my runs late at night, often around midnight, even in wee hours in the summer when nights are light and warm. It really is glorious, but more importantly, it's safe. I've lived in the same area for years since I was small, and I know it well. I've never once had anything bad happen to me here. One night last September, I decided I wanted to go for an evening run again. I left early, so I would be home well before midnight. However, I soon discovered I was having a good run day, so I ended up taking a couple of longer routes and was still about 15 minutes from home when midnight came. I was running along the local main road and was about to take a shortcut using a smaller street when I began to feel bad vibes. And let me tell you, I've been here all my life and I've never once felt bad vibes. At first, it felt like crossing an invisible border. There was kind of a sudden difference in atmosphere around me, and then I could sense a threat. It wasn't strong enough to make me slow down or turn around, but it was definitely there. I took a quick look at my surroundings, but I could not see anything, so I kept running, and the feeling quickly disappeared. It came back soon when I came to the end of the shortcut, crossed the road, and stopped to stretch my aching legs. There was a large pond on my left side that was mostly surrounded by pines and birches. It was rather dark, and I could only just see to the waterline. The banks were empty, and again there was no one around. But the feeling I had earlier suddenly hit me again, this time much more intense. It was an odd combination of deep sorrow, shame, and blood-curdling fright. I started jogging again slowly. My whole body was covered in goose flesh by this point. My heart was pounding. I had only jogged maybe 10 seconds more when this actual crippling, paralyzing fear just gripped me out of nowhere. I had been chased once in my life by a real person, and it was physically and mentally exhausting. This felt familiar. I felt chased. I felt watched. I know people use the term primal fear a lot, but that's also precisely how it felt. It just came over me. Every muscle in my body was suddenly tense. 
My legs were ready to sprint, my heart was racing wild, and my instincts readied me to go. I felt more like an animal that was ready to shoot away from danger than a human being. This is going to sound flat and expressionless, but I hadn't and still haven't felt such fear, such grief, and the feeling of defeat in my life. I can't even begin to describe it. At the same time, I felt wounded, deeply ashamed and dirty. The kind of dirty I felt when I was sexually harassed, but far, far worse. It was mentally harsh, though it only lasted for a few minutes, and my rational side was still there all the time, telling me that there was no reason for me to be feeling this way. I kept on quick walking towards home. I felt I had to get away from this pond as quickly as possible, and I thought I would feel better once I'd be home. At this point, I was pretty stiff from fear and couldn't even bring myself to jog. When I was halfway past the pond, I suddenly heard this voice come out of nowhere. It commanded me in a loud voice, Run! I was startled and more terrified than ever. I thought I was just imagining things, but only seconds later the voice came back, and this time I heard, Run! Hurry! You won't make it if you stop. And that was the moment I ran for my life. I'm telling you, the fear was so strong. I felt like all the energy had been sucked out of my body, and my heart could have given out at any moment. I thought I was going to die of fright, right there in the middle of the road. After that, there's not much more to say. I just ran as fast as I could until I came to a nearby neighborhood that was next to mine. Even then, I was so terrified, I just kept running until I couldn't anymore. The feeling of dread faded away the further I got away from that pond, and eventually it disappeared altogether, and everything basically went back to normal. I half-jogged, half-quick-walked the remaining distance back home, and I spent one or two more hours just being a nervous wreck, thinking about what had just happened. I was almost in tears, I was so tired and upset. Eventually I calmed down enough and I was able to go to sleep. I thought about the whole experience for a few days before I told it to my mother. To my relief, she believed me, completely. What she also said seriously chilled me. She said this, When I was your age, I had a friend with whom I would often go to the next town over to see our friends. There was no other road from where we lived to where they lived back then, so we took the same road you did every time we rode bicycles there. It wasn't uncommon that when you came to the pond, we too would get a similar feeling of dread. We would ride as fast as we could past that part, and sometimes even cry because we felt so upset and bad. In the 80s, and even earlier, there happened at least one murder there and one rape. And ever since, people have been experiencing weird things in that area. We were not the only ones to have had them. I want to add here that both my mother and I are sane people who have no histories of having panic attacks or delusions. We're both quite healthy. So what was my experience really about? It was of course possible that that night there really was a real danger and someone was really trying to hurt me. But I haven't been able to shake the thought that maybe... I just inexplicably got to relive something of what happened to those poor people at that pond decades ago.
I'm a 23-year-old guy from Manchester in the UK. I just recently moved from south of Manchester to a town in the north. For the sake of anonymity, I'm changing the names for the tale of this encounter. I'll call myself Ben, my brother Joe, and my friend Alex. The house I live in now is an old Victorian-style terraced house. It has a small back garden and a large open field behind that, leading off into a big nature reserve. This happened only a few days ago, and I'm still trying to come to terms with it, though the three of us are entirely sure what we saw. I need to put this out there. My friend and I moved in together in this new house, and on the very first night, we began to hear noises coming from the back gardens, and something was causing the neighbor's sensor lights in their gardens to light up. Soon we heard fences rattling and bins being knocked over. We chalked it up to foxes looking for an easy meal or cats on a late night hunt, since it was a huge wooded area leading into back gardens where people keep their bins. So we tried not to think any more of it. My bedroom does overlook the back garden, and I can see over the field and into the tree line from there, directly into the forest. One night was a pretty hot night, so I left my bedroom windows open to let some breeze in to help me cool down. After the sun went down, I heard the usual cat activity. You know, the usual fighting, hissing, and fences rattling when they jump up to go where they want to go. About three hours into a YouTube marathon, I noticed it was dead silent now outside. It was never this quiet, because this wasn't your usual quiet. It was dead silence, as if none of my windows were still open, but they were. I almost had a heart attack when the dogs began to bark. With the creepy silence gone, the scared feeling went away, so I went back to my YouTube videos. Another half hour passed when the barking was joined by more dogs, and honestly, it was starting to piss me off, so I went to the window to shut it as to block out all the noises. But before I shut the window, just as I walked up to it, I saw something. It's even hard to write this now because it still scares me so bad. At the edge of the field far off to the left of the tree line looked to be a silhouette of a dog. What really caught my eye was how big it was. It must have been five feet tall. I'm five foot nine myself, so I was understandably intrigued by how big this thing was. At first, it didn't move, but as I stared on, a light came on in the garden adjacent to it, and it stood up on its back legs. Awestruck, this thing now stood at about seven and a half feet tall. I still couldn't see it properly, though, due to the distance we were apart. But this creature just shot off into the woods like a rocket, way too fast for anything of that size to move. I stayed at the window, dumbfounded, dogs still barking and driving me nuts, until I decided I was being stupid. I couldn't see it well enough, after all, and I was tired. Maybe my eyes were strained and causing me to see things especially after watching so many videos on my computer. So I put the thought out of my mind as myself being tired and my eyes just playing tricks on me. But in reality, it was denial of a nightmare. I went to bed that night after watching a few more videos to help me fall asleep. And don't worry, this isn't the last of the encounter, though I for one wish it was. 
Fast forward a few days and my brother Joe came up from my parents' house for the weekend. He's 15 and we both love the outdoors, camping, survival craft, even made up apocalypse stories and scenarios are our forte. We had to spend the night inside that night though. It was raining and it got too dark and late to venture out at the time. We ordered pizza and played some Xbox then eventually went to sleep. The next day we got up and got our stuff together for the trip. I said bye to my friend Alex and set out on the road to the entrance of the forest. It didn't take us long to find a decent spot to set up, only about a two-hour walk. Joe gathered firewood while I set up the tents and got food ready. Everything was going well, and we were having fun seeing who could flick pebbles the furthest. Eventually, it was about 9 p.m., and we both decided it was time to get some rest, so we zip up the tents and went to bed. Late in the night, I'm woken up by a sound. It was my tent zipper unzipping. Suddenly, Joe stepped inside, trying to be quiet. But he was staring outside, right through the tent flap he had just closed, and he looked spooked. I sat up half asleep and I asked him, What's wrong? Lifting a finger to his mouth and crouching down, he whispered, There's someone out there. Only now did I notice he had a knife in his hand. I asked what had happened, and he only said, I went to use the bathroom, and I heard sticks crunching around me. We're not alone. Just then, I heard exactly what he meant. It sounded like someone was coming from behind his tent. Joe was breathing heavy, and he was looking at me wide-eyed. I motioned for him to stay quiet, and I grabbed my knife too, just in case. We listened for what seemed like hours when we heard it move off into the woods in front of our sight. This brought a sense of ease until we heard a whispered voice call from outside our campsite. The strange thing was, it kind of sounded like me. Joe, Joe, look at this tree. It was almost robotic, but with my voice as an undertone. We froze, staring at each other trying to make heads or tails of what we were hearing. I had said that earlier the same day, because I saw a tree that looked wonky and weird, and I wanted Joe to see it to get a kick out of it. It started again. Joe, this tree. It slowly began to sound angrier. Then it went silent, and we stayed there petrified for a while, until I mustered up enough courage to finally look between the gap in the zippers of the tent. At the edge of the site, lit dimly by our now dying fire, I saw a huge dog-like thing. It had thick fur, but with red eyes that were shaped like a human's. It had a short snout and huge toned legs, and it was staring the way a stray dog looks at someone eating a chicken leg, staring right at my brother's tent. I moved away from the hole reluctantly, not wanting to take my eye off of this thing, but needing to know if it was just me seeing it too. I motioned for Joe to have a look with my hand on his shoulder, ready to pull him away if anything happens. Joe was shaking like a leaf at this point, and so was I, but I still needed to stay strong and keep him calm, as a good older brother always should. We hear quiet, then it walked around the site again every so often stopping and repeating. Joe, look at this tree. Look at this tree. 
We waited until we couldn't hear anything before we talked again. What the fuck was that, Ben? I, I have no idea, but I think we should stay awake, he replies. As if I could sleep after that, I told him. It was daylight before we even looked outside again, and hopefully the thing was long since gone, because we didn't see anything. We cautiously stepped out, knives in hand and me first, staring at where the thing was standing. There were no tracks, no marks, just a few broken sticks and twigs. We packed our bags one at a time, one on the lookout and one packing and switching after he was finished. We got back to the trail, and it was hard not to run out of there, passing bikers and dog walkers in a frantic jog. We didn't say a word until we got home, and once we got there, we both broke down in the living room telling Alex what had happened. She just sat there, coffee in hand. Her jaw swung low, and she stared at us as we spilled details of our run-in with this thing. When we were done, she looked at us straight, glancing between us and said one word. Skinwalker. Needless to say, I'll be staying at my parents' house for a while with my brothers, and I'll be finding a new place to live in the city. I'm just glad that my brother did not follow that thing into the woods. Before I get started, have you ever worked at a true haunted house attraction? Have you ever been to one? where the actors aren't the only ones doing the spooks. These are just a few experiences I've been in, but it was still scary enough nonetheless. It's up for you to decide whether or not you believe me. So I work at a seasonal haunted house attraction in Pennsylvania, which I love to death, even if the customers are often jerks. Before the place was an entertainment place, it used to be an elk lounge, and apparently after doing some research, the head of the place found out that some of the elk members had done some sort of ritual, which we believe is what started all these hauntings. Our resident ghost has been named Walter. Everyone calls him that, and some believe we have more than one ghost haunting the huge building. So Walter can't be alone in scaring the actors by himself. Some say that in some rooms, you can feel Walter staring at you, as if you just walked into a sibling's room without asking. You're supposed to speak to him, to say, Walter, it's just me, especially if you're feeling uncomfortable in a room alone by yourself. A lot of people have reported these feelings of dread when they're alone in these rooms, including a lot of big, grown men. During my first year on the job, I was a demonic doll in a drop panel box with a hidden door. Our break time was coming up, and it was all quiet in my room, and it's about the size of a storage cabinet like you see under the staircases, if not bigger. And I was just humming to myself in the dark, trying to pass the time. While waiting, out of nowhere, I felt three cold fingers slowly dragging down my right shoulder blade. I thought it was my manager telling me to go to break, as I turned around and called out her name. But it only took me a moment to realize that my manager wasn't there, and also that the sensation I felt on my skin went through three layers of my clothing. Trying to debunk it all, I tried to rub my back on the walls around me, trying to see if I hit a nail or something and tugged on my costume. Maybe it was my clothing, 
I may have snagged it on something, but I couldn't recreate the feeling, and there were no nails or anything or holes in my clothes. That was the first experience. Let's get a little bit closer to mid-October 2016. Any new attraction that dealt with amateur ghost hunters opening a portal to hell and unleashing ghosts and demons into the area, I was playing the role of a demonic doll in a possessed object collection room. This time, I was not alone. I had a neighbor actor next to me, in my little plexiglass box of doom. The night seemed like a really normal Saturday, a long night with huge conga lines of customers, the Saturday norm, though the room itself just didn't seem right. Going on with the night, I could have sworn I kept smelling on and off the scent of frankincense, like the ones they used in the Catholic Church during Mass. Now this didn't seem too weird to me, because the attraction has used smell pellets before in the past, which I thought it was a nice piece to add for the customers to get really into the story of what's going on, making them a part of it, instead of just being part of the audience. So of course I brushed it off, thinking nothing more of it for a while. About two hours later, with the smell of frankincense still going on and off, I thought I heard my neighbor nearby do a low... <laughs> right next to my ear. He usually talked to himself in his box to make up new joke material, or to talk to me about the latest one he made. I was usually the one he experimented jokes with, and this time I thought he was pulling a prank, but the way the laugh was carried, I could tell that this didn't come from him. I gathered my courage to get up, and I peeked my head through a little curtain between us. Hey, I asked. Did you just laugh? The whole time I hoped in my gut that he'd say yes, but I received a serious answer, an answer I didn't like. Uh, no? Gulping down the chill in my throat and the adrenaline to run out of there, I tried to keep my cool and figured to listen to the audio that was being played in the room. Maybe I should just distract myself. As I expected it to be, there was no laugh being played through the audio at all. When our shift ended... I hurried as fast as I could to get out of my costume and find my manager. Well, I found the head owner of the place, and I asked him if there were any scent pellets being used in the room I was in, which I thought it was cool to have such a pleasant smell in that room. However, his reply was the same as my neighbor actor during the night. No. The place may be haunted, and I get the sensation of being watched when I'm there, but now I'm always sure to say whenever I'm freaked out, Walter, it's just me, to reassure myself that my fear will go away. I still love my job and will continue to work there until I can't anymore. But I'm praying that the next experience, if there is one, is far less creepy. Ever since I can remember... Despite me being the oldest child, my mother has always kept an extra eye on me. She explains to me that I often saw things, things she and my father could not explain, things that caused their little girl to have nightmares until she was 12. My father was always a skeptic of anything that was paranormal, unless it was Jesus or the Holy Ghost. But my mother, being a former tarot card reader, believed me, but it still disturbed her that her little girl was coming to her late at night to tell her that there was a crying man in her closet. At one point, she even called the cops. 
only for them to find that there was no trace of such a man. But one event that happened years ago when I was 10 years old still drives me to tears when I think about it. It's an event among others I'm glad to share with people since my family vehemently refuses to believe me. Whether it's from disbelief or simply from fear, I can't say. Now, I was at my grandmother's house. I had been having horrible nightmares, nightmares so real and horrific that my mother often found me crying hysterically in my bed or begging God to make it stop while hurling my guts out. So my desperate mother tried to help me. She thought I needed a change in scenery over the weekend, or to put it the real way, that I needed to get some good old Jesus in my life. I don't remember that much other than playing with my siblings and watching Pokemon all day, but I distinctly remember when the sun began to set, and everything almost became surreal. We ate my favorite hot dogs and beans that night, a little country, I know. My little sister Bree let me watch WWE with her, and my dad that night made me some herbal tea and tucked me into bed before going to his room. He lived there at the time because my parents had recently gone through a divorce. Then, in the middle of the night, I just woke up, and I was covered, soaked in sweat. It was exactly like the panic I had felt in my dreams, only now it was multiplied by the purest form of heart-stopping terror. I don't ever remember being so afraid. I slowly sat up, scared to leave the safety of my grandmother's bed. I quickly looked for my sisters, since at my grandmother's house, we were all supposed to share a bed. They weren't there, though. They must have fallen asleep on the couch, leaving me all by myself. So I was all alone, struggling to even breathe through the fear. The fear that I still had no explanation for, yet. When I noticed the motion sensor light outside had gone off, and figured that the sudden light had woken me up and scared me, I felt a little bit at ease. Maybe it wasn't the nightmares. Maybe I was just being paranoid. The only culprit I could think of at the time was my grandmother's old German shepherd. As much as I loved the dog, I was upset that he disturbed me on one of the few nights of peace that I actually got. The dog had apparently woke me up after all. I opened the window, cracking it slightly, before looking out, ready to yell at the dog. But what I saw was not my grandmother's German shepherd. The thing standing in the light was a huge, deformed, and hideous wolf-like creature. It was jet black, and its fur was matted and dirty. An ugly matted mass clinging to its body. The thing stood a good seven to eight feet tall, and disturbingly enough, its eyes looked so human. Where the whites were bigger than its pupils, it had a disgusting light-glazed blue, like zombies in those movies. Its lower jaw had sagging skin and patches like a dog that scratched too much because of fleas, or maybe the mange. The sight itself was so disturbing. And despite it looking like a wolf, minus its freakish evil eyes, it was clearly standing on its front legs, which I knew wolves don't do from my extensive love of Animal Planet at the time. Our eyes were locked on each other, and then it took a step forward, turning to me completely. I could feel tears streaming down my face as I grappled with the idea in my tiny mind that this is what death looked like. 
and I guessed that it noticed that I was crying, because then it smiled. Not like in those cute YouTube videos, where the cute dog is smiling awkwardly as the owner eggs it on. No, this thing turned to me, and pulled its lips into a smile, like a person. It was disgusting, it was hideously revolting, and just downright evil. Its teeth, which were huge, seemed to poke out awkwardly and unnaturally in every direction. I backed away slowly, crawling into bed, crying, expecting it to burst in and tear me limb from limb. I guess I blacked out, because when I woke up in bed, I was somehow still alive. But the fear I felt before was very much there still. It was so crippling, I couldn't even will myself out of bed. I had just given up, knowing that that thing was still out there somewhere. When my grandmother worried, she came to get me, and I told her everything I saw, crying and feeling so sick, I thought I was going to throw up. She was skeptical, of course, but she called my mother to come get me. I still get teased about this experience to this day, and I do admit that I was still a child at the time, but I still know what I saw. I know it wasn't just a dream or a nightmare, and if people don't believe me, then that's their choice. I just hope that I never have to see this thing again. A few days ago, me and my family, along with a few family friends, took a trip to Roosevelt Lake in Arizona. Roosevelt Lake is one of the largest lakes in Arizona. It's about 22 miles long and 350 feet deep. This lake was a usual camping spot for our family and group. My parents' friends brought their kids, so naturally we stuck together camping. It was nice, too, because we walked down the shore a ways before finding our own little cove to nestle into. There were six of us that would go to the cove and talk and hang out. I suggested we try and stay up late that night, if possible, and many of the others were down. At about 8.30, we took some lawn chairs and took them down to that cove. As the night progressed on and on, we could hear the adults getting drunker and drunker, and even louder. At about 10.15, we spotted something floating across the sky. It was a glowing orange light. We all watched in silence as it floated overhead, then simply vanished without a trace. Once it vanished, we were all in silence for a while, until we began to argue about what it could have been. Honestly, we had no idea, but my friend, let's call her Mandy, suggested it was just a helicopter. Another friend of mine, named Nate, stated the obvious, saying that helicopters can't just disappear like that, not into thin air. After a while, we kind of forgot about it, and at about 11 that night, we spotted something sitting on the lake. Two green orbs seemed to be hovering right above the water, about 30 feet across from each other. They sat near a buoy, just sitting, not moving at all. Mandy was the first to point them out, and at first we thought they might be anchors from the buoys, but we soon discovered we were wrong. Minutes later, 
a red light appeared on the lake, hovering like the other two green lights. Soon that one red light split and became two. The second floated across from the lake, away from the first one. All four lights then formed a perfect diamond, floating above the lake. And I'm not exaggerating when I say it was a perfect diamond. It looked like something from a geometry textbook. We tried to make excuses for these lights, like anchors or buoys, boats, fishing nets, but none seemed to add up. Nothing seemed to make sense. The night continued on, and we all began to get tired. And soon, at about 2.30, we were all back in our campers, sleeping peacefully. The next morning, we all woke up about noon, and we talked about the lights from the night before. Mandy brought over a three-man canoe that we wanted to take out to the buoy to look for anything that could have been making those weird lights. So Mandy, Nate, and I paddled out to the buoy, and there was nothing there. No anchors like we thought there could be. Nothing at all that could have been making those lights. So that night, we were determined to see if the lights would come back. We stayed up as long as we could again. At around 10.17, we spotted the orange light floating over the lake again. We watched as instead of it disappearing, it floated down into the water. And I'll be honest, we kind of panicked. We calmed down and got our thoughts together about what we were seeing. We reminded ourselves of our goal, to understand what was going on. At about 11.15, splashing could be heard. Using our flashlights, we scanned the lake's surface, and as we scoured the lake, we heard this hum growing from a drone to nearly unbearable. Soon the sound echoed throughout our cove. The flashlights then flickered off. Nate cursed as he smacked the flashlight in his palm, trying to get it to come back on again. Luckily, the full moon was out, and that was enough light to see three silhouettes. They were very tall, much taller than any of us, and extremely thin. Their hands were huge, and their hands were as well. They were walking towards us, walking on the water's surface. We all hit the ground, watching them get closer to the shore. When they were about ten feet from our shore, ten feet to being right on us, the flashlight switched on again, and my heart skipped a beat when I truly saw them. Mandy screamed, and so did Nate, and honestly, I did too. These beings, they were pale, so pale we could see what only seemed to be veins running over their bodies, but they were very scrawny and bony. Their eyes were massive and solid black, and their mouths opened unnaturally wide, releasing these screeching noises that echoed through the cove. As quickly as the creatures appeared, they sunk very fast into the water. We lay there on the ground still, afraid for our lives, waiting for something to happen. The cove was silent for a second, and then we got up, and our footsteps were the only noises we could hear, especially as we ran back to camp. We didn't tell our parents what they saw, because we knew they wouldn't believe us. The next morning, we packed up our things, and we left. The only conclusion me and my friends could come to was that there was something otherworldly in that lake, something that we're not meant to see.
I live in South Central Kentucky, and I had always wanted to become a police officer. After going through the application process and the training, I was fortunate enough to be hired. Right off the bat, the sheriff told me that I should start getting used to staying up all night because I was going to be starting in two weeks, starting the night shift, that is. My best friend and I decided to go out and drive around all night on the rural back roads to get some practice in before the big day. Not to mention, I really needed to learn the roads as best I could before I started working. It was the first week of November, and it was pretty cold out. The night sky was clear, and there was a bright full moon above us. We were traveling on a narrow back country road, out in the middle of nowhere, and it must have been close to three in the morning. I came up on a long straight stretch, and I noticed what looked to be a person right in the middle of the road in the distance. This was really strange, because there were no houses anywhere close, and it was extremely cold out, like I said, not to mention it was really late. My friend Eric asked what we should do in this situation. Do you think something is wrong with this person, he said. I looked at my cell phone and noticed that I had no signal way out here. Even still, we kept getting closer to this person, and as we did, we noticed that it was a woman wearing a white dress. Immediately, I assumed that she was either drunk, high, or something had to be bad wrong with her. Maybe she was hurt. Maybe she had a mental condition. I didn't know. I told Eric that we could give her a ride and get her some help if she needed it, but we simply couldn't leave her out here alone. We approached, and when we got within approximately 100 feet of the girl, we noticed that she was walking like she was either crippled or just really drunk. I began to feel more worried as we approached her, and soon I began to expect the worst. But before we could approach any further, Eric screamed right in my ear. Holy shit! She doesn't have any fucking legs! I thought he was joking with me, which this definitely wasn't the time for that, but even if it sounded crazy, I looked over to the girl, and I could not believe what I saw. He wasn't lying. The girl didn't have legs. She wasn't walking strange, she was floating. I'd never believed in ghosts in my life. I thought that only crazy people actually believed in them. So we both sat there, silent and in shock. I stopped the car as we watched her walk away from us, or better yet, float away with her back towards us. We were both just freaking out in the car at this point. My headlights were on bright and I had a powerful spotlight aimed on her. We realized that my lights were going through her body and shining on the forest ahead of her. She was translucent. I made the decision to slowly drive past her. I could never shake the thought that this was a bad idea altogether, but I continued to drive anyway. As we went beside her, she was only three feet from the side of the car. Eric had brought a gun. He now had it unholstered and laid in his lap at the ready as we passed by. Her dress was tattered and torn, and the dress and her legs both ended at her knees. She had her head down, and we could not see her face because of her long black hair being in the way. Every second I looked at her, chills filled my body, and I felt goosebumps envelop me. We continued to pass her, and when we were about 25 feet in front of her, I told Eric to keep his eyes on the girl. 
As I pulled off the road to turn around, there was a sharp curve ahead, and I took my eyes off of her to make sure no cars were coming, that we were okay to turn. But the moment I looked away, Eric was freaking out so badly. He had taken his eyes off of her for a second, and when he looked back in her direction, the girl was gone. What? I said. I pulled back out onto the road, and I now faced her direction. But she wasn't there anymore. She was somehow gone, as if she had vanished. The two of us got out of the car and began to look along the ditch line with my spotlight. Even if she had ran as fast as a freaking cheetah, there was no way she could have made it to the edge of the woods which were about 500 feet away. We drove up and down the road a few more times, but this girl was gone. She really had vanished. We decided it was time to call it a night. We headed home, processing what we had just seen. A little over two years ago, while I was working night shift, I went into the local gas station to get a cup of coffee. I noticed a few older men were sitting in the back of the station. They were looking at a book and talking about ghosts in the area. I walked over, and I saw that they were looking at a book that had to do with the paranormal happenings in Kentucky. They were talking about the ghost from Red Hill Road. This really caught my attention, because that was the road that I had my sighting on years ago. As the man holding the book and I began to talk, he told me that this woman had been murdered by her sister on her wedding day because her sister was jealous of her, and she wanted to marry her sister's fiancé. The girl was stabbed over 50 times with a large kitchen knife. Perhaps this explains why we saw the girl with the wedding dress, and maybe why her dress was all torn and tattered. Even though I had a witness years ago, it felt good to know that other people had sighted her in the past 100 years. Eric and I were not the only ones. One of the men in the group at the store gave me his wife's phone number. He told me to call and talk to her about my sighting, because she had also seen her back in the mid-70s. I did end up talking to her, and she described the ghostly woman exactly as I saw her. Nowadays, I firmly believe in ghosts, and I always will, because I witnessed it myself with my own two eyes. I have told people this story from time to time, and I'm always thinking that maybe, maybe other people don't believe because they hadn't seen something themselves. As for me, I'll be on my deathbed, and I'll still swear on everything that I love that this was real, and if there was any way possible for me to prove it, I would. Thank you for listening. Before I begin with the event that happened, there may be many skeptics that do not believe me, but let it be known that even in spite of this, this story is a warning as well. Also note that I'm a Muslim in the UK, and this means that I believe in another creation by Allah, so this is my thoughts on what happened to me. My wife and I were going to Lake District with eight other friends. This was not the first time that I've gone with them, and it's the last time that I'll ever go to Lake District, that's for sure. For those of you who do not know what Lake District is, it's a beautiful area in Scotland, that's all mountains, caves, and a lake. 
My group, consisting of my wife and I and my eight companions, have successfully arrived at Lake District with no difficulty. As we all settled in, everything was fine and fun. Two of my friends, let's call them Raj and Ahmad, went into the kitchen as we were the designated cooks for the trip. In the kitchen, everything was good and neat, except one thing. There was one of those stereotypical butcher's knives left on the countertop. We did not say much as we just thought someone went into the kitchen before us and maybe they misplaced the knife. So we simply left the knife as we saw it. After an hour of settling in, we decided to go out on a two-hour hike. As we left the villa, we saw a herd of white goats, which was not abnormal to see. However, in the herd of white goats, we did see one black goat. This black one we had never seen before and all the times we've been to Lake District. So this was the thing we found is out of the ordinary. However, knowing our group, we were all chilled and we all had faith in Allah to protect us, so we just ignored it. We came back from our hike just before a sunset prayer Muslims need to perform, and on our way back, just over a hundred yards or so, we all see the black goat roaming free again, but this time it was by itself, and we were sure it was the same goat as before, as in this area, there aren't that many goats. To understand the next part, you need to know that everyone in our group is all religious, from the wives to the husbands. After praying our prayers that we all prayed together, some of the group decided to read the Quran, and one of the people were Ahmad, while the rest of the group were just sitting and relaxing peacefully on their phones. Following dinner, we decided to play pool, as there was a pool board that we saw earlier in the lounge room, which for some reason no one bothered to enter since we got here. The main problems that started worrying us as a group was from this moment onwards. This pool table came with a full set of balls, one through eight, but when we went to play pool, we did not see a single ball for playing. Everyone believed that Raj was playing a prank on everyone, as he was the joker of the group. So we all accused him of hiding them when we weren't looking, and after a couple of minutes went by, Raj continually denied the claims, and honestly we started to believe him, but even still we searched the room. The table of the pull board was made so that the pieces can be pulled apart and broken down with a screwdriver. As such, I decided to check the table, and we eventually found the balls inside the table somehow. This is what we found most weird about our trip at the time. Later on, at around one in the morning, we decided to call it a night and go to bed. The villa only had two bedrooms, so we split the rooms to be four in one room and six in the other. The room that I stayed in was with my wife and both Raj and his wife, and Ahmad and his. Ahmad is usually a fast and heavy sleeper. As soon as he gets tired, he falls asleep. But that night was different, as Ahmad could not fall asleep, and he kept everyone awake that night. Everyone thought that this was strange, as he would never do that, and for this reason we didn't say anything to him, in case he got offended. The next day was our last day there, so we only stayed there for two days. Anyway, on this last day, everyone was tired due to a mod the night before, so we didn't do anything. We just packed our things to be ready, and we chilled in the main room until around six in the afternoon. The trip from where we come from in London from Lake District is about five hours long, and we had two drivers who did not get any sleep thanks to a mod, so it was a risky journey this way anyway. On the way out from leaving from the villa, the group for the last time saw the black goat, 
which just looked directly at us this time. Again, we tried not to be paranoid about this, trying not to think too much of it, so we just left in our cars. I was in a vehicle with my wife, Ahmad and his wife, and Raj who was the driver, and the rest of us were in the other car. The last odd occurrence we had was on the journey back, where Ahmad started to act all weird, and it seemed suddenly as if he began to have a seizure. Now, on the journey to Lake District, this had never happened. In fact, this had never happened to him before. Ahmad, after having a couple of fits, commanded Raj to stop the car on the side of the motorway, about halfway from Lake District to home. This would have been around Liverpool. The other car of our friends saw this, and they came to a halt as well, to see what the matter was, and everyone was spooked out. We all knew something was wrong with Ahmad, because this was nothing like him. Eventually, we all got back home, except for Ahmad and his wife, as they each went back to their parents' houses. This was because we all agreed that Ahmad had obtained some sort of spirit along the way, a jinn that must have possessed him. I know this seems far-fetched, but in Islam, this is totally possible. While dropping Ahmad off, we were all worried and anxious that his parents would shout at us, as they are extremely religious, and they already disliked the idea of him going to stay at places like Lake District. Well, a couple of days later, we all met up again and decided to go see Ahmad, as we haven't seen him for quite some time now, and he has not talked to us since the trip. Once we arrived at his house, we saw that he looked completely fine, and we didn't know how to approach him to ask what really had happened. So, with some hesitation, I just was upfront about it. I asked him what happened to him beforehand in Lake District. He explained to us that his mother knew exactly what had happened and took him to a Rugia, a jinn capturer. And this Rugia found that a strong jinn had attached to him, and the Rugia eventually managed to convert the jinn to Islam. This is part of the jinn capturing. Then Ahmad began to explain to us that he started to feel weird and act strange the moment he saw that black goat. He consistently fought the feelings and behavior, but as he disagreed with the jinn, it caused pain within his body, which were the reasons for his seizures. He also told us that the knife that he first saw in the kitchen, he believes was put there by the jinn itself, and that the jinn told him to kill everyone with it while they were sleeping. So this is why he kept everyone awake during the night at Lake District. Not only that, but the jinn told Ahmad to cause a car accident to kill our group. But Ahmad was resisting the will of the jinn, and the jinn caused even more pain in Ahmad's body, which is what caused Ahmad to have fits in the car. Ahmad told us that the time when the jinn contacted him and told him to do this was always when he saw the black goat. After hearing this story, we all agreed as a group to never go back to Lake District. I write this to warn other travelers and seasoned holiday visitors to never go to Lake District. Even when I booked the villa online, I never actually noticed or considered who I was renting it from. The owner never seems to show themselves. As for the keys, they were put there under the flower pots as they always were, and this was the usual method of renting in Lake District. As a Muslim, I believe in the only rational belief to me, and that is that a jinn has done and caused all of this. I am sure that I'm talking for the whole of my group when I say that I'm glad that we got out of there alive and that Ahmad is fine. Please take this warning seriously and be warned if you dismiss it. You might end up going to Lake District, but you might not come back.
to begin, this story took place in Mexico, and it happened to my mother when she was 30 years old. We lived in a small town in the north of Mexico. My maternal grandmother lived about an hour away, and often we would go to visit her. On this particular summer day, there had been a party at my grandma's house, and we attended. We had been there all day, and by the time the party was over at around midnight, my mother was tired and ready to go to bed, so she suggested staying the night with our grandma. But my father, though he had a good time there, wasn't tired, and he wanted to go home. Reluctantly, my mother agreed. We all piled up into my dad's truck, which was a Tonka-style company truck. After we said our tired goodbyes, we were on our way home. The night was moonless and especially dark. The only light on the road was the light from the truck's headlights, cutting through the blackness like a knife. On either side of the road, there was nothing but emptiness. My sister and I, ages two and three respectively, were fast asleep and huddled together between my mom and my dad. We had been driving for about half an hour when suddenly my mom saw a figure on the passenger side of the road. According to my mother's account, it was a woman wearing a long pale blue dress that somehow seemed to be flowing in the windless night, a dress that seemed to be from a different time period. She seemed to have appeared from nowhere, and as we approached her, she began to cross into the path of the truck. My mom watched her and saw that the woman in blue was now standing in the middle of the road as the truck grew ever nearer. She then screamed for my dad to watch out, but it was too late. My mother felt a coldness enter her body as she felt the truck hit the woman in blue. My dad, seemingly unaware, suddenly stopped the truck at my mom screaming, asking my mom what was wrong. My mother was confused and said, didn't you see the woman? My dad said no. My mother explained that she saw a woman in blue on the road and that she was sure that we had just hit her. My dad, worried, quickly exited the truck and went out to investigate. To his relief, but not so much my mother's, there was no woman. Actually, there was nothing in the road at all. We hadn't hit anyone. My dad climbed back into the truck and told my mother that there was nothing outside, that she was probably just really exhausted. She asked him again if he was sure that he didn't see the woman, and he said, definitely not. Since there was nothing left to do, my dad tried to start the truck back up to make it back home. But the truck now wouldn't start. It had completely died. My mother felt chilled and told my dad that the truck had died the moment we hit the woman in blue. Again, he explained that he hadn't seen anything, that there was nothing out there, and that the truck was probably just out of gas now. We were in the middle of the road in the pitch black in a broken down truck. My dad decided to walk to the next ranch, which was about 10 minutes away, to get gas and some help. My mom did not want him to go, but she also did not want to spend the rest of the night stranded in the middle of the road with the woman in blue potentially waiting outside. 
somewhere unseen. My dad locked up the truck, and then he left to go get help. My mom remained and huddled in the cab with my sister and I, watching nervously. But the only sounds were the sounds of our snoring and the distant howling of coyotes. My mom says she was very afraid. She didn't know how she was going to survive until my dad got back. She says that it was the most afraid she's ever been. Suddenly, not five minutes after he left, my dad came back with a friend that was driving into my grandmother's town. Perfect timing. They picked us up, leaving the truck in the road for later. My mother has never forgotten that night, or forgotten that she was the only one that saw the woman in blue. She says she'll never forget how she felt, the coldness in her chest, as our truck impossibly ran through the woman. To this very day, my mom is sure she saw the ghost of a woman on that dark road, on that dark night, and she hopes she never runs into her again. This story takes place many years ago, at a time in my life when I was having many similar odd experiences. Much of it I put down to the area. My friend had a house in the middle of nowhere. It was old, and the doors did not lock properly. And on windy winter days, it would be ice cold, save for a small fireplace in the living room, and an old electric plug-in heater in my friend's room. It was truly a perfect place for feeling spooked out. Around the house were patches of wood scattered in between stretches of farmland, much of which was frequently used by a nearby military base for training. Sometimes during the night, you would hear loud bangs and strange noises, and if it wasn't the sound of fake gunfire, it was the sounds of wildlife, the screams of vixens or the rustling of rabbits in the undergrowth. Me and my friend used to explore the land around the house very frequently. My friend had taken an interest to the area of forest after some solo exploring, and with us being dumb and young, my friend recruited me to further explore the forest with him. Bear in mind that this was on private property, and we should not have been there at all. In all honesty, we found some very creepy things in those woods. Animal bones were scattered about, rabbit skulls, and one that might have belonged to a badger. But we theorized a local farmer might be the culprit, as we'd always found a shotgun shell in the leafy undergrowth. But it was when we got further into those woods that things got interesting. There was a lake, one that we didn't even know existed. It was eerie in those dark woods. The water was murky and gray, and a small rotten jetty stretched out into the middle of the water. I was determined to see if I could reach it, and see if I could get out to what seemed to be a little hut at the end but we couldn't get close enough to the lake's edge. The whole place was surrounded by thick mud, mud that sucked you down if you stepped in it, and after a few attempts, we deemed it better to return when it had been raining less. In many ways, I wish we hadn't. The next time we stepped into the woods, the atmosphere was immediately more sinister and surreal. The air seemed to close in on us as we took our first few steps into the trees. We made a beeline for the lake, trying to avoid touching some strange moss and fungi that had popped up since we'd last been there. 
but the journey seemed to take longer, and as we walked it, the trail seemed to get darker. The trees were thicker around us, except for a strange circular clearing where sunlight shined golden through the leaves. There wasn't much time to explore, though, as we had to be back for dinner, and we had a mission to complete. Except we never found the lake, or we did, just not the water. Instead, we broke through the tree line again, and we found ourselves climbing down the bank of a larger grassy clearing, grass as high as our waists, with one single tree standing lonely in the center of its own grassless clearing. The dirt beneath our feet was dry and cracked, the old lake bed now just powdery earth, and what remained of the wooden jetty was lying collapsed. It was like entering another world. Even the light seemed pale and watered down, it hadn't been dry enough for this to happen, and yet it had somehow. We made our way to the tree, but that's when the feeling of foreboding started to get worse, and though my friend seemed excited, I could sense that I wasn't the only nervous one. There was a strange sense of calmness in the clearing, but it felt more like an illusion of safety, and my friend was climbing the tree when I first heard the giggling. It was barely a whisper in the grass around us, and for a moment... I could have sworn there was something crouched there, something the size of a toddler, maybe except a strange gray sort of color, but I blinked and it was gone. This happened 27 years ago in 1990. During the 90s, I played in a death metal band. There were five members in all, and we each had a stage name. My stage name was Nihilus, and I played lead guitar. Farrell was our rhythm guitarist, Maul played drums, and Lazarus was our lead singer. We had a bass player named Damien. Damien was a strange person. He was unhealthily obsessed with Satan, Bethamet, Hell, Black Magic, Demons, Spirits, the Occult, and Blood. He was covered in satanic tattoos, and had all kinds of jewelry pertaining to Satan. I've been to Damien's house as well. He never turned on the lights. Anything that wasn't covered in shadows was lit by candles. He had all kinds of posters and pictures of Satan, Bethamet, and other unholy things. He had a bookshelf full of books dedicated to hell and its demons. Damien was also so set in his love for Satan that he believed if you worshipped anyone other than Satan that you should literally be burnt alive. Most of us in the band were atheists, while me and Lazarus were nihilists. His most noteworthy books were the Satanic Bible, the Necronomicon, and Dante's Inferno. At band practice, Damien would write very disturbing lyrics, some of which even made it into our songs. One song we were writing, Maul the drummer was playing a different drum pattern than Damien wanted. Damien was pissed. He yelled at us to stop playing, and then he began to lecture Maul over the drum pattern. So Lazarus stepped in between them, telling Damien that he had to chill out saying that he was going overboard and just acting crazy. When Lazarus turned his back to leave the room and get a beer, Damien drew a freaking knife and screamed at him. You don't know what crazy looks like. And I kid you not, he then stabbed Lazarus in the shoulder. Lazarus was the biggest guy in the group, very built and very muscular. And as soon as the knife hit him, Lazarus got angry and tackled Damien to the ground and began to beat the living shit out of him. Damien was soon unconscious, and we set him in the living room. After that, none of us liked him. 
The only reason we really kept him around was because he was a good bass player and he was good at getting weed. Soon after that knife incident, we began to really see just how crazy Damien was. A couple of times he went to churches in the town. He would disrupt the sermon and start preaching about Satan. Another time he got drunk and he went to a park full of children and started screaming that they needed to pray to Satan. Soon everyone around town was scared of the guy. He would also go around and spray paint satanic symbols on churches and schools. Damien invited us to his house one day to smoke pot. While he was super stoned and on the floor, Farrell was reading through a journal he found on Damien's desk. He showed us the journal, and I'll never forget what I saw. The journal revealed Damien was obsessed with my sister. Damien was 25 at the time, and my sister was a 14-year-old girl. He wrote in his journal about how he thinks my sister was hot, and how he wanted to bind her and make her his plaything. Followed by that were sexual descriptions that made me want to throw up. As soon as Damien woke up, I confronted him. I told him if he ever talks to my sister, I will beat him with a crowbar and I'll break all of his limbs. It might sound like a bit much, but I was pissed. Damien just smiled at me because he thought it was funny, apparently. A couple of months later, with his insane behavior, we finally kicked him out of the band. Before he left, he screamed at us about getting revenge. Well, two weeks go by that were pretty uneventful. We were practicing with a new bass player when I get a call. It's from my dad, and I'll never forget that call. He told me to come home immediately. I got in my truck and sped there. It was 10 o'clock at night, and there were four police cars in my driveway. I get inside the house, and my dad tells me, he has this thousand-yard stare in his eye. I've honestly never seen him like that in my life. My sister was with the police, crying, and she had a similar expression. Apparently, while my sister was sleeping, Damien crawled through her window and handcuffed both of her hands to the poles of her bed. He was beginning to cut off her clothes with the same knife he had stabbed Lazarus with. God knows what he was wanting to do with her. He had his hand over her mouth so that she couldn't scream, but luckily, she managed to bite him and scream for help. My dad runs to the room, ready with his shotgun. My dad saw Damien with the knife, and my sister was now naked and still tied to the bed. My dad panics. He panicked like I'm sure any other parent would do. He fired the shotgun, and the shot landed. It was a gruesome scene that my sister was forced to be a part of. Ever since then, my sister and my dad have not really been the same. There weren't too many people who felt bad about Damien, but the dude was spiraling out of control. He really had it coming. All in all, the people around town gave condolences to my family for the traumatizing event. But still, I can't bear the thought of what Damien would have done to my sister had my dad not killed him. 27 years later, it's 2017. My band broke up a long time ago. I rarely talk to my old bandmates anymore. They are busy with their lives. And good old Lazarus ended up passing away in 2004 due to liver failure for his excessive drinking. I think those days took their toll on all of us. When I was 11 years old, my family and I went camping in New York. 
It was my parents, my younger brother, let's call him Caleb, and me. So the campsite we were at felt pretty desolate. We go camping there every year, and it's usually always packed, but this time it was practically empty. The second night we were there, we were sitting at the campfire, and Caleb said that he had to go to the bathroom. My mom told me to go with him, so we both got up and left. After so many years, I had memorized the way to the bathroom. You have to go through the woods for a bit before coming to a path that leads straight there. Even though I had brought a flashlight, it would only illuminate about three feet ahead of us. So Caleb and I arrive at the bathroom eventually, and Caleb enters the boys' room. I walk into the girls' room and look around. It was the general camp bathroom, just barely cleaner than a porta potty. There were three stalls and a single window above the sink. The only light is coming through the window, from the lamp that was outside. I go into one of the stalls and I do my business. While I'm in there, it suddenly goes dark. I turn on the flashlight and point it at the window. To my surprise, there's something covering the window. You should know that the window was very high up, so much so that I could see it from the stall where I was sitting, but unless I had a ladder of some sort, I couldn't look out. I was a little confused at what could be covering it. After about a minute, whatever was blocking it had moved, and the light returned. I finished up, washed my hands, and exited the bathroom. Caleb was already done and waiting outside for me. I asked him if he saw anything by the windows, and he just shakes his head. I shrugged, and we both start heading back to camp. We're not even off the path when the flashlight starts to flicker. I curse under my breath and I began to shake it, trying to get it to come back on. That's when we hear a rustling sound nearby. Caleb grabs my hand and begins to whimper. I start telling him that everything is fine while shining the dying flashlight in the direction of the sound. Finally, I see something about 20 yards away. It's hard to make out what it was, but then it started to shamble closer. Eventually, I could see it. I nearly dropped the flashlight in horror. This thing, it looked like a human-dog hybrid. It was on all fours, and even then was almost six feet tall. Its eyes were glowing, and I could tell that it was staring right at us. At that moment, several things happened at once. The flashlight completely went out on us. Caleb screamed and the creature made a noise that I don't even know how to describe. If I had to try, it sounded like a dog moaning, but much louder, much more human. I grabbed Caleb, and I began to run back to camp as fast as I possibly could. When I get to the end of the path, I look behind me, and I screamed, because that strange creature was now chasing us, running on two legs. I started running blindly through the woods, desperately looking for the light of our fire, but I could not see a thing. Caleb was crying. I could still hear that thing crashing through the woods, still making that ear-piercing sound. I scream out to my parents, for anyone at all, but nobody came. Then, as suddenly as it had appeared, that creature was gone. I suddenly stopped hearing it, and when I finally collapsed to the ground in exhaustion, it was no longer behind us. By this point, I was hyperventilating, and Caleb was crying. As I begin to catch my breath, I look around. I can barely see anything in the darkness, 
and the flashlight was long gone. Then I hear another sound, but it was the best sound in the world. Rachel! Caleb! It was my mom and dad. I stand up with Caleb and begin to walk towards them. When we finally meet, I let it all out. I begin sobbing and crying and trying to explain what had just happened. I think they thought I was crazy. Either way, my parents bring Caleb and I back to camp, and we sleep in the tent. But needless to say, I didn't get any sleep that night. The next day, it was clear to my parents that Caleb and I would not be able to handle the rest of the week, so we had to leave early. Ever since that trip, I've done research about Dogman sightings. I'm not completely sure what we saw that night, but it's been five years since then. Caleb is so afraid of the dark now that he has panic attacks, and I'm embarrassed to admit that I have a fear of dogs. No matter what it was, this creature was very real, and I hope to never see it again. I'd like to start by saying that I am a skeptic. I still to this day question what is real, what is fake, what's made up and what's unexplained. I won't jump to conclusions and say that something is paranormal until I'm at a complete loss of an explanation. But there is one memory that I cannot forget, one night that changed me forever. I was in the sixth grade, one week until school was out for the summer, and I was excited. I was skipping seventh period, so I was a bit anxious. I was taking a walk through my local woods to calm down. I had been doing this regularly for about a month now. The chirping of birds and cicadas, it always calmed me down. I was just ready for school to be over. I needed a break for a while. I've always liked gloomy weather, and sometimes to simulate this, I'll take walks at night. Others might be creeped out by it, but I found it to be rather peaceful. Animals are active at night. Some nights, though, everything is still. Too still to be real, almost. I don't know why this happens. Sometimes you just can't hear anything. Let's just say this walk was a long one. I'd been out there for hours after school had let out, and I was lost in thoughts, lost in nature, really. It was already dark, and I was still walking in the woods, and it happened to be one of those quiet, too quiet nights. Again, I could hear nothing, but I could still see what was happening. Nothing was happening, and it seriously creeped me out. Everything was so still. It was unnatural. It was impossible. When the stillness began to happen, I hurried home. I didn't feel safe out there any longer, and this was coming from a guy that took walks at night all the time. Even I thought it was weird. Not too long after that, on a different night, things took a turn for the terrifying. I'd gone out at about 8 p.m. I didn't care if it was kind of late, and my dad was fine with it, as long as I was home at a decent time. It was basically the summer after all. So I was off from school, and basically that meant no bedtime curfew. I headed for the trails like I always did, yet this time I saw one trail that I hadn't previously taken or even seen. I seriously never knew that trail was there. I'd been living here and walking these woods for 12 years, so I was astonished. 
I don't know how I had missed it. The thing that took me a second to realize, though, was that this was new. All the plants had been stomped through and were now dying, but they were still there, little pieces of injured undergrowth. I was sure that this trail hadn't been there the day before. Now I've always been adventurous and had no trouble convincing myself to go onto this strange track. Besides, I felt confident in my training. I had taken a few years of karate and jujitsu. If anything or anybody hostile appeared, as long as I remained calm, I could deal with the situation. So I started on the trail and made my way out. And then that stillness that I talked about before, the stillness and quietness that is just completely unnatural, it soon surrounded me. I was alone, completely alone, as if I was the only animal out there. Eventually, I made my way into what seemed to be a clearing, and that's when I saw that I wasn't as alone as I thought I was. There was a tall, lanky figure with dark eyes. It was staring at me as if it had been waiting. It was facing me, and I was still on the trail. It was standing in the middle of the clearing. I saw that it was holding something in its hands or claws, whatever they were, but it was dark and I couldn't make it out. This thing seemed to have antlers like a deer, and just barely I could see the faint glimmering of pale, moist skin. Its hands, if you could call them that, were round, and by that I mean that there was a circular stalk from which two fingers and a thumb extended. They didn't look like functioning limbs at all. They looked mangled. Honestly, at the time, I thought I was looking at a seriously disturbed person in a costume. Then they spoke, or it spoke. Hello? It didn't sound human. It didn't sound anywhere close to human. It sounded like an old cassette being played, except that it was warped or augmented. There was a gravelly tone underneath it. It was incredible and horrifying. Then it spoke again, repeating the exact same word the exact same way as if it had looped that recording. Hello? I screamed. I turned and ran down the trail. I ran like an Olympic sprinter. But it kept up. I heard something behind me, steps that told me there was something on all fours keeping pace with me. It kept speaking, saying that same word, the same recording, in a loop. Hello? I swear at one point I could feel its breathing down my neck and I thought I was going to die. I raced back home as fast as I possibly could. This thing, it had to be faster than me. Surely by then it would have caught me, but it didn't. I think, I think it had been toying with me. When I made it home, I locked all the doors and windows. I sat in my room on my bed, staring at the blinds that covered my bedroom window, until I finally fell asleep. When I looked at my watch, I saw that it was now 7 a.m. My watch now had a crack in it, which was weird, because it never came into contact with anything. I never fell, and that thing certainly never reached me, did it? And then I was in for an even bigger surprise, because I felt a stinging on my sides, and when I lifted up my shirt, I found shallow cuts and dried blood. I was within this thing's grasp, and somehow... I got out of those woods alive. 
I don't know what it was, but I know that it's evil. The way that it presented itself and tried to mimic human speech, whatever this creature was, it was wrong. And unless I have some sort of death wish, you won't see me going back into those woods for a very, very long time. Be careful out there, because sometimes the things that lurk in the caverns and the deep woods get a little too close to human civilization. And that's when people go missing, or they wind up being found dead. So I've been working in retail for about three years now. Nothing really strange has happened, besides the one asshole customer who lost their cool over something stupid. Well, one night it was just my manager, let's call her Jan, and another cashier, let's call her Kelly. We work in a drugstore, everything was going as usual. Jan was out back, Kelly was at the register, and I was on the floor restocking the shelves. This woman was sauntering around, and when she passed by me, I got this weird feeling about her. Something seemed off. I didn't know exactly what it was, though. She was short, pudgy, and she had a buzzed head. Though I couldn't see her face because she wore a ball cap on her head, and it covered most of her face, I figured it was the fact that she was covering her face deliberately that made me feel weird. So I made my way up towards the cash area, just in case anything went down. I was straightening up some of the shelves and putting items back when I heard an older woman speak to Kelly. She was in a hushed tone. It was a customer telling Kelly in a hushed tone about the same woman that I had just seen. She was explaining that that woman was a known thief. Supposedly, she steals stuff from all the stores around this region. Kelly just gave her a simple response, something like, I'll be sure to let my manager know, or something like that. Suspicious still, I remain by the cash area and I keep an eye out for this woman. That off feeling now made sense to me. Some time passes and the woman comes to the cash and pays for a couple of things, very cheap items. In total, it was probably $10 worth. After grabbing her bag with the stuff she just bought, she says she needs to go to the washroom. We keep the bathrooms locked and we have the key behind the counter to try and prevent theft. Kelly tells her to leave her bags and then she can have the key. The woman hesitates, but accepts the key anyway. She went to the bathroom and was gone about 20 minutes or so. At this point, I was letting my manager know of the situation. She basically said to stay out of the way and to not do anything. Wow, great job looking after this place and the employees, I guess. So, whatever. I continue my work and I come back to the front and ask Kelly about this woman. She said she left a couple of minutes ago. I wanted to know if she stole anything. I was nosy and curious. Kelly then gave me to go to the bathroom and I went in. I was like a crazy woman. I checked the garbage, the changing table, the back of the toilet, everything. I even lifted some of the ceiling tiles up. The whole time I was determined. I just knew this woman did something. I never felt this feeling about anyone. I knew something was off and I wanted to know exactly why. I stopped for a long moment and then a thought came to my mind. The napkin disposal box. I looked in there and that's where I found some of my suspicions were correct. There were three empty perfume boxes. They had been left there, ripped apart and discarded, and the perfume was now gone. 
I took the box with me and went out back and showed Jan. She said she would leave a note for our boss. I said all right and I left the box with her to deal with. Now this is the part where things get a bit unsettling. The back of the store is pretty quiet, meaning you can't eavesdrop from the outside unless you were pressed against the door. I leave the way I came, when I suddenly bump into the woman from earlier. She came back and she wasn't happy. My heart nearly jumped out of my throat and I got a wave of anxiety. She says nothing, just stares at me with this dirty look that made my skin crawl. After a very long minute or two, she turned and started to walk away, but then she stopped. She turned her head slightly and said over her shoulder towards me, Oh, Maggie, a word of advice. If I were you, I wouldn't be leaving a note for your manager. She reached her hand around to the back of her pants, lifted up her shirt there, revealing the bladed edge of what looked like a kitchen knife. This psychopath was threatening me over perfume. I ran back to the storage room and locked myself in there until the end of my shift. Apparently, this woman, after stealing the $400 worth of perfume, had eavesdrop at that door. She had to have been leaning against it to hear. She must have known that I found something when I went back to check. She heard our conversation. You may be wondering why I didn't just tell Jan. Well, she wasn't much help before, so I doubted she would even help now. Though, the story doesn't end there. When I finished my shift, I was relieved. I was able to get away from that store. I went home and I curled up in a ball of sadness with my cat. Before I left, I passed by Kelly and said goodnight to her. As I came closer to the exit, I got that off feeling again, a feeling of dread. I ignored it, trying to convince myself that it was just my nerves. I had been threatened after all. Luckily, it wasn't that woman, because she didn't come back a third time. In fact, she had never left. She had just waited for me in the parking lot. I wasn't even off the front step of the store before I saw her sitting in a dingy rust bucket of a car. I noped my way back into the store, and I was about to call the cops when I saw her rip out of the parking lot at full speed. My body was full of anxiety, and I couldn't bring myself to leave that store. I ended up waiting a full hour before I left with a large group of customers. I drove home and everything went as normal. I was checking my mirrors the whole way home, and I even took a different route just in case. I did tell our manager, Kim. She said she would keep an eye out for this woman. I lost my peace of mind, though, and I found myself always keeping an eye out for anything. Anytime I see someone similar to her, I run out back and lock myself in my boss's office, just in case. I haven't seen that woman again. But every few nights or so, I see a car that follows me with its lights off. They copy my speed. If I slow down, they slow down as well. And if I speed up, they do the same. They pass the people I pass. They'll follow me for about 10 to 15 minutes, then get off at the exit before mine. I don't know if it's some asshole or if it's just her, but all I do know is that I'm going to have my phone near and carry a knife with me from now on. This happened in September of 2016. Me and a couple of friends of mine had been planning out a camping trip to Mount Baldy National Forest for a couple of days. We decided to camp about two miles off a trail since campgrounds were closed that day. I brought about four friends with me. During our walk through the forest, I began to hear something. Not loud, 
but dead silence. No birds, no bugs, no wind, nothing. And after passing a creek, the noises of nature suddenly came back again. It was one of the weirdest things I have ever seen. I thought it was just my mind playing tricks on me, so I tried to push the thoughts out of my mind, the thoughts of why that happened. Once we established a camping site, we got a fire going and we cooked up some dinner. We all smoked some weed and we were laughing and cracking up at jokes. One of my friends said that he had to get up at one point and use the bathroom, so he went off into the woods to do his business. About two or so minutes later, after cracking some more jokes with my other friends, we were interrupted by what sounded like rustling in the tree line. Then the friend from before who had to go use the bathroom ran out of the bushes with his pants still hanging off of his legs. He was literally panting and he had this horrible look in his eyes. Before he even asked, he screamed over at us, we need to leave now. I told him, whoa, whoa, chill, what happened? Before he answered, another one of us decided to grab his gun just in case. Then he explained, I was out there doing my business. While I was doing it, I heard some noise. Of course, I thought it was just you guys messing with me. And when I turned around, I saw it. We need to just go, man. We need to go now. The friend with the gun came back. He said, we're already here. You probably just saw a deer or something and it spooked you. I know how dark and tricky it can get out in the woods at night. But then the trembling and scared friend replied, well, what kind of deer walks on two legs? Overall, we decided to say, even if he really did see something, my scared friend stayed in the tent all night and kept it zipped up. We just took it as maybe he was paranoid. After all, we were high that night. The rest of us stayed around the campfire. We were discussing what might be wrong with him, and as we talked, we suddenly grew quiet, because slowly, we all realized that the sounds of the forest began to disappear, and soon, without us talking, everything was completely silent. And it didn't take long for us to realize that there was a shadowy figure standing at the edge of the tree line before us. When my friend with the gun saw it, he jumped, and he shot the gun he was holding nervously in the direction of the thing. It didn't land anywhere close to its target. From where we were, this thing must have been about 30 feet away maximum, and all I could think about was how I regretted that that bullet didn't hit it. Because only seconds later after the gunshot, we heard this call or screech coming from whatever that was, and it sounded like a mix between a dying goat and a wolf, distorted with white noise like on a TV with no channel. Immediately, grabbing only things we could carry and run with, we took some stuff and ran back to our vehicle. The whole time, though, we heard footsteps around us at the campsite, and as we ran back to the vehicle, we heard footsteps directly behind us. The screeching would come and go, always leaving us with more and more goosebumps on our flesh. One second it'd be deathly close, and the next it would seem maybe 50 yards away. Whatever this was, it was fast, and it could have caught us easily at any time. It was only toying with us. After running like hell and leaving our tents behind, we made it back to the truck and we just took off. If I had anything to say from this story, it would be don't go to Mount Baldy. Don't dare go near the devil's backbone.
This was a scary paranormal occurrence for me as a kid. I recently turned 13, and about three weeks after my birthday, my neighbors had to move out for family issues. We didn't have any neighbors for about a week. When I was playing basketball in my front yard, I saw a large moving van pull up next to our driveway. I looked up, only to see a girl that looked about my age. She hopped right out of the back seat. She catches me staring at her, and I quickly look away. She walks up to me, introducing herself as Sasha. I tell her my name, and we begin to talk. Suddenly, I hear a loud and fierce voice yell over to us, Sasha! I look up, and a man that looks wasted and too drunk to drive walks right over. He says he's Sasha's dad, and yanks her away from us. I didn't think too much of it, and I went back to playing basketball. Soon after that, I'm inside playing Minecraft. About ten minutes later, I hear a knock on my bedroom window. Not a pound knock, but a small tap, tap, tap. My family owns a two-story house, so curious, I go over to investigate. You see, my room's on the second floor. No one should be able to tap on my window. I go over to it, and of course, there's nothing there. Just a sheer drop. So I try to ignore it. Maybe something fell off a nearby tree and brushed up against the window. But a minute later, I hear the knock again. By then, I'm starting to freak out. I get up and go to close the curtains. But as I look out the window before I close the curtains, I saw a whitish-looking substance fly off into the distance. I'm speechless, but it only makes me close my curtains even faster. I get ready for bed and go to sleep. I wake up in the middle of the night when I hear another tapping coming from the exact same window as before. I grab my phone and look at the time. It's three in the morning, exactly. I've watched a lot of paranormal things, and I know perfectly well that 3 a.m. is the devil's hour. I try to ignore the knocking again and go back to sleep. In the morning, I get up, and everything from last night comes back to me. I go over to check the window. I really wasn't expecting anything, but when I opened the curtains, I saw something written in red. I don't know if it was paint, or markers, or something like that, but it clearly said, why didn't you open? Immediately, I called my mom and dad to come see this. My mom freaked out when she saw it, but my dad seemed a little too calm. I don't think he believed that it wasn't me that did it. He said that if it happened again, to tell us. After that, the day went by pretty normal. I was playing basketball again in my front yard when I saw Sasha. Sasha was waving me over to her yard. I ran over, asking her what was wrong. She said, Did you hear that knock on your window too? Now I was really surprised. Yeah, I did. How did you know? I asked her. She stared blankly at me. I didn't know if I should walk away or if I should ask her what's wrong. At that very second, I heard my mom call to me to come inside. So I said bye to Sasha, but she never responded. I quickly ran inside. Later that night, I was playing more games. As if on cue, I heard the same knock on my window as before, except it was louder. Now it sounded like someone was deliberately knocking on my window, as if wanting me to open it or look outside. I whipped out my phone and began taking a voice recording of the sound. I recorded the knocking and called my dad. I played it back for him. All the background noise was there, 
but for some reason, the knocking wasn't. I sat there on the bed, puzzled, looking speechlessly at my phone. I thought maybe it was glitching or something, so I powered it down and quickly restarted it. Even after doing that, all I could hear was static from the recording. I was extremely puzzled, and I went to bed. And again, I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of knocking at my window, and of course it was three in the morning. I did not make any movement. I just laid there in the bed facing away from the window. For you to really understand the story, the layout of my room is pretty simple. When getting an aerial view, my door is on the top left-hand corner, and my closet occupies the whole left wall. I have a couch occupying the whole right wall, and my bed occupies the top row. So, the window is directly across from my bed. If you roll over, you would see my window. I hear one loud last knock, and now I'm so stressed out that I just roll over. When I roll over, I get a shock that still haunts me to this day. I could have seen an owl, a bird, or some kind of creature. But the one thing I didn't expect to see at my window was Sasha. My eyes widened, and we just continued to stare at each other for a few seconds, and those seconds felt like hours. When I finally pulled my eyes away from Sasha, I looked down and realized her wrists were cut, deeply. The wounds were so deep that there was blood gushing from them. I see some of the blood on her finger, and her finger is pressed up against the window. Before I can get up and reach for my phone to take a video, Sasha lets out a sound. The sound of an inhuman scream, like a mixture of a bunch of different dying animals at the same time. I look at Sasha. She leaps off my window and vanishes. The next day, I see a moving van in front of Sasha's house. I see Sasha's dad, and I see Sasha get into the van they came in, and they pull away. The moving truck follows. I never understood what happened that very night, and I honestly hope to never truly know. This story happened five years ago, when I was nine, and ever since then, I've been experiencing hallucinations and I'm hearing voices. With that being said, let me start. I was camping with my family in the woods of Germany for three nights. It was a campground, and we took a spot next to a large river. Nearby, there was also a bridge around seven meters high that crossed that river, and the entrance to an old-style town. The moment we arrived, though, I suddenly felt a sense of terror, and I began to get nauseous and really sick. The first day, everybody spent setting up. I was sick in the car, though, crying, because I was in so much pain. However, as night began to approach, I miraculously felt better. I don't know if that has anything to do with what I would later see, but it definitely put me on edge as I had trouble sleeping all night. While I lay on my mattress trying to sleep, I remember shaking for some reason, even though I was sweating because it was so warm. The next morning, I woke up late, and I didn't remember falling asleep. As I was walking over to the rest of my family, I looked over to the bridge nearby, and I saw on it a skinny black dog. I could clearly see the thing's ribcage, but I couldn't see its head or front legs. It walked along the bridge, but it wasn't really walking. 
it was more like a kind of slow gallop. It would take small steps hopping from left to right. I watched it cross the bridge and I told my family what I'd seen. They, of course, didn't believe me, or they didn't care about some dog. The only person who really took interest was my cousin. Let's call her Bella. Bella said we should go look for it, and I said, being my nine-year-old self, that that was a good idea. So we did. We jogged over to the spot where I saw the dog, and Bella brought a whistle for some reason. We were young and had no idea what we were doing. We came up with this idea that we would stand back to back. She would blow the whistle every time she saw it. I turned around and she immediately blew the whistle. I turned around again, but there was nothing there. So I asked, where'd you see it? Behind that house, she replied. I turned back around and the same thing happened again and another time. I was beginning to think Bella was just messing with me. So when we stood back to back, I turned my head around and looked at the same place she was. That way, what she was seeing, I would see. But then she never blew her whistle. I decided we would check behind the house, and we did. But we found nothing. Though, the whole time, I felt like I was being watched. While I was looking, Bella pulled my shirt and pointed at a window. I turned to see glowing red eyes, and we booked it out of there. Creeped out, we ran back to the campground, and we didn't say anything to the adults. We just carried on pretending nothing had happened. At the end of the day, the two of us decided to play hide-and-seek. Behind the river was a cornfield, and we thought it would be fun to play over there. So the two of us got my uncle and two brothers to come with us. Then we all walked across the bridge together. We ended up passing that house, and I could still see the red eyes inside. But I didn't say anything. I was trying not to be scared. We started playing, and I hid deep into the cornfield. I thought it'd be a good hiding spot. I hid at the edge of the field and at the beginning of the nearby forest, as far away from the seeker as possible, but still close to the river. I could still see the campground across the bridge from here. It was about five minutes after the seeker started trying to find us, and he already found the first person, and I could see them maybe 30 meters or so away. But then I began to hear the sound of sniffing, the way a dog sniffs when it's found something. And then right after that came this hyena-like cackle. Instantly I turned and I saw red eyes right upon me. I ran as fast as I could into my uncle's arms and I begged him to take us back to the campground. So we called the game quits and we went back and we left the next evening after. I later found out that at that very same camping site, Someone got drunk and drove right into the water, drowning. Maybe that death has something to do with what I've been seeing. And also, ever since then, I've been seeing a lot of things recently, which make me think of this encounter. Every so often I see something that resembles either a cat or a fox, running up and down the steps outside my window, trying to keep me up all night. I don't know if I'm going crazy, or if I'm being followed by some spirit. If I had any words of advice to leave you with, it would be to always trust your gut feeling and leave the area if it comes to you. I've thought about sharing this story for a while now, 
and I figured it's time I let the community decide whether it's real or it was all in my head. I honestly don't know, but there's too many coincidences to just throw it away. I'm a truck driver, have been for seven years now. This happened in November of 2014. Me and a friend of mine were and still are working for the same company, and we were both around St. Augustine, Florida on a weekday, and neither of us had a load. Now with truckers like us, the truck gets boring after a couple of weeks away from home, so we decided we could meet up and get a hotel room with two beds. I would pay for the room and he would pay for our usual dinner of Chinese food delivery. It sounded like a relaxing good time. I found a day's in where we could park our trucks behind the hotel, and we kept a close eye on our vehicles because after being in all 48 states, not including Alaska and Hawaii of course, we have learned how strange this world truly is, and often dangerous. He arrived before me, and I had already paid for the room online, so he checked in for us and had the food ready by the time I arrived. I was there shortly after 8 p.m. We kicked back, watched TV, and ate our food. I believe Cops was on the television that night, if I remember correctly. Soon my friend fell asleep first, around 11, and I went to bed somewhere around 11.30, so I wasn't too long after him. Now, we're used to hearing trucks running all night when we sleep, so it usually helps to have a little background noise when we try to go to bed. So I turned off the lights, and I left the TV on, but on a lower volume so I could hear it just a little, but not so much that it would hinder our sleeping. I awoke some time after I fell asleep with my heart pounding, and I could actually hear and feel my pulse. I was in a panic, and I wasn't sure why at first. I couldn't move a muscle in my body. I could only move my eyes, and I couldn't make a sound. I looked at my friend and noticed that he was still asleep, but all the lights were on, and then I noticed two figures standing beside him. They looked similar to the gray aliens you see on TV, but were different in some ways. They were approximately four and a half feet tall, and their eyes were not black, but they had dark pupils with irises almost the color of orange clay on the inside and fading almost to yellow on the outside. They weren't speaking at all, but they would look down at him, and then they would look at each other, like they were speaking, but without making even a sound or moving their mouths. I was panicking and trying to scream, but I was completely paralyzed, so still I could only move my eyes. Then I saw movement between my bed and his, and I noticed a third creature kneeling beside my bed maybe three or four feet away, staring at me almost like he was curious about me. The look in his eyes, it was like he was studying me. And that's when I honestly thought I was going to have a heart attack or pass out. This lasted maybe five minutes, but I remember every detail about them. They had big heads for their short, skinny bodies, but the gray skin was tight enough that you could see veins in their heads. The bodies were skinny and had skinny arms and legs, and the skin on its hand was tight enough like ours you could see the outline of the knuckles. You could even see the joints in its wrists. He was staring at me while I was staring back at him, and I believe he wanted me to see him. I've never once had a case of sleep paralysis before this, and it's like I blinked, and I saw someone at the foot of my bed walking back from the bathroom and all the lights were back off. My heart was still pounding, but I managed to say, Mike, is that you? Who the fuck else would it be? 
I've never been so happy to see him awake and okay in my life. He turned on the light beside his bed, and he asked if I was okay. I said, I think so, why? And he said that I looked like I was white as paper. I told him to feel my pulse, and he felt that it was pounding, and asked why my heart was racing. So I sat there and I told him everything that I saw. I told him that it was too vivid to be a dream, but I couldn't be sure. I explained every detail about how they looked and everything. All in all, it scared him too, but he said it was most likely a dream, and after an hour or so, I was finally able to fall back asleep. When I awoke in the morning, I noticed the light coming around the door. Now, I personally locked the door myself when I got to the hotel. I'm paranoid about locking doors, because I've had a homeless man break into my truck once while I was sleeping, and that was quite the experience. I got up and checked the door, and it was cracked open. It wasn't latched at all, and it wasn't locked in the chain or deadbolt any longer like I had it. I don't know how that happened. Mike even said he remembers checking the door before he went to bed. He said it was completely locked. I've thought about this event over and over the past two and a half years, and I still remember every minute detail. It's like it's burned into my brain. I've thought about going to a specialist to get that sleep hypnosis to see if I'm missing any memories, but I'm truly terrified of what I might bring back. As of now, I remember enough to keep me looking at the stars at night, and I don't want any more horrors in my head than I've already got now. This happened around May of 2004. I lived in a small town of around 30,000 people. The town was said to be quite safe. The neighborhood I called home was in an older part of town, and it mostly consisted of families with kids and older people who lived around me. Well, my best friend and I spent every day after school together. Her mom worked out of town and wasn't able to come pick her up at the end of the school day. We were more than happy to spend afternoons together, as we were inseparable. She was nine and I was ten at the time. This is how our weekday afternoons went. School dismissed at 3.30. My friend and I would wait at the same spot every day for my mom. At around 3.40 or so, my mom would pick us up from school and drop us off at my house. My mom would make us afternoon snacks, and then she would go back to work. We would stay home alone together until around 6 at night so we were only alone for a couple of hours, really. My mom worked in a flower shop a few blocks away, so even if we were ever in trouble, she could be home in about two minutes. My friend and I were pretty independent, and we knew the drill when it came to stranger danger. We knew not to answer the door, how to answer the phone, or any kind of emergency plans, like what to do in a fire and things like that. Our parents were completely fine with us staying home alone. It was a really warm, sunny day, so we decided to ride bikes up and down the sidewalk in front of my house. We'd played in the front yard plenty of times before without trouble, so we felt really safe. Though I always kept an eye out, just in case, and I never let my guard down completely, because that's what I was taught. The block I lived on was fairly long, so we would ride about halfway and turn around, because we didn't feel comfortable going all the way to the end of the block without a parent or an adult but all in all, we were having a blast. After about 10 minutes, my friend decided to take a break, 
so she sat on her bike close to my house. I decided to go for another ride. I was at the halfway point when suddenly, my best friend started shouting something, but I couldn't hear her. She kept yelling, and finally, I heard her. She was calling my name. Her voice sounded worried. I stopped and turned around to see her with the look of pure fear on her face, pointing towards an old, pale, blue, rusty car. It was pulling up slowly next to her. At that moment, my heart dropped, and I proceeded to feel like it was going to beat out of my chest. Every alarm bell in my entire head was going off, and my body went numb. I knew we had to get back to the house. I began to ride my bike back to her as fast as I possibly could, but it felt like an eternity. The entire time I could see my friend's face grow more and more worried. She was afraid. While riding back, I could see the passenger side window starting to roll down. When I made it back to her, we quickly climbed off of our bikes and ran to the front door, but of course it was locked. The front door was always locked when we were home alone for safety reasons, but I had forgotten to unlock it before going outside. As we turned to go to the back door, I saw a man in the driver's seat. There was just one person in the car. He was a bald, menacing-looking man, with what looked to be scars or scratches that covered his whole face. At this point, we were starting to panic, and my friend sounded like she was about to cry. I tried to stay as calm as possible, as well as calm my friend down. Time felt like it was going by so slowly, as we made our way back to the back door with our bikes. You may be wondering why we didn't just leave our bikes in the front yard. I think the reason was we didn't want them to be stolen, as the neighborhood we lived in was prone to bike robberies, and we needed our bikes for a school field trip at the end of the year. Anyway, we're making our way to the back door, which was a good 30 to 40 feet away. We didn't look back for fear that he might try to talk to us, or worse, come after us. Once we got to the door, we dropped our bikes and went inside, locking all the doors and windows. We then proceeded to hide upstairs. I called my mom to tell her what happened. While talking to my mom, I watched from my sister's bedroom window as the man got out of his car and stepped onto the sidewalk in front of my house. He looked to be in his forties. He was quite tall, about 5'11", maybe 6 feet, and very slender. He was wearing a plain white t-shirt and blue jeans. The man just stood there on the sidewalk, facing my house. He looked around for a few minutes. After that, he got back in his car and drove in reverse down the street. He pulled up in front of a random house, got out of his car, and walked into the backyard. The entire time, my friend and I were shaking with fear. We stayed in the house for the rest of the night. We were scared he'd try to approach us again. I'd never seen this man or his car before, and I'm completely positive he didn't live in my neighborhood. I'm not sure what he wanted, but I have a feeling whatever it was, it wasn't anything good. I haven't seen the creepy man since that day. After this incident, I couldn't go outside in the front yard alone ever again, afraid that the man may come back for me. My best friend and I never played in the front yard while home alone again either. This experience has scarred me and my best friend for life. I've moved a number of times since then. I live in an entirely different province and city, and I'm 22 years old now. To this day, though, I feel very anxious around older men, and when I'm out in public, I always try to be aware of every person around me.
I'm 33 years old. My husband and I have three kids still at home. The other two are technically adults. We have three cats and a dog as well. Molly's my cat and sleeps with me every night, generally on my legs as I lay on my stomach. Molly is a very quiet cat. I've only ever heard her hiss once, and we'll get to that in a moment. You see, for the last week or two, I've been seeing what appears to be a figure standing down my hallway, either coming or going from my bedroom, which sits at the end of that hallway. One particular night, as Molly and I were getting situated in bed, I saw movement from the corner of my eye. It looked to be a shadow coming up to my side of the bed. My husband was already in bed, and the kids had been asleep for a couple of hours. About the same time I see this shadow coming through the doorway, Molly goes nuts. She basically wraps her paws around my leg and begins to hiss and growl while looking at the doorway. That led my husband to ask, What's going on? To which I reply, I think Molly and I just saw something. I literally heard him roll his eyes as he goes back to sleep. I reach down to pet Molly and tell her that everything is going to be okay and to lay back down. It took a few minutes for her fur to go back to normal, and since that night, I've sensed something in my room. So fast forward to the other night. My dumb ass is looking around on the app store and I see the Ouija board app. I think, what the hell, it's free, so why not? I thought maybe, at the very least, I could connect with this shadow or ghost being and find out what it wants. Maybe I could at least get a name. Sounds innocent enough, right? So the app downloaded and I read through the rules. I've never messed with the Ouija board, but I've listened to stories and I know the basics. Before I clicked on the button to start the session, I said a little prayer, just in case. At first, I started out in the living room where my husband was passed out on the couch because he was sick at the time. There was nothing. So I walk on over to the laundry room, which is on the opposite side of the house from my bedroom. And still, there was nothing. I then get the bright idea to go to my bedroom. As soon as I asked if anyone else was there, the planchette spelled out, Need help. So I asked, Do you need help? Then it spelled out, Need proof? Question mark. While I laid on my bed thinking, What the hell? Molly and my other cat, Jax, came running up onto the bed and literally got right in my face between my eyes and my phone. I moved them over to get them out of the way, and I giggled, and replied with, No, I don't need proof. At that time, the app began to flash, and an alert came on that said, Angry Spirit, say goodbye now. So that's what I did, and I closed the app. Now, on the app, when you successfully say goodbye, it goes to an ad. Luckily, I was able to end the session. At that time, I decided to occupy my mind with something else, as I didn't know whether to be freaked out or to think that that was all faked by the app to get you to continue to use it. I wasn't sure. I waited a couple of hours and decided to use it again. This time, I started in my bedroom. I asked if anyone was there, and there was no response. I should mention that for the first few moments, I was sitting up on my bed facing the door, which had been wide open. Since I wasn't getting any responses, I decided to lay back down, as last time I'd got responses then, and again it worked. I asked, is anyone here, and I got a yes. 
I asked, what's your name? And it spelled out Rosa. I asked, how old are you? And got the response of Anne. So maybe there were two spirits here. I asked about that, and whatever I was talking to said no. So I asked again to be sure, who is here? The response was, want proof? So this time I asked, what kind of proof? And the next response scared the hell out of me. It responded with, demon. I got chills. I said, no thank you, goodbye. And the session successfully ended. I sat there thinking about how insane this is, wondering that no way in the world can this be real. It can't be real, right? I mean, it's just an app on my phone. After a few hours and a few funny YouTube videos, I later fell asleep. My husband is still in the living room on the couch, since he needs to be set up so he can breathe easier. It's just me in my room. Molly is missing in action, so I was completely alone. Throughout that whole night, I would feel like someone was pushing down on the pillows by my head. I ended up waking up around 5.30 in the morning, and I just decided to stay awake. Even still, I kept feeling someone's weight push down on my husband's side of the bed. Finally, after about 10 minutes of this, and after seeing no one or nothing that could be doing this, I finally said to leave me alone out loud, and it noticeably stopped. I still have that app on my phone. I've been debating about whether or not I should try it again. Needless to say, I'm still a bit hesitant, as I'm not sure what will happen. I'm not sure if it's real or if it's just something the app does on its own. If anyone else has experience with this app, what have you experienced, if anything? Maybe you've seen something crazy like I have. The first two years of my high school were like hell on earth. Being a person with ASD, that meant a one-way ticket into special education. Even though I really could function very well, not just socially, I endured a lot of bullying from my school from being in those classes. And even after I was deemed okay enough to return to regular classes, I was still picked on and bullied, and none of the teachers did anything about it. I remember there was this one girl, let's call her Sabrina, because she was a witch, but with a B instead of a W. She'd go out of her way to seek me out in between classes, just to call me names and get her friends to join in. They called me a lot of bad names, but if I ever called them any names back, they'd run to a teacher and tell them what I was doing. It's not like I didn't already try telling on Sabrina and her posse. It's just that when you literally have no friends to back you up, when no bystanders were willing to do anything, the teachers didn't tend to believe you or even try and alleviate the situation. There were a handful of teachers who liked me, but even they couldn't do anything without an eyewitness to back me up. And the school had a policy against using your cameras and video recording. Someone already filmed their bully and both of them ended up suspended. The person with the camera got suspended for breaking the school's policy. And if that's not screwed up, I don't know what is. I remember how one day it was after school, and I had stopped in to use one of the bathrooms. It was just my luck that Sabrina and her friends were in there by the sinks, talking to each other. They ignored me at first, so I went and did my business. However, when I was finished, I noticed that they were standing in front of the bathroom stall. 
Now I'm not pixie thin, and with the bulky backpack on, there was no way I'd be able to scoot myself under the gap between the stalls. I couldn't wait them out either, because my bus was second wave, and would be at the school pickup spot in about 30 minutes. So I had to swallow the lump in my throat, and walk out of the stall. I couldn't remember exactly what they were talking about, but I do remember yelling at one of them to stop filming me before I reported her to a teacher. That was a big mistake on my part, because two of them started to run at me. So I bolted out of the bathroom as if the hounds of Hades were on my heels. I ran into a substitute teacher as soon as I rounded the corner and blabbed to him about me being chased. Luckily, Tweedledum and Tweedledumber ran right around the corner then, and the substitute told me to go wait by the benches while he talked to them. I couldn't really hear what he was saying to them over the noise of the hall, but they walked away and he followed them. A few minutes later, I saw him come back with the girl who was recording me, as well as another person from that group. Then they headed down to the principal's office. I learned a few days later the video recording girl got expelled because this was her third offense at recording another student, plus proof of them harassing me. The other girls involved got in-school suspension for a week. You'd think that would stop Sabrina, but it didn't. She still continued to bully me, going as far as to put her hands on me in the lunchroom during breakfast because I was standing too close to her lunch table waiting for the bell to ring so I could leave for class. Luckily, halfway through the year, we got our schedules changed, so Sabrina and I barely saw each other. I thought I was safe, and I even made a new friend in one of my new classes. She was a beautiful girl with curly black hair that fell to her shoulders with bright hazel eyes. Let's call her Carly, because that was the name of her bird. Carly and I were friends for about three weeks. She asked for my phone number so she could call me sometime. I was naive and excited, so I agreed. But she never called me. Instead, I kept getting random text messages and calls from other numbers. All students who I know for certain that I did not give my phone number to. It was things like prank calling, even rape and death threats. It turns out that Carly was only pretending to be my friend because Sabrina had put her up to it. Sabrina had told her to be my friend and get my number, and then give it out to people. I felt hurt, so the next time I saw Carly, I started swearing at her and calling her all sorts of names. I even went as far as to bring up her personal home issues. One thing I can remember saying is, You think you can give out personal information like that? Well, guess what, everyone? Carly's mom is in jail because she did drugs and used to make Carly sleep in the basement. Her dad left her too. He didn't love her enough to stay. I was really, really mad at Carly. I mean, who wouldn't be if you were being harassed over the phone constantly? Anyway, Carly got suspended, and surprisingly, so did Sabrina, because Carly ratted her out to the assistant principal. Now, people were making fun of Carly for having a drug addict jailbird for a mother. But did I feel bad? No, she deserved it. Call me horrible, but if you're willing to fake friend someone and then give out their phone number so other people can harass them all day and night, then you deserve to have the beans spilled on you. Rule number one to trying to fake friend someone don't give out any personal information, because it can and will be used against you. So, after the Carly incident, things were back to normal, and some of the people sending threats over text were apprehended. And soon I didn't get any texts or calls from anyone after two months. I guess too many people were finally being caught, so they decided not to risk it. Fast forward to April, and I was waiting for my bus outside this time, 
Under the little roof that extended from the gym building that had a small wall you could sit on, I was standing there listening to music on my Chromebook, and one of the girls that was on my bus, let's say she's Harley, because she was always wearing something with Harley Davidson on it, she reached into her backpack and pulled out a pocket knife. It's common knowledge that you should never bring weapons to school, and Harley was scratching her name into the wall. One of her blonde friends began to scratch her name in it too, then she picked up the knife and began to point it at people, swinging it about wildly as if she was going to cut someone. Considering how many people were around that wall, there was a good chance she would accidentally cut someone. I was really nervous with that girl wielding the knife like that, so I told Harley to put it away before someone got hurt, or before a teacher saw. She told me to F off, and I asked her again to please put the knife away, but she still refused. I began to walk away from the wall to go find a teacher, and as I did, I heard Harley behind me, shouting that she would kill me with that very knife if I kept going. That only made me walk faster. I found a teacher and told her about Harley, her friend, and the knife, so she left to go find a security guard. By then, our bus had pulled up, and Harley got on before I did. Right before the bus driver was about to pull out of the pickup zone, the teacher was back with a security guard and he called for Harley to get off the bus. After she got off, we were driven home, and I didn't see Harley for the rest of the week. On Friday, after the bus dropped us off at our bus stop, some of Harley's friends came over to my side of the street. They told me that Harley had gotten suspended, and that if I was at the bus stop on Monday, they were going to gut me and disembowel me. I tried to run away and go home, but they followed me, saying that I would die so I ran all the way down to the railroad tracks and called my grandpa, crying at that point because I was terrified. Needless to say, I didn't go to school for the week because I was terrified of being jumped. My grandparents kept calling the school to get them to do something about it, but since they had no carbon proof that any threats were made against me, they let it slide. Eventually, I would go back to school to take my exams, but my grandparents would always drive me so I wouldn't have to wait outside. When I got home, I always beelined it for the railroad tracks to make sure none of those girls were following me. Every time I saw Harley, she would look at me with anger and do that finger-throat-slicing gesture. It was really creepy. When summer came, my grandparents decided to homeschool me. It's been almost a year now since that incident. I'm still scared to walk down my street, though, because those same girls still live nearby. Now, I only ever leave the house to go to the library. I haven't heard of any stabbings in my district yet, so I really hope that those girls either moved away or they got the help that they needed desperately. I was about seven years old, and what I'm about to tell you is a combination of my parents' stories and my recollection. I lived in a small town in New England, and has frequently been ranked as one of the safest towns in the state, and even the country, save for one occasion. In the late 2000s, specifically 2007 through 2009, children began to disappear from the surrounding towns. Soon, sightings of a white van near the last known whereabouts of the missing children fueled rumors saying that someone in a van was abducting them. I know the white van is an overworked cliché, but fear and paranoia did set in around our town. So I was in the third grade, and from what my mother tells me, 
the parents and teachers had a presentation about how to deal with school intrusions and how to protect the students in case of an emergency. It was November, about a week before Thanksgiving break. The Thursday before the weekend, we had a school-wide assembly about Stranger Danger, where we were given instructions to stay together, never travel alone, and always alert our parents and teachers to where we were going. My friend Kyle had heard his parents talking about the van and he told me. Of course, being a second grader, he exaggerated a bit. And if I recall correctly, Kyle told me that the guy was eating the kids. This really scared me. I'd gone home very upset and asked my mom myself about the van. She told me that it was just a rumor and that I was safe. Later that night, my parents were watching local news when the chief of police started his emergency press conference. In a breaking news segment, the channel cut to this press conference, which was being streamed throughout the state. From what I could pick up on, there was a manhunt, as they had a suspect who nearly abducted a four-year-old girl in a nearby town. My sister and I were soon commanded by our parents to go upstairs and to put our baby brother to bed and then get ready ourselves. We begrudgingly obliged. However, in recent years, my parents have told me the content of the press conference in greater detail. The police chief had said that many children in the area had gone missing, obviously, all with the same shiny and new white van in the vicinity. He advised parents to keep a strict eye on their children and to be hyper-vigilant for this vehicle and any other suspicious activity. Apparently, there had been some rumored specifications of the luring of children. The cliché, have you seen my dog bit? After that night, my parents had seemed more nervous than usual, which really concerned me. However, my friends and I continued our childish activities. The teachers and school administration also seemed a bit on edge and protective. For example, we had indoor recesses, and some teachers didn't allow the students to take as many bathroom breaks anymore. During the next few days, two more children had gone missing in the western portion of my state. A couple of days later, it was a beautiful and warm autumn day, and I begged my mom to let me go outside and play with Kyle, who was also my neighbor. There were surprisingly a fair amount of children out playing innocently, but under the watchful eyes of all the parents in the neighborhood. We were playing street hockey with two other neighborhood kids, and my sister was playing hopscotch with her friends, when suddenly a parent yelled out and called us in urgently. Out of curiosity, we looked around, and to my horror, we saw a shiny white van at the end of the street. Dude, said Kyle, that's the guy. He's gonna eat us. Oh, shut up, Kyle, I snapped. We quickly made our way towards the nearest house. Soon, the van began to drive toward the group of children in the street. All the kids ran to the nearest house, and the parents locked their doors and called the police. A man, about 45 to 50 years old, lugged himself out of the driver's side of the van. My parents yanked the curtains together in the living room, but I peeked out through the gap between the curtains, where I was able to see and hear through the windows the scariest moment of my childhood. Looking back, it was a very eerie scene. The street was empty, with abandoned children's toys sprawled about, and a middle-aged man next to a white van. The scene could literally not have looked more cliché. "'Has anyone seen my dog?' yelled the man. He was stumbling around the street, looking drugged or something. "'Hello?' he yelled out, louder and more severe. "'Is no child going to help me?' He yelled now, nearly a scream. "'What's wrong with you children?' You're naughty, naughty, naughty children. You must learn your lesson. 
He screamed while kicking over plastic tricycles and playhouses. The parents heard this and told us to go upstairs into the attic, not to come down or open the door for anyone. One of the fathers went into the closet beneath the stairs, where I heard him cocking a shotgun. There were two other kids with me and Kyle. We quickly made our way up to the attic. In the attic, there were two windows looking over the side of the street, barely making out the horrifying scene. Come out, come out, wherever you are. I, I was kidding. You're all very good children, screamed the man. The two other children with me and Kyle began to cry, understandably. I was more fascinated than scared, as young children aren't typically scared of humans just yet, mainly just monsters or the dark. Fine, you cause my dog to die alone and lost. I'll take one of yours and kill it. At that point, he charged toward the woods behind the houses, and after that, the faint sound of sirens came, and he never returned from those woods, leaving his van in the cul-de-sac. The police soon arrived. The police began to escort the children back to their parents and homes. Coming down from the attic, my parents hugged us, kissed us, and cried about how worried they were. And that's that, I hope. To this day, I haven't heard of them finding the man. In fact, I don't even know if he was responsible for the missing children. But most of us are certain that he was, because after this incident, children began to stop disappearing. Sadly, the children that did disappear were never found and the majority have been pronounced dead. They even have gravestones now. As I said before, so much of this sounds cliché, but I believe it's stories like these that created those stereotypes. When I was eight years old, my older sister taught me how to whistle. I don't know how, but in spite of being so young, I learned how to do it fairly quickly. From there, I would always whistle and had fun with it. I even bragged about it to my younger brother because he wasn't able to. Maybe that was a little mean. My mom always told me, though, to never whistle at night because that could attract the dead. I didn't believe her, though. I just thought she was annoyed by my whistling. Anyway, I shared a room with my little brother and he never had any problem sleeping. So basically, every night, I would stay up until 11 or 12, just lying there in my bed, even though I was supposed to be asleep by 9. But on one particular night, I just couldn't sleep. I checked my iPod, and it was around 11.30. So I got up and turned on multiple lights because I was afraid of the dark at the time. But then again, aren't all kids my age? So I went downstairs to get my drink. Then I went back up to bed and started whistling the song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. After about 20 minutes, I was finally able to go to sleep. Unfortunately, I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of someone else besides me whistling. I turned on my iPod, and right away it was so bright that I couldn't look straight at it for a few seconds. After those few seconds, the whistling only grew louder and louder. I was finally able to check the time on the screen, and it was about three in the morning. The whistling seemed to be getting closer and louder by the second, and it was clearly coming from the hallway of our home. I was so scared at that point. I was beginning to sweat. The only people in my family that can whistle like that, or bother to whistle, 
or my sister and my parents, but I knew they had to be asleep. I hid my head under my pillow, and I hoped that the whistling would soon go away, but of course, it still grew louder. I covered my ears, but that didn't help. I then slowly looked at my door, and I saw light glowing under it, and I was also glad that finally, the whistling had stopped. In my whole life, I've never been so afraid. I didn't go to sleep at all that night. The next morning, I fell asleep a couple of times because I was so tired, but I was at school and I got in trouble a few times. Still, it really helped. When I got home, I heard my dad telling my mom that he heard a whistling last night, so I quickly went to him and told him what I experienced. I told him that I heard it last night too. I asked my dad what he heard, and he said that last night around three, he woke up to someone whistling. He thought it was me doing it, because I always whistle. Then my dad said something that still haunts me to this day. He said he peeked out his door, and he saw a figure of a little boy, probably around my age. He was just sitting in the middle of the hallway on the floor, staring at the ceiling, whistling. Now I know all of this wasn't some nightmare anymore. Both me and my dad had basically experienced the same thing. After that, I slept with my parents for about a month. I was a bit too afraid to sleep alone, afraid that the whistling might come back. I'm 13 now, and I barely whistle at all, whether it's day or night. Maybe, after all, I should have listened to my mother's lesson. Maybe it really is a bad idea to whistle at night and invite the dead. This happened when my mom was in her early 20s. At the time, she was in the US Army. I think she was stationed in California, and she lived on the base. She'd been stationed there a while already. When this new guy arrived, let's call him Steve. She described him as the tall, dark, and handsome type, and was immediately stricken. Describing him as soft-spoken but kind whenever she was around him, she said all the girls in the base swooned over him, and she was both surprised and flattered when he asked her if she would like to go on a date with him one day. The next few months went on without a hitch. My mom said they'd gone on a few dates and even went camping together with some friends at one point. Nothing ever seemed too off about Steve while they spent their time together. She did say, though, that he'd gotten mad at her once, and that ended up being the reason they stopped seeing each other something I'm very grateful for. The way she described it was vague, but from what I pieced together, she had gone out for the day with some of her girlfriends and lost track of the time, and this resulted in her running very late for a date she and Steve had planned later that day. It was honestly an accident. I can understand being upset, but she said Steve wouldn't return her calls after that, and he completely cut contact with her even though she tried to call and apologize several times. Eventually, it was time to move on, to meet other people, seeing as Steve didn't want to communicate anymore. She admitted to me that she was a little bummed about not seeing Steve anymore, but not long after things ended with her and Steve, she met my dad. 
The last time she saw Steve was roughly six months into her relationship with my dad. She was visiting my dad at work one night. My dad worked at a gas station on the evening shifts, when suddenly, out of anyone that could have pulled up, Steve pulled in to fuel up his car. They exchanged brief pleasantries, and it turned out Steve had just been married earlier that same day. He and his new wife were buying fuel before setting out to their honeymoon. Once they filled up the car with gas, they left, and my mom quickly forgot about Steve, since she and my dad ended up getting married and having my brother and I a while later. The last time she'd ever heard anything about Steve was from one of her friends years later. Steve had been sentenced to prison for stabbing his wife 13 times in the chest with a knife. She never asked for details of what happened, and I'm sure she was too shocked to want to hear more anyway. And besides that, my mom knew the woman Steve had married. They weren't really friends, but mom said the girl was really friendly and was always a very nice person. What freaks me out is the idea of what could have happened to my mom if her relationship with Steve would have continued, if they had gotten married. Was he quiet because he was making up for a hidden temper, or did he lash out in some type of rage of passion while fighting with his wife? I think about this story quite often, and my heart hurts for the woman who lost her life. Even if you think you know a person, you might not know them at all. I'm not sure what this was. I know what most of the things out there are, but I can't give an exact name about what I saw in this story. It happened a few weeks ago. I live in a small town where everyone knows everyone, and things can get weird around here. The house I currently live in has woods in the backyard. We have a pool before you reach the tree line. We have two massive pit bulls, appropriately named Demon and Daisy. They are both very intimidating, looking both mean and muscular, but to us they are very harmless. We also have a Chihuahua. His name is Hayden, and he's way too hyperactive. Well, one day, it was close to midnight when I had to take him to the backyard with the two other dogs in the fenced-in area. I forgot to mention that before you get to the pool, we do have two horses that live in that area. Anyway, as I was filling up their food bowls, all three of the dogs were acting funny, the horses were bouncing around erratically too, and I assumed it was because I was feeding all the animals too late. When all of their food bowls and buckets were full, I walked out of the place where we kept the grain, and my nose was met with a horrible scent. It was the smell of rotting flesh. I gagged at the smell, but went on to feed the horses. I was filling the bucket tied up for the smaller horse when all three of the dogs went ballistic, starting to jerk around. I looked around me, trying to find out what set the dogs off. I saw nothing, so I finished the bucket off and went to grain the mother horse. I dumped her grain and go to leave the horse's pen. When the horses begin to act worse, they're nickering and neighing, stomping their feet. These two horses specifically I've never seen act like that. They're usually so gentle, and they're very nice, so seeing them act frenzied, it really worried me. I'd brought my LED flashlight with me, or rather my dad's. I shine it around looking for what startled them, and I wish I had never done it. At the pool near the tree line, I saw this animal. 
It was hunched over like it was eating or chewing on something, and it was facing away from me. I glance over to the dogs, and they're cowering away but growling at this thing. This creature, I soon realized, was covered in blood, and it definitely wasn't human. In fact, it was unlike any animal I've seen before. The creature was so skinny, its limbs too long and thin. I've listened to stories about skinwalkers, wendigos, and even flesh gates. Well, whatever this thing really was, I did not want it hurting my animals. With the flashlight on, I picked up a nearby rock. Even for a girl, I was pretty bold, but this was adrenaline, and per stupidity, I knew that this thing could kill me, but I felt a bit safer considering my dogs and horses were out there with me. With all my strength and adrenaline, I chunked the rock at this thing. The first one missed and hit the chain link fence just beyond it, and the thing acted like it hadn't seen, either that or it didn't care. I grabbed a bigger rock and I chunked it again, and this time it connected. The rock hit this thing in its fleshy back, then landed on its foot. The creature howled in pain, screamed, whatever it was, it was an awful noise. I can still hear it ringing in my ears. Luckily, though, this creature took off at an inhuman speed, jumping right over the chain link fence. I know it's still out there. Sometimes I still smell that awful smell. Well, this creature did come back. Later on, we had to give Daisy back to the person we got her from, because she was beginning to become a pain to keep. Though the night it came back, it wasn't alone. Again, I had just gotten home from school, and it was getting dark really early, so it was dark when I went to feed the animals. Demon had been acting funny. I had the feed bucket on me, so I set it down and turned to Demon. I got him loose and let him inside. When I came back out into the garage, I smelled that same smell from before. My heart sank, and I gagged and covered my nose. Stupidly, I peeked around the blue door that leads outside. Standing over the feed bucket stood two tall, pale, skinny beings, the same as the one before. I watched them as they picked up the grain and began to chew on it. Piece by piece, they ate the grain. My little dog Hayden came up and began to bark at the things, and both of them jerked inhumanly towards us. I squeaked and yelped as I grabbed the blue door, and I slammed it shut, locking it, and had one of those sliding locks, and I pressed my weight against the door. I suddenly heard both of those things scream outside, and then suddenly, they slammed against the door. I wasn't expecting it, and it made my bones hurt. Luckily, between the lock and my weight, the door kept closed. Hayden had cowered back in fear now, and I waited for another slam, but nothing came. I let up on the door and my body was sore and stiff as I walked inside. My family had been gone for a while to bring back something to eat, and when they got back, I didn't tell them. I figured they'd call me crazy. When I was 16, I had an experience that I can easily say is the scariest of my life. I was walking to meet my mother after she was finished work. Normally, I would have been fine to walk there because it was only around 6.30 in the evening. But this happened in November or December, so it was already pitch black outside. Not to mention that evening, it was pouring rain 
and the wind was beyond a roar. I couldn't find my raincoat either, so I wore a regular jacket and used an umbrella. As such, I was soaking wet in no time. I walked as fast as I could as I was freezing, and I just wanted to get this over with. When I was about four blocks away from my mother's workplace, the area of the sidewalk I was walking along had spaces to angle park on one side and railings on the other. Beyond the railings, there is a steep drop to the beach below. There were almost no cars around because of the storm in the time of night, and the whole time I was out walking, I didn't see one other person out there. As I hurried along, I suddenly noticed a silver pickup truck driving along the road next to me, and then I noticed that it was driving a little too slow for my comfort. But I figured the driver was having trouble finding his way through the darkness, and I soon discovered I was wrong. The truck soon sped up and pulled into a parking space a few feet in front of me in easily the fastest parking job I've ever seen. They were definitely in some kind of hurry. I was immediately alarmed and paused for a moment. I didn't want to walk forward because I would be passing by that truck. I decided to hurry past it and hope that nothing would happen. But as I passed in front of the truck, a large man jumped out of the driver's side and began to walk onto the sidewalk behind me. Fear took hold because I wasn't sure what to do. He followed close right behind me, almost stepping on my heels. I began to tell myself that I should scream, that I should run for it, but my mind was racing, so instead I turned to try to look at the guy. Since I only turned my head and not my whole body, I couldn't see much of him because my umbrella was in the way. I wasn't going to take the time to get a good look either. All of this only lasted a few seconds, but it felt like it lasted much longer. So I decided to quickly turn off the sidewalk to get away from the guy, and then I ran across to the other side of the road. I wasn't going to wait for any amount of time to cross it, so I ended up narrowly avoiding an oncoming car. Thankfully, the man did not follow me. I stopped running once I was on the other side. Looking back, I probably should have but at the time, I thought that it might draw more attention to myself, unwanted attention. If this man wanted the thrill of chasing some teenage girl, running away would only entice him. I felt like my body was full of adrenaline. I no longer felt how cold I was from the rain or how much my feet were hurting from walking. I just felt fear and desperation. I didn't even look back at the man or his truck. Mere seconds later, I saw the same truck driving past me again, much faster than it had been driving before. About a block up the road, I saw a group of teenagers loitering around, which was a bad idea to do during a storm, but I felt a small amount of comfort knowing that at least a few people were around. I safely got to my mother's place of work, but I never told her about what happened. Despite the scary situation, I still really enjoyed walking around at night and I was afraid if I told her, if she knew, then she wouldn't want me out at night anymore. I had no idea what that man had on his mind that night. I always try to tell myself that he wasn't stopping or getting out of his car for me. Maybe he stopped to look at the ocean. Lots of people do that along that stretch of road. Maybe he was getting out of his car to smoke. But these ideas don't really hold up. It was pitch black that night. So any view of the ocean would have been limited at best, and I'm not sure if it would have been possible to smoke in the rain that hard. 
anyway. He could have just done those things from the comfort of his car if he wanted to. It was suspicious how slowly he drove, how he parked right in front of me, how he got out of his truck and began to follow me without an umbrella. And even better, the moment I ran to the other side of the road, he simply got back in his truck and came my way again. The guy didn't even turn the engine off to his truck when he got out. It seems like any other explanation is false. It's super creepy that he was following that close behind me, and I can't help but wonder if he was planning to grab me or say something to me. If so, what was he truly planning? I was carrying a bag, so maybe he wanted to mug me. Of course, I've wondered if he was a kidnapper or rapist as well. I can't imagine how different my life would be today if I never got away from him. I think the only thing that stopped him was when he noticed that there were other people on the side of the road with me. Apparently, whatever he did want to do, he wasn't ready to have witnesses involved. About 10 years ago, I was going through a bad time in my life. I was very depressed and found myself just driving around to different places. Sometimes I'd stop at little random stores or bars and try to start up conversations with random people. I just needed to get out of my own mind. I ended up meeting the owner of one of these stores through my wanderings. Let's call him Dave. We would drink coffee, play chess, chain smoke, and talk about music and life. Dave was a cool guy. I think he knew that I just needed a distraction and some company, and he was very happy to accommodate me. One day our conversation came to creepy experiences we'd had. I had told him about the weird house I grew up in, which prompted him to bring up the woods. There's a lake not too far, maybe 30 minutes drive from where we were. The lake was a huge quarry back in the 40s that had been turned into a reservoir in the 70s and 80s. Not too important. What is important is the history of tragedy, both on the lake and when the site was a quarry. The area was apparently some native land at one point in time as well. Dave described going out to a specific point in those woods, skirting the lake. He would go with a group of friends that wanted to try and coax spirits out. Dave told me how a strange fog would roll in out of nowhere. There would be noises and other strange things. People would get touched by something and he relayed his feelings of being followed through the woods. He made it clear that he had no intention of ever going back. According to him, he and many others that had went there began having trouble at home after a few visits in those woods. It took me a few tries to get Dave to give me directions to the place. He drew me a map for the last leg of the journey, as you have to go through a few stretches of unmarked dirt roads to get there. I was honestly so adamant of getting directions because his story was so remarkable to me and he seemed so genuinely unsettled while telling me about it. I was just too curious. As the sun began to go down, Dave and I parted ways and I got back in my truck. I decided, even with Dave's warnings, that I would venture into those woods and see for myself. I had just about everything in my truck I would need to go into the woods by myself. Boots, flashlights, batteries, water, and a jacket for the cool September night. I was ready, so I headed out. 
Now, I will say that yes, going out to the woods by myself was stupid. I knew that going in, but I'm a hunter, a hiker, and a camper. I go out in the woods all the time, and I wasn't planning on staying all night, nor is the site out in the middle of nowhere, because there's civilization about a mile or two down the road. So I got to the point in my journey where I had to use the directions drawn for me. I could see just how secluded this area was. It went from being a house every 50 yards to every 100, then the house has stopped altogether, and it was just dirt road and trees. And then I saw it, the two gates. One gate led to a campground on the left, the other to the woods where I would soon regret entering. I parked my truck, grabbed my stuff, and headed over to the gate. On the gate, there was a keep out sign. It was obviously very old and worn. The path behind the gate was long and winding and had a steep downward angle. Ignoring the sign, I started down the path, moving my flashlight from left to right, then down, to keep an eye on my footing. I must have been 200 yards down the path when a group of deer startled me and I them. The cool breeze on my face helped me compose myself and continue on. Finally, the path leveled out, and I came to the right turn that Dave had said should be there, then the clearing about 100 feet further. The clearing had a steep rise into a heavily wooded area to the right, and a flatter and still tree-laden area near the lake to my left. I decided to rest for a bit and get acclimated to the woods for a while in the clearing. I clicked off my light and lit a cigarette. I was careful to cover the cherry of my smoke to try and let my eyes adjust. I was probably sitting there for about 20 minutes before I had my first sense of unease. On the way down, there were the usual noises of the woods. Animals, bugs, the wind, you know, forest sounds. I noticed all of a sudden that I'd been sitting in almost complete silence, besides my own movement. I also noticed the complete lack of air movement, almost like I was sitting in a cold, dark basement. The silence was unnatural and wrong. With the hairs on the back of my neck at full attention, I clicked my light on, and in front of and all around me, a white fog had come out of nowhere. This wasn't your typical fog either. It was only about a foot thick and stuck low to the ground. Against my better judgment, I turned the light off and leaned back against the stump I was on, using it as a backrest. As I sat there listening to nothing, I could first hear then feel the zipper on my jacket move slightly on its own like something was gently tapping it, side to side. I tensed up, only for the cloth end of my zipper to be pushed up to my chin. Freaked out, I jumped up, clicked on my light, and tried to make sense of it. A bug, not that I could find. Wind, maybe, but there was none. A little creeped out at this point, and decided to head a little further down the path. Again, I knew this was a bad idea. The path headed back uphill to another part of the woods, the path began to narrow, and ahead of me, there was a very narrow line through a thick growth of trees that I didn't have the courage to press through. I was already dreading my walk back through the strange fog. Deciding to calm my nerves, I lit another smoke. Well, I attempted to, anyway. As I lit my lighter, the flame shot over to the left, as if a strong wind had pushed it over. Again, there was no wind. I felt nothing on my hands. I shrugged it off and struck again. This time, it laid over to the right. It was like I had held my hand out of a moving car window. I could hear the flame roaring against whatever force was forcing it over. Then, I heard it. At first, I thought I was hearing a branch fall from a tree. As my mind was rationalizing the noise, I realized the limb had been falling, 
and falling, and now sounded as if it were coming towards me rather than falling down. I could hear the branch, if that's what it was, hitting other limbs and smacking tree trunks as it passed behind me and then around my front. I panicked. I couldn't move. I grabbed my knife from my pocket and got ready to defend myself. Then I heard the laughter. One, two, then three different people laughing up the hill to my right. The laughter echoed through the cool night air. The voices just laughed, laughs that sounded more unstable than happy. Gazing towards the sounds, I saw what appeared to be a figure holding a lantern about twenty yards into the thick woods. The light coming in and out as the figures moved through the woods, the pale orange light barely illuminated what looked like three dark figures. At that moment, I turned and ran. I ran as fast as I could, almost outrunning the light of my flashlight, it seemed. As I came back into the clearing, I fell on my chest hard. I had caught my boot on a fallen log and knocked the wind right out of me. Thankfully, during the fall, I threw my knife instead of letting it stab me. My flashlight lay just out of my reach, so gasping, I crawled towards the still-lit flashlight. As my hand grabbed hold of it, another flurry of laughter and falling stick noises erupted to my left, this time all too close. A small thicket of bushes moved as my light came up, as if someone or something had slipped back into concealment. I was done. I power-walked towards the path that had brought me in. The noises had ceased, but I wouldn't turn around to look. I couldn't. As I came to the bend, something on the ground caught my eye. In a bare patch of dirt free of leaves, there were two distinct handprints in the damp earth. Handprints that looked like they dug their fingers into the ground as they were being dragged away. I hadn't seen them on the way in, and they looked fresh. Again, I was running, up the long steep hill and hearing all manner of noises behind me as I did. Between my crunches and breathing, I could hear cruel grunts and noises that sounded like anger that couldn't be put into words. I ran and ran until I could see my truck reflecting through the sparse trees. I fumbled to unlock my doors and start my truck. I instantly hit my high beams to cast light down the hill. There was nothing there, not a soul. But a second later, I could see two yellow dots peek around a large tree fifty yards down. For a moment they held my gaze, then disappeared back behind the tree. Throwing my truck into reverse, I drove backwards until I got to the first turn out of the woods. I drove forward onto the first of many dirt roads out of the place. I drove faster and faster, feeling as if I was still running for my life. I could feel a force bearing down on my back and neck, as if I was being chased by something still, like something had latched onto me. Finally I hit asphalt and I drove as fast as I could until I saw headlights from another vehicle. I kept driving until I was home, not even taking the time to light a cigarette during the hour-plus ride. I just drove in silence. That feeling of being latched onto returns to me all too often, especially when I think about my night in those woods. Writing this gives me a sense of being watched even now. I will never return to those woods, and I'll never tell a soul how to get there. With the Ringling Brothers Circus shutting down, I thought it'd be the perfect time to share the incident that I had with them. 
Now, I was and still am very terrified of clowns. I always have been since I was small. I don't know exactly why they creep me out. Maybe it's because they always act goofy and enjoy getting too close to children with their creepy-as-hell makeup. I don't know. Anyway, the year was 2002, or 2003, I can't quite remember. I was seven at the time, and Ringling Brothers was in our town for a few days. My parents thought it'd be a blast to take my brother and I to our very first circus. The two of us were extremely nervous kids. We knew the place would be crawling with clowns, but my dad kept reassuring us they were all friendly and fun. As we were walking up to the arena, they actually had a few of their animals and clowns outside. My brother and I, of course, began to cry, but my dad did his best to keep them away from us and to calm us down. Most of them understood and would back away. As we were petting the animals, I couldn't help but glance over back to the clowns as they performed their small tricks for the families. They all had happy faces and joyful personalities, although one of them did stick out. Just a few feet away from the other clowns, I noticed that one of them wasn't really cheerful or brightly colored. He wore what I could have sworn was a mop on his head with a badly painted frown on his face. His attire was simply a red and white striped suit. I tried my best to ignore him as my parents dragged me inside the arena. The show started shortly after, and my brother and I found ourselves having fun. Everything was beautiful, and the acts were quite amazing. I remember watching the comedic daredevil Bellow Knock performing his motorcycle act on the tightrope, and right after that a voice came over the speakers and invited the families with their children to come on down and play with the clowns and win prizes. My dad had already grabbed my hand and started to take me down. I tried to tell him I wasn't interested in the prizes, but he didn't want me to miss out on the fun, as he put it. The prizes were nothing but souvenirs like toys and shirts, but I had to admit the games did look fun. The clowns weren't at all the games, thank God. As I was playing a game of beanbag toss, I spotted in the corner of my eye that same baggy clown, the one with the big frown on his face. He was in the corner, like he was almost trying to hide. I watched a kid walk over to him, and the man seemed surprised but happy as well. For a few minutes they spoke, and I saw the man lean down and whisper in the kid's ear. I saw the kid jump with joy as he grabbed the man's hand. They began to walk to one of those nearby exits that led outside, and they just left. At the time, I thought the kid won some kind of special prize, and I didn't say anything to my dad or the fellow workers. Not even ten minutes later, I saw one of the moms running to the guards and workers, asking about her son, who had apparently gone missing. Some of the workers that stood by began to help her look, and I remember being really confused. I guess she hadn't seen her son walk away with the clown. I tugged at my dad's shoulder and told him I saw the boy. My dad asked where I saw him, and after I told him what happened, he took me over to the security guards, and we both told them what happened. At first, they were somewhat relaxed about the situation. I guess to them it sounded like the kid got lost, and one of their clowns took him to get help. I remember there was one worker who wore a black suit with a button that said Ringling come over. He asked me to describe the clown so they could go and confront him. After I gave them the description, his eyes widened, and he asked me again if that's exactly the attire the man had on.
With a nod of my head, he and the guards quickly made their way outside. I was confused at the situation, but my dad, who was a cop at the time, knew exactly what had happened. You see, some guy dressed up as a clown and managed to sneak his way inside with the others. He had just managed to get one of the kids and sneak away with them, and luckily he didn't get very far, because around 20 minutes later, they came back with the boy in tears. I assumed they had the man arrested, and afterwards another man came over and told me I did a great job. He gave me a videotape for helping them, and I still have it to this day. The show went on without any other incidents, and when I got older, my dad told me exactly what truly happened. And honestly, his explanation of the story only helped to fuel my phobia of those smiling bastards. I've come into contact with things that I believe are paranormal ever since I was 13. I often heard knocks and voices when no one was there. I've even had things thrown at me, and I've woke up on a couple of occasions with cuts all over my body. We moved away from that house, though, when I was 15. But my scariest experiences happened in our current house when my parents weren't home. They were out on a two-day vacation to get some alone time, and everything was pretty calm. I was sitting on the couch one day, watching episodes of The Walking Dead, and take note that this happened in 2013. My cat was lying next to me, making a soft snoring sound as she slept. Everything seemed peaceful. Everything seemed normal. When there was a sudden knock on my door... At the same time, me and my cat quickly moved our head towards the front door to get a look. Then there was another knock, and another. They were slow, but very loud. This was bizarre, because my parents left this morning. They were going to be in a whole different state. If it was anyone, it was probably the neighbor. So I got up and went to the door, and I looked out the peak hole. It was still dark out, so I wasn't able to see much but I could very obviously see a girl just outside my door. I was able to make out her blonde hair, and she was wearing a blue galaxy sweatshirt. Right away, I was stunned, because that was exactly what I was wearing, and my hair was blonde as well. A little creeped out, I opened the door, but no one was out there. I mean, the little girl I had just seen was somehow completely gone without a trace. I stepped outside still, looking around for the girl with the blonde hair, but of course I saw no one. I went back inside slowly, and I made sure to lock the door. I continued to keep watching The Walking Dead with my cat, on high alert. I started thinking about what had happened. Was it my imagination? If it was, then why did my cat hear it too? Soon everything was quiet again, the only noise being the TV. It went on like this for about ten more minutes, until I heard the same knocking, but from the back door this time. It was the same pattern and loudness of the knocks before, slow, yet very audible. Now, the back door is in the kitchen, and our couch was set in front of the kitchen, so when you look behind you, you can very clearly see the back door. Our back door was see-through, glass was on the inside, and there was a protective screening on the outside. But when I looked at the back door... I screamed, because that was the same girl with the blonde hair and the blue galaxy sweatshirt, 
But that wasn't what scared me so. It was because she looked exactly like me. It was like I was over there behind the back door, knocking slowly. I saw her smile so big her cheeks were starting to rip. It was disturbing to see me do that. She moved her hand to the outside handle and began to try to open the door. Thankfully, it was locked. I was petrified in horror, watching this clone of myself. She began to scream. She even sounded like me, until her voice got deep and crackly, as if she had a hoarse throat. Then the screaming died down, and she spoke. She spoke in the most inhuman, terrifying voice I have ever heard. Let me in. Let me in. I was horrified. This girl, it no longer sounded like me. My cat was now going crazy, growling at this thing. The creature who looked like me, she continued to beg to be let inside. I didn't want any more of this. I grabbed my cat and ran upstairs to my room. I locked every door behind me, and I sat on the floor next to my bed. Then the worst happened. I heard a loud crash of broken glass downstairs, and as soon as I heard it, I began to hyperventilate. I was crying a river of tears. My cat was now scratching at the door, growling at whatever was outside. Then there was a knock on my door, the same all-too-familiar knock, and then a different voice, yet still familiar. Sweetie, let me in. Whatever it was was now trying to sound like my mom, but I know it wasn't her. The voice wasn't perfect, and it was still far from human. She said it one more time, and the knocking got louder and faster. Soon it all faded, and everything went quiet again. I waited a few hours, and everything was still quiet. Soon I gathered enough courage to open my door. The TV was still playing and I go downstairs and the house was completely trashed. Everything was out of place, and the back door in the kitchen was shattered to pieces. My cat was behind me. I looked over to the couch and there she was. Me, sitting on the love seat, staring at me, smiling that broken smile. I ran for the front door, but the girl laughed maniacally. I opened the door and ran outside, and remembering my cat, I looked behind me. That was a bad idea. Following behind me was my cat, but following the both of us was that thing. I ran faster all the way to my neighbor's house, and I pounded on the door, never looking back behind me again. My neighbor couldn't open the door fast enough. I rushed my way inside without a word, and she shut the door and asked me what was wrong. I told her what I saw, and I don't think she believed me. All she replied was, Honey, do you know how late it is? But luckily she let me sleep over at her house. The next day, although hesitant, I went back to my home and I was confused. Because the place was totally fine. Inside was how it always looked. Nothing was out of place or broken. The screen door was normal again. And the TV was even still on. And from then on everything was fine again. The only weirdness I experienced were a few knocks on the door here and there, but never did I go investigate again. Nothing similar has ever happened after this, and I never told my parents about what happened. 
because I know they'd think I was crazy and they would no longer trust me to be home alone. Now that I'm older, some sick part of me hopes to see it again, to at least find out what that thing was, the thing that looked exactly like me. Something happened when I went camping with some friends of mine back when I was 15 years old. I had just gotten out of school, and I believe it was winter break, but I was invited by some friends to go camping near a casino my family liked going to. I asked my godfather for permission, and he allowed me to go. So soon I was off with my friends on a very long car ride. After what seemed like hours, we finally arrived at our destination, at the campground. I had thought it would be like in the movies and stuff, all foresty and creepy, but it was more like a farm. Of course there were trees, but they were short, and there were massive hills that caught my attention when we parked the car. The reason the hills caught my attention was because I saw what seemed to be a cave up in the hills, and after we were done setting stuff up, we went around them and explored. I had asked my friends if they wanted to check out the cave, and they were completely down. We began to walk up to the behemoth-like hill, and after like 20 minutes of a hike, we finally made it. Our only mistake was that we didn't bring any flashlights, and the cave was very dark. We still went inside cautiously, and as I walked around, there was only one dang thing on my mind, and it was the hills have eyes. I kept making jokes, trying to tease my friends about seeing one of those cannibals from the movie. We were venturing pretty deep into the cave, and I remember stepping on what I believed to be a water bottle. We all stood still, when suddenly, from the other end of the cave, we heard someone cough. We weren't alone. We all ran out of that cave, looking at each other, both excited and freaked out. As we began to walk down back to the campsite, we all had our theories as to what we heard, as to who made that cough. They said that maybe someone else was exploring the cave, but I thought it was some homeless person living in there. We finally reached the bottom of the hill and arrived at the campsite to tell my friend's dad the story. He just laughed at the entire thing and just told us to eat. So we did. Night came on really fast, and by then we were all on our phones trying to get some reception, but it was useless out there. There was no service. My friend's dad asked us to stay near the fire, so we all gathered round the fire pit, but I kept looking up towards the hill, trying to find where the cave was, and as soon as I caught a glimpse of it, I kid you not, I saw a flash of light coming from the direction of the cave. I don't really know how to explain it. I don't know if it was from a camera or something like that, but it really startled me. I asked out loud if anyone else saw that, and they replied with, saw what? I didn't want to explain it, so I brushed it off and said never mind. After all, it could have been nothing. Later on, we had all gotten ready to go to bed, and we were in our tents. There were two giant tents, one for me and a friend, and another for my other friend and his dad. I was lying down and waiting for them to go to bed. When everyone was asleep, I just looked out the side of the tent and began to think to myself if that was actually a flash from a camera. And why would the person in the cave be taking pictures? With these bizarre thoughts on my mind, I eventually fell asleep. 
I woke up a few hours later, maybe around one in the morning, and I had to take a leak. I tiptoed out of my tent, and the first thing I realized was that it was freezing outside and that everything was still pitch black. I could see thousands of stars overhead, which made for a very beautiful night. I took out my phone and turned on the flashlight so I could see where I was going. I found a spot and began to do my business, but suddenly, right in the middle of it, I remember hearing some leaves crunching in the distance, something walking around up ahead. My heart dropped, and painfully, I stopped what I was doing and crouched down, shaking in fear of what I heard. At first, I assumed it was some animal, so I began to relax, until I heard a deep voice make that noise when you clear your throat. It wasn't very far from us, maybe 200 steps away from the tents, but the thing was, it was pitch black, and I was in sandals. I took off my sandals and made a run for it. Only two seconds later, I hear footsteps behind me, and I hear someone breathing hard as they chase after me. I was horrified. I had no idea who this was or what they wanted, but the moment I was close to the tents again, I let out a scream for help, but that didn't stop whoever was behind me as they grew closer and closer. But I didn't expect my friend's dad to come out, holding both a flashlight and a gun. He screamed at me to get down, and he told the man to stop. The guy stared at me, and I noticed that he was holding something in his hand. It appeared to be some sort of branch that he had sharpened up to a sharp point. I looked at this guy dead in his eyes, and I wish I hadn't. He grinned at me, showing a bunch of missing teeth, and threw the wooden stick at my dad's friend, but felled miserably. My dad's friend then fired some shots from his gun, but he missed and the guy ran off. We later learned that he missed on purpose, that he wasn't planning on shooting anybody that night. Due to the gunshots, all my friends woke up, and we were smart enough not to stay and see if that man came back. We packed our crap and left. I'm not sure if it was the same guy we heard in the cave, but all in all, this experience scared the living hell out of me. If you go camping, just be careful out there. You really never know who you'll run into. As of writing, this story took place five nights ago, which was on 6-23-2017. I'm 17 years old, and today was the day of my best friend Jesse's birthday. He was turning 18. Me being his best friend, it was my duty to make sure he had a great birthday. So I shot him a text, and we made plans. At first, he was thinking about just hanging out with his girlfriend, but soon we made plans to camp out at our secret spot, a secret campsite. Eventually, we met up around 9 that night at the city park. The park was pretty close to our site. Better yet, when we found each other, we ran into two of our other friends, Tyler and Timmy. Tyler told us he was walking Timmy home, and we agreed to walk with them for a bit. Well, we ended up walking with them until we got to Main Street. Jesse and I told them goodbye, and we headed to the campsite. By the time we got there, it was already getting dark, so I quickly made a campfire. While I was working on it, 
Jesse suddenly got a call from Tyler. He answered it, and I could faintly hear Tyler over the phone. All of a sudden, Jesse put the call on speakerphone and told Tyler to tell us. At this point, I was confused. You two are not going to believe this, I heard Tyler say in a very panicky tone. I'd never heard him sound like that before. He had never been an anxious guy. He continued, When me and Timmy were crossing the Main Street Bridge, we looked down the river, and we thought we saw the reflection of your guy's fire. He suddenly fell silent for a few moments. He was thinking hard, or maybe he was afraid to keep going. But soon he did. But then that's when we both saw something, he said. So I asked, of course, what did he see? I, I don't know, man. It looked like something running with all fours, on the water. I froze. He was talking about the river, the same river that was flowing only 50 feet away from our campsite. I could see it from here. Timmy began to confirm it. Before hanging up the phone, we told them to be safe. Then we ended the call. Once Jesse and I were alone again, we came to the conclusion that they were lying to us trying to prank or scare us, since they also knew where our secret campsite was, not to mention it was the kind of thing I wouldn't put it past them. Well, around two in the morning, our campfire was starting to die. It had rained a little bit earlier, so it was hard to find dry wood. Eventually, we gave up on the fire and decided to just walk around town. We came to the park and walked there for a while, but quickly we left when a cop showed up. We decided to go on a trail that runs through a wooded area. It was a frequent jogging trail, a place I knew really well. So we started down the trail and I checked my phone. The trail had a stone path and was covered in trees from both sides. A wooden railing lined the left side of the trail, since it was on top of a hilly area. We began to walk into the darkest part of the path. We were both extremely quiet, trying to be as quiet as possible the whole walk. As we came across a bend, we could see an area of light. It was an exit from the trail that led to a church parking lot. And just then, the two of us both froze in our steps. The most terrifying noise began to come from ahead of us. I'll never forget it, and I'll never be able to completely describe in full the terror that I felt from it. The best way I can describe it, it was a young woman crying but somehow it was laughing at the same time, and there was a demonic tone to it. I nearly wet myself from the sound alone, but just then, I noticed what was making the noise. I turned to the left of the trail, only to see a blur of pale gray. When I adjusted my eyes to it, I was able to make out some of the features. It looked like a naked, hairless human. It had a gray tone to its skin, and it had large dark spots where its eyes should have been. But then I realized its arms were twice as long as a person's, and I then noticed it was slowly coming towards us. The only words I could breathe out were, What the fuck is that? I'd never felt my heart beat as fast as I did. We both turned and ran as fast as we could. We found another exit and both decided to just go home. The entire walk there was both creepy and silent. The only words we said to each other that night afterwards was goodnight, 
when we finally got home. I'm a policeman's daughter, and after what happened to me, I realized I should have known better. You see, about eight years ago, I had a very odd living arrangement going on in my house. I was still in school, but my cousin in her twenties had moved into our home to live, because he had been living in an abusive environment all his life and had finally wanted out. Also at the time, my mom and dad were going through a divorce, so I lived between homes. Obviously, this caused a lot of unrest, and even though I was still young, I was suffering from a lot of mental health problems. These problems still plague me to this day, but I'd learned not to be so compulsive after this particular incident. My cousin and I didn't really get along. He was thoughtless, and he could be really mean. My mom was either overlooking it because of her own troubles with my dad, or she figured it was him letting off the stress he'd held back all his life. Either way, there was a lot of fighting in my home at the time. One particular night, my cousin finally came home in a very crappy mood. I was avoiding him because I was having trouble at school and I was in a bad way and had hidden in my room. Needless to say, my cousin's bad mood rubbed off on my mom and before I knew it, there was an argument. This wasn't just a few nasty words and then someone would walk off. This was a full-on screaming match that lasted into the early hours of the morning. This is where I made a mistake that would haunt me for a while. Finally having enough of the screaming and banging on doors at around 2.30, I pulled on my jeans and hoodie and left the house. Just for a little information, I'm very short for my age. This often fools people into thinking I'm younger than I am. Luckily, since I was seven, I had been taking martial arts classes, and by the time of this story, I was two belts away from black belt and karate. People who know me know this wonder why this incident scared me, but as I said, I've suffered from mental health for years, and when you're not thinking straight, even years of martial arts doesn't help. Anyway, I walked the streets for ages that night. I live on a council estate in the UK, and as bad as people think it is living on one, in particular the one I lived on, I never had trouble with crime and I never felt unsafe. As a kid, my friends and I would often run riots around the streets of our estate at all hours, and we never had any trouble. This, of course, left me with a false sense of security, a sense that I no longer have. At the top of my street behind my house, there is a main road. It goes straight through my estate and out into the next. Across from that, there are three shops. The third shop in the line tends to stay open late, because of the pub not far away. Around kicking out time, you can get a lot of drunks who want snacks or more beer. So I walk the streets up the main road, coming out of an alleyway opposite the shops. The last shop, as usual, was still open, but empty, and I continued walking on the opposite side of the road. And this is where it gets a little freaky. I was emotional at the moment, and even though I'd acknowledged that the shop was open, I walked to the left, away from the shop lights, onto the dimly lit main road. For some reason, the street lamps that night looked dimmer, and I don't know why. It would only serve to add to the horror I felt as I walked, sniffling and crying and shivering in the night air, when suddenly I heard someone whistling. 
It wasn't a casual whistle someone does as they walk along or work. It was shrill, and it made me jump when I heard it. Glancing back over my shoulder, I saw a man walking on the opposite side of the road by the shops. He had the hood of his white hoodie pulled up, and he was watching me intently as he strolled along in the same direction as me. It unnerved me somewhat, because I hadn't seen anyone when I'd looked up before, and there had been no one in the shop when I looked through the windows from across the street. This guy had just seemed to appear from nowhere. Needless to say, I continued walking, a little faster than before, and I was silently kicking myself when I felt around in my pockets and realized I had left my phone and keys at home when I stormed out. The stretch of main road I was walking on was dimly lit and is mostly businesses who close well before it gets dark, so I was very much alone with this man, whistling and strolling his way along opposite me. Soon the whistles began to make sense to me in my muddled brain, and it made me cringe with fright. I am a big fan of the Kill Bill movies, and it struck me that this man was whistling the song from the movie. I believe it's called Twisted Nerve. This scared the hell out of me, because what freak does that in the middle of the night, all while following a lone young girl down the street? I sped up even more, and he seemed to match me in pace. On the other side of the road, I could see that he was level with me as we walked, and he was watching me quite openly. Then I heard him call across the road. Hey, girl, he said. So many red flags were going off in my head, and I was now panicking. I ignored him and looked down at the ground as I walked. Don't you think it's a little late for little girls to be out? He called again, and I gritted my teeth. I can still remember part of me getting angry and bawling my fists into my pockets. If he did come across the road, I'd have to run for it, but if he caught me, I was totally ready to fight, and fight hard. He began to whistle again, his head still turned toward me. I was a little confused when he walked ahead of me, and even though I kept watching him, I slowed down, hoping that he would carry on his merry way and get lost. That little relief turned to fear as the guy turned without warning and stepped off the curb into the empty road to cross over to my side. In my horror, I stopped and stood staring at him. As he made his way across the road, he then stood facing me with only fifteen feet between us. I'll walk you home, he said. Then he took a step towards me. Come on, let's go home together. He opened his arms to me, as if waiting for a hug. Behind him, turning onto the main road, were headlights of a car. The idea of running out into the road and toward the headlights became a very real possibility as I backed away a couple of steps away from this creep. I don't know what made him turn, but he did and I took the moment to run into the road and start waving my arms like a madman, trying to stop the car for help. The guy tensed up, then ran back across the road in front of me and down a side street, finally disappearing into darkness. The car I waved down pulled to a stop, and to my utter joy it was two cops returning to the station. They both got out of the car and I hurried to them. I proceeded to burst into tears and sob. The policeman who had been driving took a hold of my arms gently and led me to the car. The other took out his flashlight and walked over to the road, to the dark side of the street, looking down to see if he could see the man. I was fortunate. The main street is straight and very long, 
and from the moment the police had turned the corner, they'd seen this weirdo and me, his arms open and me backing away. Those two very kind policemen took me home and came with me into the house to make sure I would be okay. My mom was beside herself. It turned out she was so angry with my cousin, no one had seen me leave the house, and when they did realize, they tried to call me, only to find that my phone was ringing inside the house. Needless to say, she got quite the scolding from the police, as did my cousin who later moved out. I was distraught, but it took telling my dad, who was also a police officer at the time, for me to really understand how stupid I'd been and how dangerous my position was. I was unaware, but there had been a spate of rapes in my area. They'd all been lone women walking home late at night, and they had been grabbed and dragged into alleyways and raped. I was in a lot of trouble, but my dad was very grateful that I was okay. He even got into contact with the two officers who brought me home. They were at different stations than him, but he still thanked both of them profusely. I could have been hurt that night, or worse. I don't know what that creep's intentions really were, but he seemed more than excited about the idea of a young girl walking alone at night. It scares me more now than I think it did then, because I've had time to realize that he really was going to hurt me, and the worst part was I don't think they ever caught the guy. Ladies and gents out there, be careful when you're alone at night. That's when the real freaks come out, and they really do want to hurt you. I was lucky, but not all of us can be. Ever since I was a small child, I've always seen shadow people. At first, I wasn't scared, but as I grew older, I realized that I was wrong. The first time that I saw one, I was around six years old. I was downstairs watching old shows with my grandpa, who had fallen asleep during Laverne and Shirley. Everyone else was asleep at the time. It was maybe ten at night. I was leaning against my sleeping grandpa when I noticed something looking at me. This thing was short with huge round eyes. It looked like a child with a black sheet thrown over it, like a cheap Halloween costume. I waved a hello in its direction, then in response, it immediately ran upstairs. Being a kid with an active imagination, I didn't really think much of it then. The next afternoon, I told my mom what I saw. She gave me a strange look and told me to draw what I'd seen. After drawing the little ghost, I proudly handed it to my mom, who immediately turned white. Are you sure you saw this? I nodded yes right away, and she said that when she was a little girl, she would see the same ghost. Another time, when I was 15 years old, I was in bed around 1 in the morning, and I could not fall asleep. I noticed the same lamppost outside my second floor window was flickering, which was weird because that never really happened. I closed my eyes, but I felt I was being watched. I reopened my eyes and saw that there was a shadow reaching closer to me across the ceiling. Each time the lamppost went off and on, the shadow had gotten bigger and longer and closer to my bed. I threw a blanket over my head, much like a child, 
and told the shadow man to leave me alone. Moments later, I peeked out from my blanket, and it was gone. I took a deep breath in and out, and a sigh of relief. I looked back at the window, then choked. The shadow man was against my window, small angry red eyes glaring at me. I tried to scream, but nothing came out. Then I moved to turn on the light, but my ceiling fan crashed to the floor, just barely missing my head. The most recent time was when I was house and dog sitting for my mother-in-law. She was gone for the weekend and requested that me and my husband watched her dog. My husband, we can call him Peter, had fallen asleep on the couch with the dog. I got up from next to him to go to the bathroom. The hallway leading to the bathroom was dark. I had to grope the wall looking for the light switch and got a very queasy, uneasy feeling. When I finally brushed the switch, I saw those same small, angry red eyes peering at me from the upper left corner of the hallway. I switched the light on and jumped over the couch next to Peter. What the hell, he said groggily and confused. Just when I was about to tell him what I saw, the nearly blind dog was barking nonstop. We got up to see that she was barking at the far left corner of the hallway exactly where I saw it. Eight months later after that, the same dog still barks at that corner. Even now at 26 years old, I still see those shadow people at work, at school, at home. Anywhere that has a dark corner or an unlit room, they seem to be there waiting for me, as if they want me to know that I'm at their mercy. My story happens many years ago, but is still very fresh in my mind. I don't recall exactly how old I was, but it was before my teenage years. I enjoyed doing tin work with my mom during the summer. It gave me something constructive to do. So eagerly I packed up a book, my baseball cap, and my disposable camera, then set off with my mother. She worked for the county as the foreman, and basically had to hold her workers' hands to get things done. Well, our task at hand today was a recovered truck that lumberyards used to haul material. It had been stolen and drove off onto a dead-end country road in the middle of the National Forest. We were there all day while the workers cleaned up all the material that had been left behind, the stuff that had once been loaded onto the truck. Everything was going great until young me really had to use the ladies' room and we were far from anything like that. So my mother told me to go far enough into the woods that no one could see me, but that I could still hear them so that I couldn't get lost. Thinking back, this still gives me chills. If I would have known I wasn't going to be alone, I never would have stepped foot into those woods. Before I walked off into the forest, something possessed me to grab my camera. After I did, I headed off into the trees, I wandered for a little while until I found the perfect spot. I did my business, and when I was done, there was something memorable about the tree I had just used to balance on. So I grabbed my camera and I snapped a quick photo. 
As I stepped back, I realized that the whole area I was standing in was just as captivating, so I snapped a few more photos and headed back for the truck. Well, by the end of the day, I'd used all my shots on my disposable camera, and I really wanted to get them developed. So as a treat for being awesome, Mom took me down to Walmart and had my camera developed. As I began to flip through the pictures, I came across the first picture, the picture of the tree I'd been balancing on. Only now, there was a dog sitting there, staring straight into my camera. It was very much a dog, I was sure of that, even though I had been completely alone by that tree. But in this photo, the dog was a haze of blue and see-through. It appeared to be a German Shepherd, but I couldn't be sure. My heart jumped when I saw it, and I was afraid to keep looking, but I forced myself to. My next photo was of a fallen tree next to me, and leaning against that tree was a small boy. The child, just like the dog, was staring straight back into the camera. I was terrified by this point. I've always believed in the paranormal, and this, this confirmed it for me. It was so chilling to look back at these images that I quickly put the photos away and I tried my best to forget about them. A week or so later, I walked into the living room and my dad was flipping through the pictures and his look had me confused. My dad doesn't believe in the paranormal at all, but he held up the picture of the boy. Then he said to me, Why'd you take a picture of Jesse? And why is Jesse behind the tree? He asked me where I took the picture. When I heard him, I froze in my tracks. Jesse is my cousin. Finally, I gathered my strength, and I replied to him. What are you talking about? That's not Jesse. He argued with me for a moment, and I finally told him, Dad, I was alone in those woods when I took those pictures. Whoever's in that photo looks like Jesse's twin, but I can assure you, I was completely alone. He rolled his eyes and put the pictures down. Of course, he didn't believe me, but my mom did, and she recognized the pictures I'd taken that day. I've always felt that there was someone watching, and now I know that there really was. I work as an MICT, or paramedic, on Oahu, Hawaii. Back when I was an EMT working for city and county EMS, I had a co-worker named Charlene. She has since moved on to working other fields, but back when she was working city EMS, she had a few encounters involving seeing ghosts. If there were ever a superhero ability that I didn't want, this would easily make the list. In one instance, she was practicing her violin outside the old Aya ambulance crew quarters at Polymomi Hospital. The old crew quarters were the last door on the left, down a dead-end hallway. She saw two children run past her to the end of the hall, where they then simply vanished. Supposedly, the hospital was built over sacred ground, and back in the days prior to Western Contact, there was a huge tree standing there, the ancient Hawaiians would bring dying family members here to pass on, and often the dying people would see the minehune, or dwarf-sized people that weren't usually visible. They would be sitting high up in the branches of the tree. 
Later, after the hospital was built, nurses would complain about kids running through the halls on the second floor after visiting hours. Of course, nobody could ever find these children, and the second floor is probably about the height of the branches the Minehune were seen in during ancient times. Charlene probably saw them too in that hallway. Another instance occurred on the midnight shift at the Hawaii Kai unit. EMS shares a station with HFD there. The crew quarters is no more than a tiny room off to the side of the apparatus bay. Back then, we had eight-hour shifts. The midnight shift was 2300 to 0700, and in that unit, the EMT unit usually slept on the floor on a futon in the supply room, while the medics got the lazy boy recliner in the main area. There were two computers there to do charts on, and the lazy boy was just off to the side of one of them. One night, Charlene was charting while her partner, Gary, was crashed out on the recliner. For some strange reason, Gary woke up, but was unable to move. He could clearly see Charlene on the computer, but that wasn't all. At the edge of the darkness, just beyond where the light of the monitor illuminated, stood a girl. Gary was in the recliner behind Charlene to her 8 o'clock, and the girl was to Charlene's 4 o'clock. The girl started drifting towards Gary. Her form seemed to move slowly and smoothly across the room, without the bobbing or cadence of a walking person. So, basically, she was gliding. Gary was still unable to move, but could see the girl disappear from his peripheral vision on his right. Suddenly, the girl's right hand came down upon his. When he felt it, it was pale and cold, and her fingers intertwined with his and slowly pulled his hand upward for a few moments before putting it back down. At this point, Charlene briefly glanced towards Gary but didn't seem to see anything. So she went back to typing, and Gary eventually went back to sleep. There were no calls for the rest of that night. That morning, Gary was unsure how to go about asking Charlene if she saw anything, so he decided to cast out a lure. I kinda had a weird dream last night, he said. What was it? replied Charlene. He recounted his story, and Charlene told him that she remembered seeing his hand up, but thought he was just doing it in his sleep. When he mentioned the girl, Charlene asked him to describe her. She was Asian, he said, with really white skin and dark hair past her shoulders, I believe. Oh, her, said Charlene very casually. She's been following me for the past week. Apparently, Charlene and another medic were sent to do a pronouncement for a suicide, it was either an OD or a hanging, I forget which, at the airport hotel, back when it was the Holiday Inn. Charlene said that while they were there, she saw the girl in the corner of the room. The girl was telling her she made a mistake and did not want to die. On a side note, we actually have a lot of suicides here. It's a shame. A girl from Japan I dated told me that she considered it once, saying that Hawaii was the only place she was ever truly happy, and that dying here would be a way to hold on to that happiness. We have a large Asian population living here, and suicide is a bit of a taboo subject, which is why it's rarely covered in the news. Despite all the pronouncements and DOAs I've been to, I've never had nightmares or seen ghosts, and hopefully it stays that way.
I am a 20-year-old college student. I am very brave and courageous, or so I like to believe, and it's not easy to freak me out. But during the year of 2016, an incident happened that changed me for the rest of my life. On 2016, during the month of July, we were about to go into college, and we were very happy to be going. We'd be seeing our friends from high school, and I'd soon be living in a house paying my own rent. I got the house very easily, and I actually got it with a lower rent than I expected. After moving all my things, my bags, books, cloths, etc., into their proper places in my new home, I soon heard a loud banging sound on the main entrance door of my house. I thought it may be a neighbor trying to scare me. I decided to live alone in that house, and maybe they were taking advantage of that. I went back to doing my work, moving all my things in, when soon enough, I heard another loud bang coming from the wall, this time from the washroom. I thought that it may have been the air conditioning turning on, so again I tried to ignore it. I settled into my new room, and I was completely exhausted, so I went to bed early to catch some Z's, but someone doesn't want me to sleep. I heard a noise that sounded like someone crawling around. I stood up from the bed and went outside of my room to check what was there. I was still alone. No one else was in my house, but the door to the washing room is open now, which I knew I had closed before going to sleep. Maybe I was just tired and my mind was playing tricks on me, I tried to tell myself so I shut my bedroom door and went back to bed. The next morning, when I was making coffee, I felt someone grab my shoulder. It scared and startled me at the time, but I have a strong ego, and I tried to fight through the fear. But by then, I knew there was something off about this place. College started up fast, and I was going from house to school to work at all times of the day. But on one occasion, when I returned back to my house, I saw that the floor from the washroom to my bedroom was wet, and it looked like someone had crawled from there. What the hell, I thought. I felt goosebumps rise all over my body. At that time, my leg was shivering, like I'd just seen a ghost. That night, I decided to stay with a friend, but I didn't tell him anything. I was too prideful to say anything in front of other people. The next day, everything was going so well. The day had been good for me. I went back to my place that night. I changed into my regular clothes, and after putting my nightdress on, I immediately felt that something was there in the room with me. Something was staring at me. But there was no one there. I looked around the house. I checked everywhere. I checked the washroom door and I checked the locks. I was perfectly alone and I should have been perfectly safe. I was half asleep when I heard a noise. It was a voice whispering to me and it sounded angry. It repeated what it said over and over and by the fifth or sixth time I could tell what it was saying. Leave. There was no way I could sleep after that and I couldn't stop thinking that I had chose the wrong place to rent. I decided the next morning I would do something about it, even if it meant moving out of this place despite the low rent. But around two in the morning, I heard a noise again. This time I heard, I don't want to die. 
This really confirmed to me that I was dealing with something paranormal, and I was angry. I was angry that something was trying to force me out of my own house. I was so angry that I shouted back at it, Just get the hell out! Whoever you are, just go! I won't tell you a second time. After that, there was a long silence. Then a massive and loud, continuous banging sound erupted from all around the house. I had apparently pissed it off. Then I saw a figure, almost my height, solid black like a shadow, standing in the corner of my room. I was shocked and filled with fear. I ran out of my room, only to see a lady standing in the way to the kitchen, and she too was completely covered in shadow. But I grabbed my sleepers and ran for my life outside. I never went back to that room. I don't know what happened to it, and I don't want to know. I quickly found another place to live. But after an experience like this, you start to become a bit too afraid to live alone anywhere. This experience has really changed me. The story begins with my freshman year of college. It was my first time that I left home, and I was excited. The college I chose was two hours away from any family members. I was rooming with one of my best friends at the time. We got a triple, but our third roommate never showed up. For the first semester, it was just my best friend and I in a big room. By the end of the first semester, we were informed that we were going to get a new roommate for the second semester, and we were given the chance to find our own roommate. We both picked a mutual friend of ours who was having a hard time with her current roommate. We went to ask her if she wanted to move in with us, and she happily agreed. We all went home for the holidays, and we were all excited to live together again. We would Skype every night and talk about how excited we were to see each other. When the second semester rolled around, our new roommate moved in, and we all seemed to settle in nicely. There was one night we decided to throw a little party and invite our friends. One of my roommates brought her friends who were in the same major as she was. My other roommate brought her boyfriend, and I invited one of my friends back home. Things were going great. We all were drinking and talking, listening to music and just having a great time. By the end of the night, my friend from back home and my new roommate decided that they were going to start dating. Everything seemed to be going great. Everything was great until my roommate got sick. It started off as a cold, then got worse. We begged her to go to the doctor, but she declined, saying that she was fine. After two months of her being sick, her boyfriend was no help, and she was getting sick and tired of him and of being sick. So she broke off her relationship with him, then waited for us to come home that night to tell us what she did. After she told us she broke up with her boyfriend, we told her that she really needed to go to the doctor. There was a walk-in clinic just up the road that we could walk her to in no time. It was about 10 o'clock at night, but she agreed. We walked her up the road, which was a 10-minute walk, the doctor took her in, and my roommate and I waited in the waiting room. We were getting text updates from her, saying that they were giving her tests. Around one in the morning, we called a program our school had that would pick you up or walk with you back to campus if it was late at night. We got a car to pick up our roommate as soon as she was done. Both me and my roommate had an early class the next morning, 
so we wanted to go back to our dorm to get some sleep. When we were almost back to the campus, I saw a little black car that was parked a little ways down the road. It was dark blue, but I couldn't say for sure because there weren't that many streetlights on this road. I looked at my phone. It was 1.30 in the morning. I then heard someone say, Howdy, in a low, happy-go-lucky voice. I looked around but kept walking. I looked at my roommate, and she didn't seem to notice the voice. I figured I was tired and hearing things. After walking for about another minute, both me and my roommate heard someone behind us whistling. My roommate stopped walking to look around. I put my hand on her back, urging her to move along. I told her we shouldn't stop. We walked faster, hoping the guy would leave us alone. The whistling only got closer. As soon as we walked past the dark car, the whistling stopped and immediately was replaced with a loud and angry, Hey! My roommate and I just ran as fast as we could back to our dorm. Once we began running, we heard footsteps behind us. They were too fast. They gained on us with ease. We were very lucky our dorms were so close. We lived on the third floor, and I ran as fast as I could up the stairs. When I finally reached my dorm, I unlocked the door, and my roommate and I ran inside and locked the door behind us. I was having a panic attack. I ran to our window and looked out, only to see a figure with a crowbar standing outside on the street, looking up into our window. What the hell, I thought. I felt so uneasy. I called the campus police who transferred me to the local police. They took my name and number, and I told them what happened about the car that I saw. They thanked me and told me that they would keep in touch. My roommate texted our other roommate and told her what happened, and that there would be a car there ready to pick her up. I didn't sleep that night. I heard my roommate come home around 3 in the morning. She told us that she had mono, she had medication, and she said she'd be better soon. The next day, I saw the campus police looking at cars. I figured they were looking for the car I told them about. I never heard anything else about whether or not they found the car or the person who scared us that night. I hope it was just a prank and not someone wanting to hurt us. But what else are you going to do when you're chasing a couple of girls with a crowbar in the middle of the night? I can only imagine what would have happened to us if our dorm wasn't as close as it was. We might just be lucky to be alive. I recently came home from visiting my mother out of state. She had made plans to leave with me and to take my little sisters along as well. She wasn't planning on coming back due to a domestic violence incident involving her now ex-husband. Well, we had a small fender bender when we left due to a tire blowout. We got the tire replaced after being helped by the state patrol. When we were about three hours from home, our car began to break down. It died once at a stop sign on a deserted road. A young man helped us out by jump-starting the car and helping us keep it from overheating. We're lucky he was even there. We were back on the road, and about an hour later at 4.30 in the morning... The car broke down at a red light on the interstate. Mom kept trying to flag someone down, but everyone kept passing by when someone finally stopped. They were driving a white van, which instantly freaked me out, something I blame on watching too many crime movies and shows from a young age. He said that he had jumper cables, but when we tried them, it didn't work. 
he then offered to haul our car to the nearest gas station. At this point, both my mother and I had completely dead phones, and this was our last hope of getting help. We hooked our car to his van and let him have us. He took us to the gas station like he said and left us there. We called my grandmother to come and get us. It was a hundred degrees outside and extremely humid, and we were stuck in a car with no air conditioning for three hours. While we were there, a woman in a gray minivan kept staring at us. She eventually offered to take us to her house, which was a street over from the gas station. My mom made the dumbest decision I've ever seen her make. She took the woman's offer, and she had us get in the car with her. When we arrived at the woman's house, she took mom out back to show her something. My younger sister was sleeping, and my baby sister was playing joyfully with one of her dolls. My mother went out back and was there for what seemed like 20 minutes or so. Being the paranoid girl I am, I decided that that was a suspicious amount of time to be outside looking at something. I went to the back of the house and found my mom still talking to the woman, but it was at that point I noticed something sharp behind the woman's back. I glared at the woman, slightly raising my phone, which I'd been able to charge since arriving. She dropped the object and took us back to the gas station when we got the notification that said my grandma was only five minutes away now. I don't even want to think about what could have happened if I hadn't been so paranoid and stayed in the living room. Just remember, guys, you can never separate the good people from the bad ones until it's too late. Don't take strangers' offers no matter how desperate you are or how nice the person may seem. You never know who they really are, or what their true intent may be. The story takes place four years ago. I was attending university in South Wales, in the UK. The university was rural, but near a market town. I was in my first year of university, and was still dating my first boyfriend from teenage years. Let's call him Johnny. Well, I was suffering from deep depression as I watched my uncle pass away and had taken up jogging to get over this. My university home was a solid mile from the university and not very well lit. Then it's another eight miles until you reach the center of the town, which was again poorly lit, especially for a run as the local council turned off the streetlights after half past ten. After receiving news that my time with my uncle was limited, I decided to go for a jog, leaving my sleeping Johnny in bed. Before I left, I knocked on the door of my housemate Mia to warn her to keep the front door open and that I'd call when I came back. I jogged a long time, eventually heading into the local council estate and to a local patrol station, which hadn't long shut up for the night. Realizing I was a bit out of my comfort zone, let alone exhausted, I texted Mia to tell her I'd be later than I planned, before standing in a bus stop. I pulled up my hoodie and began to play something on my mobile phone. I'd been sitting there for five minutes, when I heard the rumble of an HGV lorry. I knew that sound, as my dad had been an HGV driver, and I looked up to see a man's head poking out of the cab. Cold out tonight, huh? I gave a smile and a nod, but I didn't answer him. Going anywhere, love? I could drop you off if you'd like. I was about to answer, 
When I noticed the guy was looking me up and down, I wasn't particularly good-looking, so I'd always written off my chances of being sexually harassed, raped, or even murdered. But there was a predatory look in the way he was looking at me, and something inside me twitched that warned me not to accept his offer. Thanks, but I've just texted my friends. They'll be here to pick me up pretty soon. I was rapidly texting Mia, explaining what was going on. I was begging her for help, as she had a car she shared with my other housemate, Katie. Ah, you could still come wait with me in the cab. It's what any dad would do for a daughter, he said, still keeping it polite, but I could hear annoyance in his tone. In the back of my head, I could hear myself panicking, until I felt something tweak inside myself. I could lay a trap to test this guy and how far he would go to try and take me inside his cab. Uh, no thanks. My dad's a lorry driver, too. You might have heard of him. He works around here. His name's Barney. You know, short, fat guy and bald. I explained to him. He replied very quickly. Oh, yeah, Barney. He told me about you. Good old Barney at the depot. In that moment, I knew whatever I was going to do, I would not move towards that truck, and I would fight to my last breath not to get in there. Because my dad committed suicide several years ago. In fact, he hadn't been back in town since before I was nine. There was no way he had talked to this guy. I offered a fake smile, and I said, Sorry, mate. My friends just do. You're best to just go on your way. The man's smile, which I could see from the cab, turned into a grimace, and I found myself backing away nervously as he glared at me, eyes connecting. I watched in horror as he opened the cab door. He was about to step down when a small red car shot by, and it screeched to a halt just behind the trailer of the cab. Mia jumped out from the passenger side, while Katie I could see still in the car, and then Mia ran to hug me. I kept her in my grip for a while, and then she turned to the guy and kept pulling me away. Uh, thank you for keeping our flatmate company. The guy nodded but he kept staring at the tiny car. He wasn't happy. I was quickly shoved in the back seat and Mia to the passenger side before we raced off. We sped off in such a hurry that I didn't get to see the awning of the truck or the number plate. All the way home, I cried while Mia kept telling me that I was fine and that we were safe now. As soon as she had gotten the text from me, she woke up Katie and raced out of the house. She hadn't dared text me back for fear the guy would try and snatch me sooner, especially if he realized we were having that conversation. They didn't even tell Johnny, who, when we got back to the house, was standing in the doorway, sleepy and confused. Sadly, I didn't go forward with making an official statement to the police, as I had nothing to tell them beyond the guy was creepy. I never jogged that route again, but I have no doubt in my mind I would not be writing this if I had taken the man's offer. This took place about five years ago. My family lives at my grandfather's farm that he left to me after he passed away. My wife and I, along with two children and three dogs and a snake, live there. Our dogs are a Newfoundland named Bastion, a German Shepherd named Rook, and an English bulldog named Butch. My snake is a Kenyan, Sanboa, named Pancake, of all things. 
As for my wife and I, we were 25 when this happened, and our children were only 5 years old. Now, enough of the backstory. Let's get into it. It was 11 at night on a cold October. My wife and I were in the living room watching TV. I had Pancake in my hand letting her explore. Rook and Butch were upstairs with our kids sleeping, while Bastion was sleeping on our living room floor. After about five minutes, Bastion got up and walked to the back door, telling us that he needed to go out. So I got up and put Pancake back into her terrarium. Then I put my shoes and jacket on, then went out the back with Bastion. When I left, I left the back screen door unlocked so I could get back in with ease. While I was taking Bastion out, he seemed on edge every second, like something was bugging him. But after about five minutes of walking, I began to get an uneasy feeling myself, some sort of gut feeling that we both needed to head back inside. Before I even began to head back, Bastion took off for the door. I chased after him. We were about 25 meters from the back door when I heard my wife scream, and that only made me run faster. When we were about 10 meters from the back door, I saw something large standing in the doorway with Rook biting down on its arm. The creature was trying to shake her loose, but after a few seconds, Rook let go of the thing and it ran out of the house. I couldn't get a good look at it. It was too dark for me to see clearly. It ran right past me and Bastion. After it passed us, Bastion took off into the house and I quickly followed. I got inside to see my wife holding both of the kids in her arms, and all three of them were crying. Butch was in the corner shaking, and both Rook and Bastion were looking out of the back door. They were on edge. After making sure my family was okay, I suddenly heard a very loud howl. I bolted up and slammed the back door shut, and I locked it. We spent the rest of the night in my wife and I's room, trying to fall asleep. Eventually, my wife and kids fell asleep, but I couldn't. So I stayed up all night, with the dogs listening to the sound of loud footsteps. They were walking around our house, just outside the windows. Shortly after that night, we moved much closer to the city. My wife and children suffer from nightmares of that night. Before I go, I'll just leave you with this. Be careful and always remember to lock your door, no matter how long you'll be gone. I was only 14 and had no idea that November 15th of 2014 was going to be my last day of what innocence I had left. You see, I was a perverted kid who made negative jokes with her friends, I was a girl, 17, and way better than I was back then. Let me tell you I was desperate and very, very naive. I'm getting ahead of myself now, and let me backtrack. I was homeschooled for 8th grade. I was bullied a lot, and so I was held back, and my family thought it'd be better to homeschool after such an experience. My own teachers were bullies to me, and they made me feel pathetic. Even still, I was a social butterfly back then. Anyway, on October 4th of 2014, I met a guy named Matthew. I met Matthew in a Dollar Tree while my mom and I were shopping for Halloween decorations. 
I met him with his other friends while they were shoplifting. I know usually you would report them and never speak to them again. Though in most teenagers' minds where I live, stealing from a place where they don't care doesn't matter. The kind of girl I was, seeing a guy with my sense of style made me ecstatic. So, when he asked me out a week later, I blindly accepted. And that was the worst mistake I would ever make in my life. Around a month later, I was heading home with my mom after working on schoolwork at my dad's office when I suddenly got a text. It was from Matthew. He said, Hey, do you think you can come over today? No, I reply. I don't really think so. My mom is having friends over. Matthew says, Really? Are you sure? I was getting irritated because we always see each other at least twice a week. Yes, I'm sure, Matt. Then he says, Well, what's the point of dating if you never see me? I was shocked at this. I was extremely scared and refused to let him leave me. Stupidly, that night, I ran out of the house when my mother had her back turned. We met up at his house 25 minutes later. We began to walk and talk and just have fun. We found ourselves at a private place that he knew about, and we were holding each other. He was kissing and holding me, though he kept me in a weird position. Then he began to touch me and whisper in my ear, Can I try? I was astonished that he'd asked that, and I absolutely refused. I shook my head and looked away from him, but he forced me to touch him down there as he touched me. I told him no and asked him to just stop. You see, I was dumb, but I was scared. At one point, I was fed up and I tried to get up, but he yanked me back down to the ground, then hit me and had his way. I couldn't believe what was happening. On the awkward and silent walk home, we got caught, and I lied to my mom out of fear of getting in trouble. The boy I trusted, he violated me, but I was so infatuated with him that I lied to my mom, who only wanted to keep me safe. If there was a moral to this story, it would be this. No matter how much you want to trust or get to know someone, no matter how much you think you like them, you should never go too far nor should you go anywhere with them alone. I regret everything I did and every choice I made with him. For all the girls out there, stay safe and don't make the same mistake that I did. Back in the early 2000s, I played the initial release of MU Online. For those who don't know or remember, MU Online was the prototypical action RPG inspired by Diablo 2. It was back in a simpler time, when MMOs weren't all about paying for the best stuff via microtransactions. I know, hard to believe, right? So not long after the Philippine-based players in MU Global were migrated to our own local server here in the Philippines, I joined a guild as most players do when they start getting serious about the game. It was a ridiculously large guild, and was part of an even bigger alliance, and surprisingly, a lot of high-level players were in it. It felt really good being accepted into a well-known guild alliance, 
and got to know a vast majority of the players, even though I never actually got to meet them in person. Well, this incident happened around a year after I began playing. While doing our daily grind for XP, me and my friends, Emilie, her brother Oliver, and our friends Genesis and Mike were just talking over the Guild Alliance chat, joking around and all that good stuff. Suddenly, one of our high-level group members came online. I couldn't remember his real name, but nonetheless, we all gave the customary welcome back that we usually do. Oddly enough, he didn't respond to anybody, which was extremely out of character for him. He was a very sociable guy, as well as one of the funniest players in the Guild Alliance, cracking jokes every few minutes or so. We didn't think much of it at the time, and we figured he was probably just in one of those big clusterfucks of enemies, so if he even tried to chat, he would probably get killed really fast. A few minutes later, his player character came waltzing in where we were. Again, we tried to talk to him and greet him, but still, there was no response. He just stuck around for a while, not really getting into the thick of things, then just left without a word. Millier and Mike, who have met him personally in life, said that that was pretty rude and wondered what was going on. You see, he never acted like that, in-game or otherwise. Suddenly, our guild chat began saying the same thing. That he had passed their party, stood around for a while saying nothing, then just left, just now. Oliver said that that was impossible, because he was just there seconds ago. This would be perfectly logical if we were all close to each other, but we were maps and worlds apart. It was impossible even with map teleportation, because he was apparently near both of our parties at the same time, and before we could ask him what was going on, he just logged off. Fast forward to a week later, and after I logged on to play the game, I was immediately messaged by Genesis. They were asking me if I remembered the incident last week, with that player ignoring us. I said yes, and then he dropped a bomb on me. Our friend Mike found out that that player has been dead for over two weeks. In fact, they had recently buried him. A few of the high-level players who lived close enough to him attended his funeral. I was thinking, how could he have been in the game if he was already dead? Did someone who know his username and password log in for him? We asked around in the Guild Alliance chat and got decisive confirmation that no one knew his account details, not even his closest friends and family in the guild, or in real life. Maybe it was his ghost, logging in from the afterlife, to look around and see his friends one more time. We never did get an answer, and it still unnerves some of us to this day, over fifteen years later. What I'm about to tell you is terrifying, and it only happened a few months ago. But first you need some backstory to fully understand. Back in 2011, a boy that lived in my neighborhood, right behind my dad's house, was brutally murdered by his own mother. She cut out his eyes, then cut out her own, and proceeded to place his eyes in her sockets. Just recounting that part of the story 
makes me want to throw up. You can see that after hearing about this in my dad's neighborhood, I had plenty of nightmares for the weeks afterwards. Eventually, I got over it, but then something happened, something I wish never did. You see, I was over at my dad's house for one of the first few times since he moved back to the state. Nightfall was upon us pretty quickly. While we were watching TV, I noticed a light by the fence at the back of the property through a window. We didn't have any electronic lights out there. I had nothing to explain why I was seeing a light. I told my dad about it, and he thought it may be someone trying to break into the house. So he goes and grabs some night vision goggles. I know, cheesy, right? And he begins to scan the property with them. I watch in suspense as he looks left and right with those big and heavy goggles on his face. Then he said something that sent chills down my spine. What the hell, he said to himself. I asked what was wrong with the shaky voice, and he took too long to respond. There was a long moment of silence where he wouldn't answer me. He just kept staring at God knows what in the yard. Then he finally said something. There's a woman. There's a woman by the back fence. Finally, he gave me the goggles and let me look through them myself. And sure enough, what I thought was a prank from my dad was actually the truth. There was a woman standing there, motionless by our fence. The longer I looked at this woman, the more I felt that something was wrong about her. Like, really wrong. Not to mention she was just standing still, facing our house. It was almost like, even though it was so dark, she could still somehow see us watching her. It gave me shivers. Then I saw it. I remember telling my dad, she has no eyes. The woman was standing there smiling, and her eye sockets were completely empty. And it wasn't some happy welcoming smile either. No, this smile stretched all the way up her cheeks, nearly to her non-existent eyes. It was like some nightmare horror caricature of a woman that used to be. To this day, I don't know how we had the courage to walk out there, but the two of us very cautiously walked to the back of the property. I carried two lights, and my dad had one big flashlight with him, just in case she was a woman in need of help. I mean, for all we knew, it was some woman who had been in a brutal accident and needed some medical attention right away. When we got to the spot we had seen her, there was no one there. Nothing at all. I said to my dad, maybe she left, maybe she's gone now. But then suddenly, I heard someone growl my dad's name. It sounded more like a vicious animal than a human. We had had enough. In silence, we both turned around and made our way back to the house. We didn't want to know what had made that sound. I can still see the woman out there with the night vision goggles. She's not out there every night, but sometimes she is, and it's always at 8 p.m. She's always in the same spot, never moving, but always smiling, watching with her eyeless sockets. I can tell you with all of my certainty that that growling voice will echo in my mind for the rest of my life.
I used to work in the public sector in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Some of my co-workers, both white males, were adamant hunters. During downtime at work, they used to regale me with stories of their hunts and about the adventures they had exploring New Mexico. So, of course, I've heard all kinds of things. But before one particular Labor Day weekend, one of the men named Joe said he had obtained a permit to trap varmints on a piece of private land near Gallup. Joe would skin these animals. He had quite a neat collection of various pelts. His friend Bob was going to tag along that day and record their escapade. They would spend countless hours watching footage of themselves hunting various animals to reflect and to reserve the memory of the animals they had hunted. Everything seemed to be shaping up for a pleasant and normal Labor Day weekend for my close friends. That is, until the following week. When I saw Joe again the next week, after his trip, I asked him about it, and he instantly turned pale. I thought maybe over his little break he had gotten sick, so I asked if he was okay, but he just stared at me. He had this totally blank look. After quite a bit of coaxing, he said, come take a look at my truck. Without any reference to the events that had occurred, I was extremely curious at this point, so I decided to follow him outside, and to my surprise, I saw these incredibly huge and deep scratches down the driver's side of his truck. There were three of them, and they were so deep that they penetrated the exterior still, creating rigid grooves down the entire length of his vehicle. It even tore off bit of the cap to his bumper. I was thinking they had gotten into an accident, maybe he had hit a fence or something, so the first thing I asked after that was if he had filed an insurance claim, and he responded with, Insurance won't cover what happened. I was still confused. I wasn't entirely sure what he was talking about. So, of course, I pressed him for more information. He let the tailgate down on his truck, sat down, took a deep breath, and began to recount his story. This is paraphrased from my memory, but still very accurate. He said, We had finished trapping for the day, when we began to hear strange noises around the truck, maybe 30 yards away into the woods. Bob and I went to check it out, and we saw a man staring at us behind some brush, very close, maybe 10 feet away now. It was awkward at first. We thought it was some creep, someone who had been following us. But upon closer inspection, we saw that his eyes were unusually dark, and the guy looked upset. No, not just upset. He looked indignant. He was starting to give us the creeps so much so that I shouldered my rifle in case he attacked. We tried to speak to him, and he just stared back at us, never answering. I don't think he spoke at all. Then we heard this loud screeching noise right behind us. It was so loud and so sudden that the hair on the back of my neck stood up straight away, and I was covered in goosebumps. When we turned to see what it was, we saw nothing. Then we turned back to the man, who had suddenly disappeared. It was impossible. He had just been there, and we most certainly would have heard him walk away. At this point, we were extremely freaked out, so we decided to call it a night. We jumped back in the truck and just took off. It was starting to get dark, and I was driving very slowly on the dirt road, trying not to needlessly tear up my truck. That's when Bob noticed what looked to be a huge coyote. It was pacing with the truck on my side. 
Bob kept watching this abnormally large coyote while I sped up the truck. Somehow this coyote could keep up with us and we were going 50 by then. But I didn't want to go any faster until we hit paved road. Now this part you're not going to believe. This coyote, this thing, it suddenly stood upright and it completely outran the truck. Before I knew it, it was beyond the headlights. As I slowed down to look around, we heard a loud, shocking ripping noise, and my truck swerved, as if it had been hit by another car. There was a lot of force behind it. We were fearing for our lives. I began driving over bushes and cactus, flooring my truck towards the paved road, just trying to get out of there. When we finally reached it, we drove straight to a casino outside of town, going over 100 miles an hour the whole time. When we got to the casino parking lot, we felt safe enough to inspect the damage, and that's when we saw this. He gestured to the side of the truck where the claw marks were. I shuddered. The story creeped me out, but I thought Joe was just pulling my leg. This was all too crazy, so I confronted him on it, saying that he probably just hit a rancher's fence, that he and Bob were just trying to mess with me. However, Joe had some of the footage on his phone that Bob had captured. Apparently, Bob had recorded some of the event, so he motioned me over to come watch. The footage showed Joe driving, and Bob was attempting to angle the camera over Joe, obviously trying to see out of the driver's side window. However, the cabin light was on, so the image couldn't focus outside the truck, and the picture was really shaky, so I couldn't see anything outside of the truck window. But Joe and Bob could clearly see what they were there, and they were audibly reacting to it. They seemed extremely scared. There were tons of cussing, and the way they physically reacted told me that something really was there. Joe kept glancing to his left, and Bob's hands were so shaky that he couldn't keep the camera still. You could hear, what is that? And one of them replying, I don't know. At that point in the story was where the creature runs in a bipedal aspect in front of the vehicle. Sadly, they couldn't catch it on camera because Bob had it pointed towards the floor of the truck but I could hear them screaming, very frightful screams, especially for the manly hunters they were. But on the recording, I heard something else. There was this violent thud and metallic ripping noise, and I watched as Joe tried to regain control of the wheel with both men screaming bloody murder. Everything that he showed me on the camera, though it didn't show much, it did correlate perfectly with his story. Since this event took place less than one year ago, strange things have happened in the lives of both of them. For instance, Joe immediately gave up hunting. He sold his truck and even his guns. I never would have thought in my life I would see that. Later on, Joe and his wife had a very late-term miscarriage, which caused a lot of tension between them. He was even passed over for a promotion at work, and he had to undergo treatment for severe insomnia. Joe would never again discuss this story, and has since even changed his phone number. He's basically become a ghost, completely incommunicado. Bob also changed his life. He as well gave up hunting overnight. When I inquired if I could buy his 30-30, he told me he dumped all of his weapons into a New Mexican lake. About six months ago, he began having very strange issues with his lungs, and has since moved to a city with a hospital one that specialized in treating patients with his disorder. So, did my two friends encounter an evil skinwalker? To be honest, though I wasn't there with them, 
I think so. I'm actually a bit of a skeptic, and an academic by trade and nature, but I know what they saw, and I know what I saw. I witnessed the aftermath, how the encounter affected my friends. Growing up in New Mexico, I've heard a lot of the skinwalkers, but I always thought of these stories as tales used by Navajo parents to make their kids behave, kind of like the Navajo boogeyman. But now, I think different. In fact, any time I have to work on the reservation, which is about once a year, I ask to visit with a tribal medicine man for protection. And thankfully, they're very happy to accommodate me, since I work on their behalf. I'm now scared of the northern New Mexico reservation wilds, because I saw what it did to some of the toughest guys I ever knew. I don't often tell people about these stories or about my friends, because they will think I'm crazy. However, I have a newfound respect for the Navajo tradition, and I definitely don't set foot onto their land without proper blessing. Even then, I don't stay past dark. Something you should know about James is that he can, well, sense things at times. Nothing big like predicting events, but small things, like knowing which song is about to play on the radio, or greeting people before they enter a room. He says he doesn't know how it happens, that it just comes to him, and he himself is not entirely sure if it's coincidence or something deliberate. Well, this story happened to James a short while before we met. James is half Native American, from his father's side, and he knows a lot about the folklore. This is the story of what happened when he met something from those stories, and this will be told from his perspective. I have an irrational fear of being alone at night, yet I'm an insomniac. Most of my nights consist of focusing intensely on my computer monitor, doors locked, and windows covered. After being awake until 3 in the morning every night for a month, you begin to feel like you've seen everything there is, though at the time I was incredibly wrong. Boredom stricken, one night I decided it was time to do something different. I needed to preoccupy my hyperactive mind, and what better way is there to do that than scaring the absolute hell out of myself? I plugged my headphones into my phone and I blasted scary stories. I got up and decided to face my fears. I turned the lock to my door slowly, holding my breath, as the soothing voice of a narrator played quietly through my headset. The door creaked, barely audible through the pauses in speaking, as I pushed it open. I should mention that I live in a small ranch home in the middle of nowhere, and we live in the mountains. We're pretty secluded. And as I opened the door into the dark, my mind raced about this isolation. What if something does happen, I thought. I'm all alone, in the middle of nowhere. I looked across my room into my sister's room, where my two sisters were sleeping peacefully. Before popping in my headphones, I could hear them snoring. I remember how badly I wished that was me. Through the headphones, I could distantly hear my light steps on the hard wood. I was trying my hardest to be quiet, but not to keep my parents asleep, but to keep the night unaware. I didn't want things knowing of my presence. I placed my headphones around my neck and looked around the dark house. 
my dogs shuffled peacefully in their cages as they tried to find a compromising place to sleep. I truly considered letting them out, despite the lecture I would receive in the morning. With nothing better to do, I turned to the sink full of dishes. If I was to be in here, I might as well be useful. I walked over and instinctively looked out the window positioned above the faucet. The night was dark. The night was eerily quiet. With my headphones out of my ears, I could hear the sound of nothing. No crickets were chirping. No owls were hooting. And that night even the sky was dark, with no stars showing. Now, I'm a believer in the supernatural, especially of the monsters of my heritage. I believe in the skinwalkers, the wendigos, little cannibals, Zuktena, and everything else. So this unnatural silence, it was extremely terrifying. So to try to prevent myself from being unnerved further, I placed one of my earphones back in, letting the other one just rest behind my ear, and I turned my head down to the dishes. I suddenly saw a small flash from the corner of my eye. I figured it was a trick of my eyes in the dark. So I continued to do the dishes, trying not to cling them together. At one point, I got to an empty plate. I turned to the mudroom, the trash can on one side and to the other, a door with windows. It was a door that led outside. A sudden thought shot through my head. Was the door locked? Is the door even going to hold if something does happen? I thought for several minutes, but I felt driven to walk over and check. I decided it was time to grow up, so I took a step into the room, and immediately, my heart sank. I wanted to hurry to the door. I felt like something bad was about to happen, but I was stuck dead in my tracks, not by a terrifying sight, but by the sound of a meow, the call of some cat, or that's what I thought it was. You see, my cat always stood perched on the railing of our porch. I always joked around about how she seemed like a statue at times, never moving unless presented with food. I would have seen her, even if out of the corner of my eye, while walking in. I finally stepped closer to the windows by the door, and I peeked outside. It was not my cat that was meowing at the door. It was a creature easily much larger than myself, and clearly not a man, or at least not anymore. I stared at this thing. It hunched over in front of my door, naked and hairless. The texture of its skin looked like light leather, with no features to be seen. With its unrealistically long fingers, it scratched at the door, and eventually my eyes found its face. Its eyes were like peas sunken back in its head, and black enough to drain color from its surrounding sockets. A permanent smile ripped across its face, from one non-existent ear to the other. It was the most surreal sight I've ever witnessed. It hadn't seen me yet, and it continued. It meowed again. Its voice was slightly distorted, but not enough to pick up on without seeing where it was coming from. It was insane. Seeing a creature like this almost perfectly mimicked the sound of a small cat. It knew what it was doing. It knew it was trying to lure something to the door. It dragged its fingers along the door again, making a light scratching sound before it meowed one more time. It was even trying to mimic the light scratching of my cat. I stepped back in shock. 
The smile on that thing's face was etched into my brain. This was a Wendigo, a man that dined on flesh. They were no longer a man, but a shell possessed by a demented soul. Whoever the man used to be, he was now trapped and to be tortured by an insatiable hunger. My grandfather's stories ran through my mind as I tried to piece together a plan, but I was frozen. What else was I to do? I heard it again this time, the meow, but it was deeper and more desperate. It was trying everything it could to lure someone to that door. I shook my head and ran back to my room, closing my bedroom door behind me. I spent the rest of that night keeping my headphones placed firmly in my ears, not daring to look up at any windows. I didn't want to see or hear something that I knew was there, something watching. The next day I got dressed and got ready for school. Everything seemed normal except for one thing. My cat was under the porch, shivering and wide awake. I reached for it, but when I did, the thing clawed me, and it hissed. I'd never seen it do that before. If I wasn't a complete believer before, I was now. I refused to leave my room anymore at night, even to use the bathroom. I keep a light on in my room. If I was to be the next meal of a possessed demon, a cannibal of Native American folklore, I was not going to go down without a fight. This happened only a few weeks ago, and luckily, nothing else has happened. Well, except for one disheartening thing. You see, the other night, I heard my little sister sobbing in her room. The thing is, she was sleeping in my parents' room that night. Lydia, Louisiana is a very small town, and in the back of it is forgotten history. We have a plantation and what is called slave shacks. That whole section just gives me the creeps. Well, our people's elementary school had been around for ages. My grandmother went to school there, and she was born in 1929. You may notice I'm using past tense here, because the place was flooded years ago by one of the many hurricanes. It was sad because the place was a big part of the town's history, but at the same time happy because kids won't have to experience anything else. Now the place is just an RV park. It doesn't even show up on the map, but there is a huge iron cross in the front of it, a reminder of what was once there. I began going to Peebles in the third grade. My family had been going there for years, and I've heard the rumors of a fourth grade teacher being a witch, which till this day I still believe she is, along with countless other stories. Now, third grade me didn't think too much about it. At the time, I was more worried about friends and when recess was coming. It didn't take long into the school year for things to begin happening. First, it started with whispers, which you could hear in the quiet hallways when class was in session. All doors had to be closed. Mind you, these were thick, heavy doors, so unless you were yelling, you couldn't hear. Next were the giggles in the bathroom. It happened so often, the kids didn't want to go in there alone anymore. Heck, most people wouldn't go alone anywhere in that school. The teachers, though, were different. Either they didn't hear anything, or they were trying to ignore it and hide it from us. 
personally, I think they heard it too. It wasn't until the fourth grade that I began to see actual things happening. The heavy doors would open by themselves. The students were so scared one day that my teacher had to bring us into the cafeteria. Teacher or no teacher, we didn't feel any more safe. At one recess, a few friends of mine dug up a wooden cross. We got in a lot of trouble that day, but that's not what we focused on. We were scared at what we found. Why would we find something like that on the playground? Where did it come from and who did it belong to? There were train tracks in the woods next to the school that led nowhere. Once, one kid was dared to go in and stay there for the whole recess period. Now being an adult, I deeply regret not telling the teacher on duty, because after the kid came back, he didn't talk much after that. And for the rest of the year, he just didn't act the same. He kept to himself, and he completely stopped hanging around with his usual friends. I see him now and again when I go to the store, and yeah, he gives me that courteous smile, but his eyes are so blank, so emotionless. I'm not sure if that was because his life was rough, or because of that day. I don't know what he saw, but I've always wanted to ask him what happened. I just can't bring up the courage. It frustrated me and many of the kids when we would tell the teachers these things, because they would just brush it off and tell us to ignore it if it happened again. Honestly, thinking about it now, if I was a teacher, what would I have done? If I confirm what the kids were seeing, they would just stay scared. I probably would have done the same thing then. Because, after all, what could you do in a haunted school except play it off as the kids' imaginations? The one thing that really chilled me to the core, though, and it still gives me nightmares, were those woods next to the school. It was my final year there. I thought I had seen and heard it all after years of paranormal things, but boy was I wrong. It was during P.E. one day, and our coach had us out in the field doing exercises. I could feel my hands getting cold out there, and my chest began to hurt. So I asked the coach if I could get some water, and she gave me the go-ahead. So I was making my way from the fields to the fountains. There were a few outside, and that's when I heard it. Something called out to me. I heard something say, Bailey. I turned, thinking maybe it was a teacher, but there was no one there, no one near me. I kept scanning around me, because I was sure I heard something, and I saw someone at the edge of the woods by the playground. It was a woman, sounded like a woman, but by God, it couldn't have been a person at all. Her eyes were wide, like a deer caught in traffic, and her smile was not human. The tips of it seemed to touch her eyes. She curled her finger at me to come see. Come here, Bailey. There's something I need to show you. This thing spoke to me, and her voice seemed to carry in the wind. It sounded like she was right next to me. I was frozen, completely petrified at what I was witnessing. I didn't recognize her as one of the teachers, and I really had no idea why she wanted me to go over there. We weren't even allowed in the woods during school. And it's not like I lost something and it was over there waiting for me. I would have remembered being in the woods. It was another one of my classmates that finally shook me out of my trance. 
Susie was one of the girls who didn't believe in the Peebles ghosts. She would laugh at anyone who talked about it and assured everyone we were just all crazy. What are you doing? Coach Casey is so worried about you. She dragged the so, like the sarcastic brat she was. We didn't get along very well, if you couldn't tell, but we tolerated each other enough in front of the teachers. I barely moved, but I responded. I, uh, do you see anything over there? I asked her, pointing to the direction the woman was. She looked, squinted her eyes, and took a moment. I knew she could see it, because I saw it in her face. Her expression completely changed, but it was only for a second before she laughed at me. What? I don't see anything. You know, there's a medicine for people like you. She teased me, but her voice was wrong. It wasn't playful like before, and she turned around right after that and ran back to class. I looked back to where the woman was, and she was still there still smiling. I took a few steps and her eyes followed me. It didn't take long for Coach Casey to start screaming for me to get back over there, threatening me with demerits. I didn't talk about the lady to anyone, and Susie never said or admitted anything, which was quite unusual for her. She often made it a responsibility to tell the class who was going crazy, but she never once mentioned to anyone how I was in a trance that day. The school was torn down a few years back, and as I said before, was made into an RV park. But it wasn't until a couple years ago that the cross came up. Not too long after people started parking their RVs. I don't know if they're experiencing anything there, and I don't really want to find out. I've had a lot of other happenings from around the area, like the houses next to where the school was, and even my own home. Basically, my whole town has paranormal happenings. This story takes place in rural Vermont. Not much of anything creepy goes on up here, but this is an exception. My name is Max, and I'm 14 years old at the time of this story. I will start by giving a brief description of my neighborhood, because this does get important. My house sits on the bottom of a hill. If you go up this hill, there's a stretch of houses that's about an eighth of a mile long. Behind all these houses is deep, big woods, which leads to a mountain. About 75 yards in front of every house, there is a small patch of woods that would literally take you a minute to get through. Also, there was still snow in early April up here, but this won't matter until later. Anyway, on to the story. This happened on April 1st of 2017, and right away I know you're thinking April Fools, but this was no joke. I had asked my friend Quentin if he would like to come to my house. Being great friends, he said yes. We left right away to go to a local Buffalo Wild Wings to eat. We eventually got back to the house and played some video games for three to four hours. Eventually, we decided we wanted to go outside. We wanted to make a YouTube video of our own, but soon scrapped the idea and just walked around the neighborhood. Once it got dark, we headed up the hill of the neighborhood, listening and watching some YouTube videos. The one we were paying attention to ended and I turned my phone flashlight on. 
We now had no video playing and were just walking. We made it up to the top of the hill and walked almost halfway down the road when I heard three very loud knocks coming from a camper next to us. It was one of those campers that was just a bed and nothing else. I jumped and I asked Quentin, Did you hear that? Yeah, he responded. We shook it off like nothing and continued to walk the rest of the way down the road. We stayed at the end of the road for a while and then headed back to the other direction. This is when the scary stuff starts. When we made it back to that camper, we looked around to see if there was an explanation to the knocking from before. There was nothing. I looked behind me, then off to the side, and I froze in fear. On the edge of the woods behind a house was a tall and skinny dark figure. I turned and told Quentin that we needed to get out of there, so we both started running down the hill. But I wasn't truly terrified until I heard more footsteps coming from right behind us. I looked back, and he was walking, whoever that figure was. I told Quentin to just keep running until we reached the bottom of the hill. We both pressed on, and when we got to the bottom of the hill, I asked him, Did you see that guy? No, he responded. What did you see? I told him, There was just this tall guy staring at us at the edge of the woods. Then he rolled his eyes. Oh, whatever, he said. You're just trying to scare me. It was April Fool's after all, but I wasn't going crazy. I know what I saw, and I was honestly frustrated that he didn't believe me. I had to prove to him what I saw was real. I'll show you, I said. I began to walk back up the hill, and he followed. We decided to check all sorts of bushes around the neighborhood to see any trace of someone or to see if someone was there. But of course, there was nothing. We got back to that camper and asked, is there anyone out here? Yet there was no answer. We continued to walk towards the end of the neighborhood, and we realized that there were trees at the end of a yard. Quentin then asked, You want to look? And I said, Let's do it. We were scanning the woods and peeking in through bushes, trying to find any trace of the man I saw before. But there was nothing. Eventually, my phone died from the flashlight being on too long. I looked over to Quentin to tell him what had happened, but before I could say that my phone was dead, I found myself screaming instead. That same tall figure from before was now right behind Quentin. Calling out to Quentin was all I could do to get his name because I found myself running away from this guy. He had to have been at least seven and a half feet tall. He was so skinny and lanky. He had to be a creature in and of himself. I began to run down the road, and I could hear Quentin behind me, but soon his footsteps faded into the distance. I, I stopped and I feared the worst. Had I abandoned my friend to meet his death? I shook my head. I told myself that Quentin would be okay, but that's when I heard Quentin scream. Then it was silent. After a moment or two, I heard the footsteps start up again. But these weren't Quentin's footsteps. They sounded a little bit heavier than that, and something was crashing through the trees around me. I turned and ran, and I didn't stop until I made it back to my house. When I got there, by some miracle, Quentin was there already, waiting on me. He was panting and out of breath, and I felt a little bit guilty that I had left him behind. We ran inside without a word and locked all the doors. Then we ran into my room, 
Do you believe me now? I said. Still out of breath and terrified, he simply nodded at me. We both agreed not to go back outside that night and to never tell anyone about this. How stupid was it that we decided to go back into the woods to find this creepy guy? The next day, though, we did wake up early to decide to check for evidence in the snow. We went to where we saw this person last and noticed a trail of footprints in the snow, right where the guy had been standing behind Quentin. And to my surprise, they started from that camper. Then they went into the tree line. This really creeped me out, so we decided to go back to the house. I didn't feel safe any longer, and I'd rather stay in all day than risk my life again. On the way there, though, we noticed more footprints, this time closer to my home. We followed them, and they took us to the edge of the hill, the hill that overlooked my house. From here, you could see right into my windows, and those footprints... They were facing towards my house. Who the heck was this guy? We were beyond creeped out, so we made it back to my house as fast as we could, and we didn't go outside for the rest of the day. The next week, that camper was gone, and luckily, I haven't seen hide nor hair of the tall and skinny man.